For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Recorded live. It is beginning to look a lot like um, the bowl season, amongst other things. And uh, draft rumor season is, I guess, officially kicked off with, uh, you know, the unfortunate fall, both literal and figurative and perhaps even financial, of Robert Kandishi. Uh, who, though not all the details are known, it's clear that apparently uh, synthetic marijuana was involved. It's clear that uh, it seems to have been something that probably wasn't a one-time, first-time event based on some of the circumstances surrounding the event. And thankfully, and most importantly, it appears the young man will make a full and complete recovery from apparently relatively minor injury. And it's early enough in the process that if, you know, there's no other shoe to drop, if he is otherwise proven to be a very solid individual, this will go under the, you know, young person doing something not very bright column, which usually costs you money, usually costs you, you know, maybe around maybe around and a half, as opposed to total failure, you know, something terrible that is revealed to be part of a long and established pattern of bad behavior, and then you get to slide much, 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 much further. But that being said, uh, he's not even the biggest news, in my mind, not the biggest news in, in draft world, um, I guess the biggest news in many people's minds is that Andrew Billings will not be in the draft. And here's the guy I refuse to be. I may be the over-analyzing, over-thinking, over-talking guy. But I will not be the why, are you leaving, why aren't you leaving school guy. That will never be me. Partially because I realize education is an incredibly important experience. Partially because college, if you're doing it right, is an amazing time in your life. And going to school online from wherever it is you end up losing after you're drafted is not the same as being a college student on a college campus where you're a football star. Completely different experience when you are a rookie or a, I mean, and first of all, let's assume education is important to him, and my understanding is that it is. This is the last chance you get to have education be a close to equal priority, I guess, in your life. Um, the term student-athlete, at least at big-time football schools, very often is treated almost as a sardonic in-joke. But look at Larry Fitzgerald, who made a promise to his mother as she was dying of breast cancer that he would finish his degree. That was while he was still in college. 
he finished his degree, or at least is finishing, I believe, as of this month. I think he graduates in December. Lo, these many years later, I guess, what, 12, 13, whatever the year number of years is later. So your life becomes very different once you're no longer 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years of age. And Andrew Billings realizes he's a young man. I mean, even if college football players go, he's fairly young. I believe he may have just been 20. So what's the rush, people? I will never be that guy. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, you can get hurt. Oh, your draft's high. Wow, wow, wow. Look, if you're a really great player, the NFL's not going anyplace, first of all. Two, can you get hurt? Can you, quote, unquote, damage your stock? I've always believed the damage of your stock thing is something of a myth. People always point to Matt Barkley with this belief then Mark Barkley would have been a top five, a top 10, a top 20, a top whatever if he goes his junior year because somehow magically the NFL would not have noticed his limitations. <laughs> as, as he just left, you know, the smoke and the mirrors and the whatever would have, would have prevented them from realizing what he could and could not do. And while there's maybe a tiny kernel of truth to the you know, leave before they figure out kind of thing. But usually they figure out at some point. You know, at some point they go back and look at the tape. They go back and, you know, watch your workouts. And they figure out what you can and can't do. And to me, I've, I've rarely seen a player actually be worse. I've seen players be considered to be worse. Or, obviously, injury. I mean, if you're, you know, James Conner or, you know, any long list of, you know, Marcus Lattimore, that's another thing. Can you have a devastating injury that completely changes how you're seen as an athlete and perhaps you prevents you from playing to the next level? That is at least to some extent a legitimate thing because that can and does happen. However, what to me seems somewhat ludicrous and questionable is the belief that your draft stock will fall because, you know, even if you don't get hurt, because, uh, you know, you might not play as well. Or, you know, like I said, the thing that always blows my mind is the thought that somehow you've been fooling them low these many years, you know, like with the, the whole Barkley thing. But now, now, now they're going to figure it out because you played one year too many. And now they are on to you. You know, that's, especially with quarterbacks. The way quarterbacks are, are analyzed and examined and, you know, turned this way and that and all this stuff, to truly believe, especially if you seem to be a first rounder, truly believe that somehow you're going to basically trick NFL teams, not figure out that you're not that good. I mean, does it sometimes happen? Sure, right? I mean, you see Manziel and some other examples of guys that went way earlier than they should have. And you can perhaps say that, well, Barkley, what happens? He just, I mean, one, we have no way of knowing that. Two, I talked to plenty of NFL scouts who said that, you know, he might have been a second or third rounder if he left earlier, but there's no way he would have gone at first. But here's the, here's the main thing. He's a better person and a better football player having played all four years. So the logic of even if it were true that somehow you were going to get more money, you know, you were going to get more this, more that, but you're not as good, would you rather get more up front and be out of the league in three or four years? Would you rather, I mean, hey, he might, you know, sell you those in the fourth round. That makes you sometimes more palatable to hang around as a backup, instead of being out of the league and a quote-unquote bust, 
in a couple of years. I mean, think about it. We always whine about guys who, who bust. What's better than a guy that gives you a completely fair chance to utterly and completely evaluate him by playing, what, 46 or something? I can't remember the number of games, but it was a very large number of starts than that Barkley had. And I appreciated what he did, and I thought he was a better player. He may have had as good a team or as good a year, but he was a better player as a senior than he was as a junior. I, I wasn't at all disappointed in him. There's a lot of narratives, particularly around quarterbacks, and, you know, striking while the iron is hot, and you've got to leave now, and blah, blah, blah. There are times that it makes sense. With Paxton Lynch, if he decides to go, I'll have nothing bad to say about it. His coach has left. It's unlikely that Memphis will garner the same attention next year, even if he plays better which I think he might if he came back, quite frankly. But that's neither here nor there. This is seen as a quote-unquote weak quarterback class. Well, I think all of them will be seen as weak from now on, it seems. I, I, I don't think we'll ever get another strong quarterback class because every year, you know, the thinking narrative, oh, this year's – but next year will be better. You know, we've been seeing that every year for ever, it seems. I mean, every year that's not 1983, people find a reason not to like. But here's what it comes down to for me. And we'll we'll talk bowl games and, and some of the players who are exciting, or I'm excited at least to examine in the uh, – in the upcoming bowls, but I just want to cover a few sort of general topics, news and notes, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, like I said, Tim DC will hopefully get a chance to uh, get a full and complete airing of, of what did and did not happen, and people will get a chance to make an informed judgment. Andrew Billings, like I said, hats off to you. Uh, you know, people complain about the student-athlete thing sort of being a like I said, people sort of treat it like a sardonic in-joke. But here's a person who clearly values their college education and their college experience, and that should be celebrated. I've got nothing but good things to say about this. And this just in, Baylor's likely to be better next year than they were this year. I mean, they're going to lose some people. They're going to lose Oakman. Corey Coleman's probably gone. But that is a fairly young team. They're going to bring back a lot of stud talent. You know, Jefferson. I mean, that team's going to be loaded next year. And if Stidham or Russell, if one of the quarterbacks stays healthy, you know, name one of them basically stays healthy, they could be a playoff team next year. I, I don't blame him. In fact, like I said, I salute him. I think he's making the right choice, quite frankly. And he's going to be, not that he needs to be stronger, but he's going to be even stronger more polished, more ready next year than he is this year. I, I just, like I said, I'm not sure that ever buys the downside in coming back thing. The only, to me, the only thing that's truly legitimate is the chance of entry. And that, you know, that's obviously beyond your control. You don't know if or when you're going to get hurt. It's something that happens. And, you know, you deal with it if it does happen. 
So here's here are some of the bowls that I'm excited about. Uh, you know, and, and like I said, my my interest, my taste, my uh, I look for interesting matchups in terms of talent. You know, and like I said, you know, I, I liked Paxton and Lynch as early as 2013 was the first time I saw him play. And I really got impressed in 2014. But when he cemented himself with the bowl game last year, and I said to myself, this guy, you know, he's, he's going to be a player. You know, he's, this guy's an NFL guy. That was when I, 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 that was stuck in my mind from that bowl game forward. And a lot of people sort of discovered him, you know, via the, the old Miss game. Which is fine. I mean, I've not most people about, hey, look, you know, I didn't discover him. I wasn't the first person. I'm sure somebody in high school watched Paxton Lynch loping around out there, whipping footballs around and said, that guy's going to play in the league one day. So I'm nowhere near the first. But I guess I'm fairly early amongst the draft Twitter cognoscenti, you know, the Twitterati in, in the draft world to sort of say, this guy's going to be an NFL quarterback one day. So I definitely want to see how Memphis finishes this year off. I've been on that campus for many years ago, back when they were still called Memphis State. And it's a, it's a cool campus and an interesting location. And, you know, hats off to the young people who managed not to um, give in to the temptations. I mean, it's not quite, you know, UCLA or USC in that it's not, you know, it's not in Los Angeles. But it's Memphis is a fairly major city with stuff to do at night. And I don't hear about too many crazy incidents. So it appears that, you know, it's a fairly disciplined crew that, that manages to, uh, like I said, you know, prioritize, you know, football and the right things and all that good stuff, uh, despite the fact that Beale Street and all the other things are not too rather close to them. So some of the players that I will be you know, staring and <laughs> staring down uh, wanting to see as we go through the bowl season. I'll sort of touch on some of the bowl matchups, particular players that should be. I know that the NFL will certainly have certain people in their sites, and some of them will be people that, that I also will be very interested in, and some of them will be not. I mean, some of them, there are people the NFL probably likes better than I do, and vice versa. Uh, the The NFL and I have often agreed on things, but definitely have disagreed on some things as well, to be perfectly honest. So, we'll, like I said, we'll see sort of how this how this all plays out. So, one of the things about, you know, bowl mania and all the other sort of things out there where you just have to look at all the bowls and try to figure out uh, what you think. And, and I don't want to sound like, you know, a curmudgeon or whatever, but, man, there are a lot of bowls. <laughs> Probably a few too many, perfectly honest. You know, I remember when, when back when I was still having debates on the old Fro show, uh, Football Reporters Online show, about, you know, BCS versus the, the playoff system and, you know, the sanctity of bowls or whatever. Uh, I would have bought that, you know, at one point in my life, uh, some of the argument about you don't want to damage the bowls or whatever that is. But now they've damaged themselves. Uh, they're so darn many bowls, and every single one of them has, you know, not all of them are embarrassing, but some of them are, I don't know, maybe, maybe embarrassing is the wrong word, but ungainly naming right situations, I guess would be a better way, you know, 
It's not quite to the point of Chico's bail bonds, but so many of these bowl games are associated with something, you know, uh, gay lord something, tax flayer this, RL carriers who, ah, I see I've been joined by the one, the only, Jam Master James, Mr. Jim Cobert. How are you doing, Jim? Pretty good. Uh, sorry, sorry for being a little late. I saw Star Wars, got the matinee, so I'm done, finished up, so here I am. Well, first of all, congratulations. Um, how was it? It was good. It was good. Um, you know, no spoilers or anything, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was better than the prequels. I'll say that much. Okay. So, okay. That's all I'll say. Yeah, well, I can let you know this now. I, I will at some point see it. I'm not going to see it in the theater. I am at the point in my life where I very rarely go to see movies in the movie theater anymore. Uh, not because I don't enjoy the experience, but, you know, once you have children and things like that, unless it's a movie that you can go to, too, it's just a hassle, um, frankly. <laughs> so, you know, unless it's yeah, kid friendly, I, yeah, I just don't get out to the movie theaters anymore. It's not a, yeah, I wouldn't say it's that kid. I mean, there's some blood in it. I mean, you don't see blood in Star Wars, but there's some blood in this movie, so, yeah. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that J.J. Abrams said. I mean, he didn't say it quite that way. But he said he wanted, you know, the, the fights to be more visceral. Uh, he changed even some of the training. Um even going back to the original, I mean, back in 1976 or whatever, they had a fair amount of physical training to get ready, mostly kendo-based, uh, to get ready for the battles uh, with the lightsabers and everything. But they, they've they become progressively more physical. I mean, this last group of young people that had to train uh, John Bodea or whatever and all this other bunch, uh, they, they beat them up pretty good, from my understanding, in their training. You know, so they... You know, it's a little less pretty, um, the fights. A little less pretty. So they want to be more raw and more, you know, with a more in-your-face physicality. So I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, I am. I used to be very plugged into the fight choreography community. I, I trained under Rick Sordelay and uh, some other people in fight choreography back a million years ago. Uh, Boucher. And, I mean, if you know this, Alan Suttis. And these are names that are big names in the fight choreography community. So mean nothing to most people. But uh but yeah, so I'm I used to be very much into who was doing what and you know, a lot of the, the Korean and Japanese fight choreographers and Chinese, you know, Young and Bao or whatever, a lot of the Chinese fight choreographers and the others. I used to really get into that stuff. And now, you know, once again I'm about to some of that, but Yeah. I got sort of I got sort of reignited because I found out about some of the training they were undergoing and so I expected the fights to be pretty, you know. They're not pretty <laughs> at all. Yeah. And I like no, that exactly. though because it makes it it's almost like a bunch of people like like here's a sword fight and they've never practiced at all, you know? Like right. it, they looked at they looked that way. And it works a lot because it's like, well you never have actually hit the lightsaber. So you wouldn't know. You would. This is basically how you would fight. So I, I did like that aspect of it. Yep, know, but, and that was something that J.J. Uh, Abrams sort of asked of the fight choreographers. I don't want it to look like, you know, Cornell Wilde in 1962, Scaramouche, you know, where it's, I mean, it, I don't want to get into my whole little nerddom about fight choreography, but I have a list of, like, the best choreographed fights in 
movie history. And uh, and of course, that's one of the movies. Like if you're a, if you're on Fight Prairie, if you're nerds, and you mention the movie Scaramouche, their eyes always light up. But um, the, the the fact is that this is, you know, The Duelist is another one of those. That's much raw, very much more raw. It is a movie with stars Harvey, Harvey Keitel and um, not Keith Carradine. What's the other Carradine brother's name? Um, you mean David Carradine? Thank you. Thank you. No, no, I was right. It is Keith Carradine, not David Carradine. Oh, Keith Carradine. Um, yeah, it is Keith. Sorry, I was. Yeah. So it starts Harvey Keitel and Keith Carradine. It's set in Russia during the Napoleonic period. But the point is that the fights are gripping and raw, and these are people like a lot of times. There's a tendency to almost put the acting on pause for the fight scenes because it's hard to fight and act at the same time. I've tried to do it. It is hard. Um, you're, it's hard to be that physically active and continue to, you know, emote and character things through lines and all that stuff. It's hard to do both. It takes a lot of training to do both. And so when I look at a movie like The Duelist with um, Harvey Cattell and, and, and Carrie in it, to see that th- th- at first time they, they duel, they don't like each other, but it's not pure hatred. And so the fighting is different from later in the same movie. They, they fight about three different times years apart, each time a few years apart. So by the last time, they're, they're very young officers, the first time they duel each other. And the last time, the most, you know, sort of high stakes one, the one with clear that no one, one guy is going to be dead by the end of the third fight, they're older guys. They've been through many campaigns. They're in their late 30s, early 40s or something by the last right, time. Right, right, right. So fight. they're a little heavier, yeah, a little heavy on Yeah, everything, team, right. Know. So the fight's different, you know. It's, there's, the technique has changed. There's less, they're less, not trying to impress each other anymore. They're trying to kill each other. Like the first time, it's like, let me show you what I learned. Is what you sort of see in the first fight. It's interesting to see people be able to express their characters and their motivations and their thoughts and feelings and everything in the fight. And that's, I love when they can do that because there's so many movies like that they sort of put the acting on pause. Fight, 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 fight. You know, oh, you know, catch your breath, act a little bit, fight, fight, fight. You know, so. I love right, 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 when, right. When they can do both, and so, so I'm, I'm hearing good things. You know, like I said, I'll, I will, I'll see it when it you know, makes it to cable, whatever. But, uh, but I, uh, I am a fan, and I saw the first couple in the movie theater. Um, you know, 400 years ago, when the first one came out, and everybody in America went to see the first one. Pretty much, it seemed like an entire country. It was like the Super Bowl. Um, an entire generation saw that movie. Pretty much, with very few exceptions you'll find very few people of my generation who haven't seen the first three films and almost nobody who hasn't seen the first one. Um, oh, even people who don't oh, no like doubt. sci-fi. Even people who, get, who hate sci-fi, in who fact. Who hate sci-fi. Which, they, they, <laughs> like, they like the movies because, right. you know, I mean, for many reasons, but, I mean, it, it strikes a chord. Uh, well, I mean, I, I know enough about the, the motivation, not motivation, the roots, I guess, of the first film. Uh, I know that he was a big fan of Joseph Campbell, the anthropolo- the late anthropologist, semiotist, semiotician, uh, who wrote Hero with a Thousand Faces and, and uh, Hero's Journey and things like that. He was, I know he's a big fan of Akira Kurosawa, uh, who I am also a huge fan of. And obviously you can see the influence of samurai culture all throughout the creation of the Jedi Knight, you know, 
everything, basically, from the way they dress to the way they move, right, the way they fight, the way they... Right, they're basically space, you know, samurai. Basically space basically. samurai, exactly. <laughs> right. Basically, right, exactly. That's essentially what they are. They're basically space samurai. Um, and then he's also a big fan of, like, John Ford Westerns and things like that. So, I mean, I know enough about the film, the original filmmaker's uh, vision and his influences to understand why this movie hit so many people where it lived when, when it first came out. Plus, America was kind of down on itself. You know, this is, you know, we just had the OPEC oil crisis. Uh, we just got finished, quote unquote, losing the Vietnam War. Uh, we, Watergate was just two and a half or so years in the real view. Of, I mean, America was like, you know, <laughs> we, in, in really one generation, we'd gone from being this country that seemed like it was, I mean, it was the most powerful nation in the world that the world had ever seen, you know, as of late 1940s, early 1950s, and, you know, we could do no wrong, and we're this, we're, our economy is the biggest, strongest thing the world's ever seen, our, our military is the biggest, strongest, we're like going great guns, and nothing can stop us. We're one generation after that, we've come through the late 60s, into the early and then mid-70s, and America is, you know, lost a step. For lack of a better yeah. putting it. Well, so everybody, everybody lost a little, you know, of pe- the people that, you know, uh, I hate to say the hippies, but, you know, the hippies lost, <laughs> they felt like, and the people that were the, you know, the status quo felt like they lost a lot too. So, yeah. you know, it's like everybody, like we're all losers. <laughs> I believe we may have been joined by our super secret special guest. Is that Cody? This is me. Woo! I, I was the super secret special guest, though. <laughs> yes, we do have a super secret secret special guest. Uh, first of all, I know you've been very, very busy. A lot's been going on with you, Cody, so it's good to, to catch back up with you a little bit. Yeah, it's good to be back on. Excellent. So Jim was, you know, letting us know that he's had, you know, the great cultural experience of in, indulging himself in, in uh, the most recent Star Wars film. As I was mentioning to him, I'm at the point in my life where I unfortunately don't get to run off to movie theaters, um, hardly ever, uh, unless, like I said, it's, you know, something involving Nemo or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, luckily not that, thank God. Uh, but um, but she's more into what was the last thing she made me go to? Uh, not made. Uh, we got to. I had the experience. I uh, enjoyed, actually. It was actually pretty good. Uh, oh, the Lego movie. Actually, awesome, really. It was actually pretty darn good. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, that's the Surprisingly. Surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. Decent, so, it was actually very, very decent. It was, you know, I, I might have gone to see it without a child now that I, you know, know, <laughs> I know what was going on there. But um, we are drawn as a nation, obviously, to – and that's why we love football. I mean, it's funny. This is going to come around to football anyway. We are drawn to people who don't let things that should stop them stop them, right? Right? I mean – Tom Brady should not be the greatest or one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks of all time. It shouldn't have happened. He was a guy that basically should have ended up at like Wyoming or San Jose State and maybe shouldn't have been the starter there, you know, 
possibly could have been, you know, in the in the mix to start there. He said, no way he should have won the starting job for Michigan. There were all these guys who were supposed to be better ahead of him. He was something like seventh or eighth on the depth chart when he first gets there. And doesn't get above fifth until, you know, until he surprisingly wins the battle his going into his junior year. And, you know, now his, you know, now he seems to be, I mean, you look at his life now and it's just, it's so hard to remember, especially if you're, if you're of a certain age and you don't really remember the original version of Tom Brady, you know, you only know this version of Tom Brady. But I remember the version of Tom Brady where people were arguing about if he should even be starting at Michigan. It was a hot button issue in college football talking circles about, like, you know, yeah, you know, he's gritty and he's a hard worker and he's smart look at him, you know, and he's not, doesn't have a great arm, and you, you know, can't really escape pressure, and look, they've got this kid who's the next John Elway, they just signed, why are we making him share, care, you know, share, no, not share, 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 you know, share staffs and share reps with, you know, this Brady kid who's yeah, a nice let's kid. Yeah, move on. Move on from Brady, right? I mean, you well, know, just dump him. That was the, that was, that was the dominant narrative going into his senior year, and people were savaging Lloyd Carr. Lloyd Carr is too loyal to his upperclassmen. That's the only reason he's not letting Drew Henson, you know, take the reins and blah, 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 and next John Elway. I mean, that was that was the narrative. You know, it wasn't he's got the greatest quarterback of all time, perhaps, and this Henson kid, you know, is, is you know, it's funny because there were people who thought he might have been the greatest quarterback of all time on campus, but they weren't saying it was Brady. <laughs> that was a funny thing. Like, everyone thought that might, he might have the great, but it wasn't Brady they were talking about when they were talking about that. So he's a funny sort of hero's journey story. We're talking about Joseph Campbell and how much of an influence he had, you know, on, on Lucas when the Star Wars films first began. There's a hero's journey, right? I mean, doubted and doubted and then doubted some more. And yet and nobody then... likes him. And yet nobody likes him. It's, uh, you know, at least, you know, where I, I come from in the South, as you know, you know, everybody loves Peyton Manning. Everybody hates Tom Brady. Sure. Uh, hate, they hate Tom Brady. Like, he's, sure. you know, he's Yankee. And I usually tell him, if you look at it, I'm not going to say everything was given to him per se, but I mean, your your dad is a quarterback. You were pretty much going to be a quarterback. You know, like you were basically from birth trained yeah. to become this. The uh, first time Tom I saw Brady. Peyton Manning, yeah. he was three years old, and he was already. I saw him play football. It was, you know, admittedly not very pretty football, but I saw he and his brothers play football when he was three in their front yard. Their front yard, like it was halftime of a. Saints game or somebody's game or whatever, and they're, you know, and they're asking him, well, babe, who's your favorite football player? My daddy. You know, I mean, you know, I, mean that's, I first saw him at three years old, and he was already holding the football. Yeah, it's completely opposite, though. Like, Peyton basically had to screw up being a pro quarterback, and Brady <laughs> had to do everything just to get there. I mean, even yeah. if you look at a rival to New England, He's a six-round pick. They just signed their quarterback that's a starter long-term. Yep. How does he not get cut except for Belichick just 
goes to the people and says, I'm not cutting him. I'm not risking him to waivers. You know, I've heard all these. Well, you know, and you know what? Belichick had to be sold on him. I mean, the whole revisionist history there, Belichick was, he liked him, but he's like, who carries four quarterbacks? And his quarterback coach basically said, um, you know, on my mother's life or whatever. I hear what he said, but something like something crazy. You know, like, you won't regret carrying this kid. You know, like I promise you. You know, if you if if I'm wrong, fire me. One of those kind of things. And and Belichick said, okay, you if you're wrong, I'm firing you. And you know that. And then eventually he got to see enough of Brady that he was like, okay, let's see what you're talking about. Yeah, and I, after he saw that, I mean, like the quarterbacks coach was like basically like, if you cut him. Someone's going to take him on waivers, and he thought the guy was crazy. He's like, he won't last. And it's just like, you know, what, how different the NFL could look if, if Belichick doesn't trust him. Like, you know, <laughs> Tom Brady may not ever become who he is if he's not. He wouldn't. New England. He, the, the perception of him, and I remember a million years ago, back in the old, you know, in the very early days of arguing about football on the Internet, um, there was something called the the war room. Um, I can't remember the, Gary Gary Horton. That was his name. Gary Horton was a guy who had been a, a, a he was probably the first front office old front former front office guy to set up like a football website kind of thing. And it was early and it was brutal. Um, like if you wanted to upload a video, all oh, these kids today I have no idea how, how lucky how lucky they are. You'd have to like downgrade it in quality forty seven times. And then it couldn't be more than just a few seconds clip that it looked horrible. But that's my first run across the top. McShay also was, he was like one of Gary Horton's little acolytes. But getting back to the Brady thing, I remember posting something about Tom Brady and saying that I thought he had a chance to be Brad Johnson. And if everything went perfectly for him, maybe just maybe he could be Steve Barkowski. And people went nuts on me. Like, crazy nuts on me. Like, what is wrong with you, crazy nuts on me? Like, it was me and, like, one other guy that thought Brady had a chance to be something. Now, I'm not going to lie and say How I thought he was going to be. How much did you for that recording? <laughs> <laughs> like, I wish I had – I don't know if you I – I don't think the war room even exists anymore. I don't know, I don't know if the end of his archive anywhere, but um, it was one of the early draft websites. I mean, if I, I could probably do a very interesting exegesis on, like, the, the, the history of draft websites or whatever. There's a few of them still around from the very early days. Uh, Scott Wright's site, Draft Countdown, was one of the early, early ones. Um, there's a couple others that are still around. But, not, but most, a lot of the early, early ones are gone. And, of course, CDS, because this is draft service, is what I'm planning to eventually relaunch. But right now we're just content partners with another site. But... We were that site. Usually, starts. I started seeing. I don't know about anybody else. I started seeing them pop up in the late like ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety six, maybe. But yeah, like ninety seven, ninety eight. So I really started to see draft specific, not football websites they, that was taught some draft occasionally, like SI or whatever. We all those have been talking about the draft forever, inside sports and whatever. But like specific draft, like we do draft nothing, nothing but draft all day, all night all the time in the night, like late 19th. And I remember I used to hop on these things and like I said, you know, argue with these. And, uh, and there was like, I, can't remember, I wish I could remember it. His name was Rob something. 
uh, the other guy that kind of sort of agreed with me. And, yeah, people would just rip you apart because, yeah, there was this belief that the only reason that, you know, like I said, there was really a strong belief. The only reason that Brady kept his job at Michigan was that Carr was just, he's just stubborn. He's, he's too attached to his upperclassmen. He's blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's why Carr can't win the big game, you know. <laughs> like, people will just extrapolate from that. Well, you know, he, he won't play his best player. He just wants to play his best player. But um, getting back to Brady's story, it is really, really an extraordinary story. And so, like I said, here's a guy that he didn't end up walking on. He did get a, a scholarship to Michigan, but he really had to badger them to get it. You know, like it wasn't like Michigan was super excited when they saw his tape. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he just kept after them. And I'm trying to remember, there was a phone call that I think one of his old coaches had made, one of his high school coaches, somebody, to somebody he kind of knew in the program. I was like, look, I promise you, you know, at the very least, you're going to get a guy who's going to really, really help to make your other quarterbacks better because he's going to push them and blah, blah, blah. He's a super competitive kid. And blah. But, I mean, even his coaches, even his high school coaches weren't saying, this guy's going to be the greatest quarterback you've ever seen. That wasn't how they sold it. <laughs> they didn't say that. They didn't say yeah, and how, many, and how many of those coaches, you know, at, at big programs, how many of those calls do you think they take on a yearly basis come on? Oh, oh God. So <laughs> even that is nothing. It, forget big programs. Forget big – the guys at Utah State get 50 of those a month, you know, at certain times a year. So you don't have to be a big – I mean, but got, at Jackson State, they get 30, 40 of them. So at a big program, if you're at Stanford, God help you. You know, if you're at if you're in Alabama, Jesus, they probably have like an intern that's assigned to take those calls. You know, so they don't you know t- tie up the time with the real coaches. Yeah, you're. Oh yeah, uh, uh, high school coaches that are going to tell you how we should take their player as a walk on. <laughs> yeah. That intern. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody's got to do it because you can The coaches don't have time to take all those calls. Read all those emails. Nowadays, I guess it must be emails. But, yeah, I mean, it took basically, you know, his father and he and, and some of his coaches eventually wore them down, and then some kid decommitted. But that was just the last minute. That was the other thing. Right, it took all these things happening, a little bit of a lighting, and then some other kid they thought they had, like, decommitted and went to Michigan State or went to Ohio State or Illinois or someplace else. So. You know, all sort of lined up. Well, we can we have room for one more quarterback. What the heck? You know, sort of how it all sort of played out. You know, and and that and and truthfully, Michigan wasn't his first choice either. I mean, it wasn't like he 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 liked certain things about Michigan, pro style things like that. But he was, you know, his dream was to stay in the Bay Area. He wanted Stanford. Stanford had z- below zero interest in him. <laughs> like, like they they wouldn't take his calls. They wouldn't watch his film. They would, nothing. I mean, at least Michigan was kind of sort of willing to listen. Stanford couldn't be less interested. Zero interest, below zero. So, the rejection ran deep in this one. You know, he had, he got rejected a lot early in his in his career. That obviously, you know, that changed at some point. But once again, if Drew Bledsoe doesn't get hurt, for people and the funny thing is, people forget how good Drew Bledsoe was. When Drew Bledsoe retired, he was number six or something in in all time passing yards. I mean, the guy had a pretty real, pretty awesome career. Really, the only thing in his career stats that isn't mind bogglingly good really is his touchdown interception ratio. But everything else, 
And it's not terrible. It's just not amazing. But everything else is really good. Like, it's really easy because of Tom Brady to forget he'd already been to one Super Bowl, was on his way to a second. You know, how different, you talk about how different Brady, how different if, if Bledsoe, maybe they don't win as many Super Bowls with Bledsoe, but if they go to three Super Bowls with Bledsoe and win, even if it's just one of them, how differently we talk about him, right? Yeah. So <laughs> and you never know, too. Like, I mean, Bledsoe, I think, what, had just signed a new deal either beginning of that season or the season before. So, you know, it's not like Brady's going to get an opportunity as much as Belichick may like him. There's no way he's starting him over Bledsoe. Oh, no, 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 no. Final Bledsoe game. had just come off a season where he led the the, the um, NFL in passing yards and touchdowns. No, he was not a bishop. That wasn't about to happen as, as outside the box as Bill Belichick is. I don't. I can't imagine That's, outside of injury. <laughs> you know, a series of circumstances. He's going to say. Okay, we just gave this guy this, as you said, big giant pile of cash. It's going to be like the fourth or fifth largest contract of any quarterback in the league. And this guy's killing it. <laughs> That's the thing people kind of forget. Drew Bledsoe is putting up monster numbers. I mean, nowadays 5,000-yard seasons don't maybe attract the same sort of wow factor they did. But he was one of the first dudes, you know, after Marino, to have a 5,000 yard. Back when 5,000 yards was, was, was really doing something, he did it. You know, 20, 20 something, almost 20 years ago, he had a 5,000 yard passing season. When these things were not commonplace, you know, yeah, people like forget. Brady, if Brady gets to his second contract as a backup, you know, there's no way that New England's going to shell out cash to keep him. He's going to want to go somewhere to start. Like, yes. Some other team's uh, franchise is completely different, written in history right now. And, you know, Belichick, who knows? Like, Belichick, I mean, everyone talks about how smart he is. and Yeah, he's great at getting the most out of everyone. But part of the reason he's so smart is because he hasn't had to worry about drafting a quarterback for a decade. And he's been able to take right. all these luxury picks and gamble on guys like Chandler Jones that, you know, people were like, he's super athletic, but will he translate? Well, it doesn't well, matter if if, if Belichick misses on a couple picks because he's got well, a great quarterback. Gronkowski was a – Gronk- People forget Gronkowski was a gamble. The guy, oh, yeah. you know, look, look up, look up his workout numbers. There are none. He had a yeah. bad back. He couldn't do anything. Well, well, he does have workout numbers. But, now he probably um, hurt his back in college from flipping tables over at frat parties. But that's a different. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but Gronk. I mean, Gronk. Gronk. He had all the injuries and stuff. And two, uh, he had that personality, which, you know, we, we, you know, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we, we accept it now because he's wrong. Out of the league. Let's just be honest, right? <laughs> he's already out of the league. If he got drafted by Oakland or if he got drafted by Jacksonville, somewhere where there's no structure around him, no one to, like, lead him to success where he's like, okay, let's, let's make the most of this there's a good chance if he goes to a lot of these teams that don't have structure behind him, he plays out his rookie deal and he's, in, you know, not taking it seriously. Like, I mean, he's never really had to play for a losing team. Do you imagine that guy on a 3-13 and 13 team? 
his, every, his, lovable, his lovable <laughs> antics would not be quite so lovable if his team was going 4-12, and 3-13, and 5-11 and and in his first three years of his career. Every bar in the city is going to have a running tab with his name on it. Yeah, that's a good point, is that... Very possible. Yeah. Everything, winning, with the old saying, winning is the ultimate deodorant, uh, you can make a lot of things work when you're winning. Things that would not fly, frankly, if your team wasn't winning. So, yeah, you can let Gronk be Gronk. And it's, in fact, he's the counterbalance to this enormous weight of seriousness that surrounds that franchise. I mean, he's the one bit of levity that we can associate with the 20, almost oh, I mean, 20 years. They have, yeah, I, mean, they, they, I mean, they have other levity. It's just, you think of Belichick and the Patriot way, it's very much, I'm not going to say militaristic, but it's very, <laughs> you know, very different in terms of how they're viewed or perceived by the public. You know, they're, 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 they don't always tell you the truth about what they're doing. They don't always. No, they do not. <laughs> they're very tight-lipped. I mean, you know, they're like a little spy organization, you know, and they have codes and different things. That they, you know, uh, dead drops where they send their playbooks, right? You know, like all these different things that they do. And, and you have Belichick, and he does a little spy, a little minion. And, of course, that's in the Patreon candidate. Uh, which I won't repeat on this show again, but, you know, yeah, got that whole thing to it as well. But, I mean, you know, Vince Wolfork is, you know, is a, he was kind of a, you know, a lovely guy. I mean, they yeah, let, had true. Johnson on the team. Yeah, Ward yeah, was and, there then they had him, for, and then they had him off the team, but yes. Right, right. But, that, but that was a little bit more because he just wasn't playing. You know, he wasn't the same Chad Johnson anymore, so... And he was completely perplexed by their offense. I mean, that he was utterly and completely lost. And he, the funny True. thing is, that's just funny, but he completely admits it. Like, you can talk to Chad. I mean, Chad's easy to talk to on Twitter. Ask him about, you know, hey, how different was that playbook from what you were used to? He's like, dude, it was, you know, I can't remember. It was something like harder than Chinese algebra or whatever. I can't remember what he said. But it's like he, he, he made it clear he never at any point understood what they were doing on offense. <laughs> And he was oh, in yeah. the Bengals system for so long, like, he didn't really have to learn that offense. He just, you know, he was in it from his rookie year on. I mean, obviously he wasn't playing a time where he needed to know everything about it until he was a year or two in. And as your skills are declining, you're not working as hard about getting into the playbook. So on the fact that it's more difficult and he's like, dude, i got like two years left and it's going to take me two years to figure this out. Like. <laughs> It's easier just to hope they win the Super Bowl this year and retire. Pretty much. Or go play in Canada, you know, because you got to <laughs> say, but, uh, you know. Yeah. He's not, he's not but, like T.O. Yeah, spent too much of that. Actually, you know, uh, knew Chad pretty well when I lived in Cincy. Not pretty well, but the restaurant I worked at, he used to come in. Him and a bunch of the Bengals would come in about every week. And he was actually pretty frugal and smart with his money. And, like, he would never, like, get on the tabs with all the other guys that were like, he didn't really drink during the season. Now, he claims he doesn't drink at all, but I've heard. <laughs> we know but, better than that. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> you know, during the season, you know, if he was out in public, he would never be 
like drinking and stuff, but he was always pretty smart with his money. He'd, you know, he's like, hey, you know, I know this is not going to last forever, so I don't blow it like those guys. Now, Justin Smith would be in there, like, oh. ordering 30 shots and putting them on Shane Graham's tab every week. <laughs> That's what they did every week, and just put them on the kicker's tab and then leave. He'd be stranded. Oh, that's delightful. <laughs> I, Kicker, I guess that's the kickers always get screwed. Yeah, right. I was gonna say it's part of the way because you know when they're in the cold tub after practice, and the kicker basically you know gets done working on his thirty-seven yarder from this hash, so he has it where he wants it. I mean, that was you that everybody. It, I guess it rankles people at every level of football. You know, you do, they're not doing Oklahoma drills. They're not doing up downs. Not, you know, there's, it's just, I think it, you know, it's a, it's a cultural clash. And that's how the quote-unquote real football players find their little measure of, of satisfaction. I, I, I guess it always will be that way. Until you're Dan Bailey and you're, like, crushing guys in 40-yard dashes at practice. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's actually, yeah. He was a wide receiver in high school. Yeah, didn't he play linebacker in college too? Uh, no. Um, uh, Beeler did. They, I mean, David Beeler what, uh, originally was planning to try to play uh, wide uh, linebacker at USC, and then they uh, told him no. Basically, but uh, but Bailey was a pretty good wideout in high school. There've been a few, you know, really good athletes who've been. I mean, a lot of punters are really athletic. Fewer place kickers, but a few place kickers. Um, I remember when Mormon was at UNC, he was on the depth chart at, at both defensive back and wide receiver. I mean, down the depth chart, but he was on it. Uh, of course, Ray Guy was an emergency quarterback with the Raiders and was an emergency safety. I guess if they'd had enough safeties go down with injury, they would have put Ray out <laughs> there. Yeah, so, you yeah, know, hunters who find that. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing I, I haven't got into yet is is uh, uh, athletic metrics for punters and kickers. And I, I I don't – I really want to, only to see if there are anything there, you know. There might be, uh, which would be kind of interesting. It's just uh, – I don't know, man. I hate to say that I'm uh, punters are not people. You know, they're terrible. They're terrible. They, Yeah. Well, I would, assume, I would assume that explosiveness, at least with play stickers, would likely translate to the ability to drive the ball, you know, through on kickoffs, you know, in you know, through the back of the end zone and hit, you know, 55, 60 yard uh, place kicks. I assume that if you're a guy who's got a strong, you know, like a, you know, a bigger, big vert and a, a longer broad, I assume that would translate to power when it comes to driving the kick. I don't imagine too much else probably would, I'm guessing, with place kickers. Yeah, but I would matter. think, too, a lot of kicking is, like, technique and how you strike the ball. Like It's both. Yeah, I mean, it's both. Golfers right. I mean, swing as hard as can be, and if he hits it bad, it's not going to be. Right. Uh, but I think the hardest part with kickers and punters is kind of like a waste of time. Like, because <laughs> just because, like, the NFL has their, like, little fraternity of kickers, like, 
teams really seem more apt to pull an older guy off the street that yep. has a marginal record in their career than even go with a younger new guy that, you know, would have upside. Yep. Where there's a couple it's the devil you know. Yes. Yeah, and when it comes to place like, kickers, they prefer the devil you know. It's crazy because, like, you know, even a couple years ago, the Bengals, when Nugent got hurt, they brought in Josh Brown. He did awesome the end of the season, and they go back to Nugent, and Brown's gone off to Giants and done well. But, you know, and they had a rookie that they brought into camp that year that was banging 60 yarders in training camp, and they're like, didn't even bring him in for a tryout. It's it's very strange to me. So I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, that 35-yard field goal under – pressure is more likely to happen than the 65-yarder you need at the end of the half, but, you know, it's really frustrating, especially for teams that have those older guys. It's like your limit's like 47, and you don't know if it's going to get there when you've got younger guys like Tucker that 55, and they're and they're blasting into the net like they got 10 yards more. I mean, that could yeah. be like Gostowski, you're like, shoot, if we get in a field goal game against the Patriots, they have to get 15 yards further from the end post to beat us. It's crazy. Yep. But I'd almost have a little bit less – I'd almost rather have a little bit less accurate but longer leg because if you get in those late-game situations, at least you can give it a go. And this is where you are different from pretty much every special teams coach in America. Right. Um, <laughs> But that comes to my point of, like, it's really hard to scout them. It's because, like, every year there might be one guy out of the draft that gets a shot. So what are you going to do, just scout the top five and kind of do trends on that? I mean, I guess you could, but it's like every year how many guys get a shot? It might be one guy drafted and another guy makes a team because somebody gets hurt in front of them. But, I mean, for the most part, the guys that end up making teams after guys get hurt are already washed through the NFL a couple times. Well, I mean, look at Connor Barth and Chandler Canazaro. Those are a couple of the best young place kickers in the league, and both of them needed guys to get hurt to um, to get their shot. So, yes, that is usually how it happens. Somebody gets hurt, somebody retires. It is very tight. Same way with Tucker. Yep. It's very tight because you only need, well, depending on how you do it, you only need one or possibly two of them. Uh, there are some teams where they're, they have a kickoff specialist who's also sometimes their long field goal guy, and then they have their you know regular PAT guy and, and field goal guy. Some teams are lucky enough that's all the same dude. You know that they, they can trust the same guy to kick off and do all of their field goals, both long and normal. And of course, that saves you a roster spot. So they prefer that. And so that's the guy that does get drafted. If there's a guy that's super accurate and has a big leg, can kick off, and you know has been 19 of 22 or whatever, you know, with four 50 plus yarders, he's going to be the guy that gets drafted. You know, if there's one of those in the draft. And then, as you said, everybody else is, you know, most likely going to be an undrafted free agent, and you just have to beat out. Some older dude. I mean, really beat him. Like he can't be anywhere close to close. You got to kill it. You, you, you got to make every <laughs> single one. You got to make the seven yarder. They make you line up for to try to make you lose the job. You got to hope he bounces two off the post from thirty in. <laughs> yeah, it has to be blatantly obvious that you're way better, because this is the guy they went to war with. This is the guy that they 
they've seen do it. It is it's really difficult for a special teams coach to go to the head coach and say, we're getting rid of this guy we've had for however many years who, you know, remember that time that game he won us in overtime or whatever. I mean, that's, this is the guy that has basically won you a couple games over this kid. No matter how good he is, this is the kid that, you know, hasn't done it yet here. There's a very low level of risk assessment. <laughs> like they, everybody, people don't like to invite risk, even when it makes sense. And when you're a special it's, teams coach, it's like if I make this call and he sucks, I'm probably going to get canned. Yeah, and correct. It's like this could this could ruin your whole track of going further up the food chain as far as a coach. And I mean, that was the first time that I can really remember. And obviously, I haven't been doing this as long as you guys, but the first time I can really remember being shocked at a thing is when Tucker won the job. It was like news, and they were like, "I can't yep. believe this. They're going with this rookie." And I'm like, "The dude's banging him from <laughs> from 60 yards, and the other guy can't make it from 45. Like, is this really that difficult?" Was it Was it Stover? He beat out. Who was it? He beat out. Beat yeah. out again. Yeah, Stover. I think. Yeah, I thought it was Matt Stover. Yeah, it was okay. Like Stover coming off a year where he was really bad. And right. his limit was like 45 at that point. Right, right. I thought I thought that's what I remembered. I, uh, yeah, Stover had struggled, and even then he he hung around for. I mean, not with them, but like somebody snatched yeah, him up. Yeah, he went the Browns or something, right? Yes, yes, Probably. I think you're right. Yes, and he got picked not up. Not surprisingly. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> but that was the thing that killed me. It's like this guy clearly is, you know, maybe maybe he's done. He's definitely – if that's your best option, you're, you've got problems. But, yes, yeah, so I really got picked up right away. That's what killed me. It's like, wow, really? Really? That's, I know. that's, your, that's the move you want to make? Uh, but, but people do not like to take chances. They want the guy – like I said, the devil you know. If he's terrible, he's our terrible. You know what I mean? Like there's a sense that, that you've got to really – with a few exceptions. Now, you look at, you know, the Steelers have gone through, is it three – Four, four this I can't year. how many four books. That's <laughs> my thought. So they're willing to pull the trigger pretty quickly there. You yeah, but it all started by Sweezum, a guy who came in for an injury the year before off the street being cut from Washington because he couldn't make free field goals. And now yep. he, he makes a couple at the end of the year. Steelers are like, okay, he's our guy. He gets hurt in the preseason. The next guy comes in and, I mean, there was no way they could keep the guy in the Baltimore game. I think he missed four field goals. They're like, all right, yeah, you know. Yeah, he was amazingly bad. They yeah. made it easy, and then it's like they finally go to a young guy, and he's been good all season. It's like, yep. hello. <laughs> I mean, like, if you think about it, teams that, like, invest, like, you can laugh at Al Davis all you want. But they take Janikowski way too high. I mean, they could have gotten him probably two or three rounds later. But the fact but, is, like, what have they had to worry about as for a kicker for the last decade and a half? Like, no teams that have never had to worry spot, about it. It's like I would, I mean, like, good punters that get drafted in the fifth or sixth rounds, like, can make that difference in pinning guys deep. It's like your defense doesn't have to work as hard. Your offense has a better chance of getting good field position. I mean, it can, special teams is the part of the draft that, like I said, kind of is hard to scout because it's hard to quantify. Plus, it's like, what are the realistic chances that all this work I'm doing is going to be 
even worthwhile, you know, if I worked as a, if you were an actual scout for a team, like you'd be like, Hey, we want you to scout those kickers. You'd be like, great. This is a waste of my time. Cause you know, the guy's not going to get a look unless your kicker gets hurt. So it's like, but it's like, that can be the difference in good teams and great teams. And yep. I don't, I don't understand how, like, I think what is the Florida state kicker this year? If he doesn't get Probably drafted, mm-hmm. right. I mean, he can, I mean, these guys can kick them from 50s, you know, 50s nothing to them now. It's like you see guys that are practicing making them from 70. Like, I don't understand why teams are like, you know, and I think there's going to be a movement where, like, younger players start to get more shots because teams are going to get be like, okay, if we can score a field goal on every time, like, you know, I'll line up from 60 if we have a good defense, you know, like we'll put them in a sharp spot, but if you can make them – 70% of the time, let's line up from 60. Who cares? Well, I mean, the perfect test case would be a team like Carolina. They have a, you know, usually, I mean, they get the occasional big play, but usually it's a ball control offense that scores about 23-ish to 27-ish points. A lot of those come from the defense, too. The defense helps, certainly. And Gano's, you know, a solid NFL kicker. But if they were some freak, you know, some guy who, you know, as you said, who could hit 60 yards like 50 yards, hit 50 yards like 40 yards, hit 40 yards like 30 yards, you know, who just had that off the start, both strength and then also the, you know, straight off the tee also was a guy that had the great accuracy. I mean, there are people who say that Aguayo – could go as early as a third. And I can't rule that out. We, As you pointed out, I guess you stayed in the first. Now, I don't think that we'll ever see that again. Um, or It's, it's got to be a team. The thing is, though, like usually the team that might take him in the third has to be like this is a luxury pick and have a need at place kicker. You know, and that number of teams is really limited because the teams that have a real stacked roster – you would say, you know, this is a luxury pick, whether you want to say, you know, Seattle, um, Denver's getting very old, even though they're a good team. Uh, you know, even Carolina, they're a good team, but they have holes. Like offensive line is definitely something they're going to want to address. So it's like, yes. what's the team that has that, okay, this is a luxury pick, and, you know, we could use a place kicker combo to see him going that high, you you almost have to have something like that, I think. Right. But, yeah, if, like, a guy can hit – I mean, if you could hit 70% from 60, 80 from 50, 90 from 40, you know, like you said, the moving everything 10 yards forward, that could be huge for a team. When you think mm-hmm. about it, you're talking about from the 45, just as you break midfield, you're going to go, yeah, we're going to kick field goals from here. <laughs> right, we're we're in field goal range. We're, you know, the the quote unquote red area or green zone or whatever term you use starts if we can get a couple of yards past midfield, and that does it changes everything. It changes the way it, they have to play defense, and it, and it changes That's, the other team because they know it's like we can't really give up. I mean, think about a kickoff. It's like if you go up thirty thirty five yards on a drive, so one big play and a first down, they're putting three on you. You know, that's a lot. To, and then that puts pressure on the other team's offense to score, too. 
Right. No, I agree. Like I said, changes literally everything. As we've gone on a kicker tangent for 20 minutes, my fault. Yes. I apologize. No, it's okay. No, I mean, <laughs> we are going to talk a little bit about – I don't think there's any kickers going in the first, obviously, or or the second. But as we pointed out, with the, the discussions swirling around Aguayo, he's obviously the, you know, the tipping point uh, in this upcoming draft. And some people lost their minds when Jacksonville took Brian Angerer where they took him because, as you just pointed out, but there's a team that needs everything, <laughs> you know, how – and that's why people, people, you know, lost their minds a little bit. How can you take a kick, uh, a punter, sorry, that that early on a team that can that needs everything? And yeah, but I, you from, can see their side though too. Is like we know we're going to be punting a lot. <laughs> exactly. Help, that was, help out our that's not quite, it's not quite how they said it, but essentially they said it helps us with everything. This <laughs> this guy helps our offense. He helps our defense, and obviously helps our special teams because he's going to flip the field. You know, so there are two or three teams that really put a high value on special teams, uh, including the Patriots. I mean, Matthew Slater is consistently, if you look at their little internal, uh, not internal, but I mean, their little things they put up on their website about, you know. They do. The, awesome. Yes, they love him. Dostkowski, <laughs> awesome. Vinatieri yep. before that, awesome. Yep. Uh, Belichick knows. And as soon as they get to where they start to lose part of their distance, he's looking to replace them. Oh, yes. Well, he's a former special teams coach, right? Let's not forget, amongst the many things that Bill Belichick has been in his football life, is he's, a, he's been a former special teams coach. He's coached linebackers, obviously. Uh, he's coached he's the defense coordinator, but he was a special teams coach. He knows, with the exception of maybe Harbaugh, as much or more about uh, special teams as any coach in the league. And though he doesn't have as recent a special teams coaching experience as Harbaugh, I would be shocked if he could go toe-to-toe with Harbaugh in terms of special teams coaching experience because he never seems to forget anything. If he ever decides, I can't imagine him going into the booth when he's done with coaching, but I could see him allowing himself to sit down with someone at the, say, Hall of Fame library or something and just talk while they while a scribe writes down his knowledge of football to be saved for posterity or something. Um, because he, She's talking about on his deathbed, you know, like he's like a little, little Mozart, you know, and he's like dying. Something like, like that, yeah. We need you to write I mean, your final symphony. before his death. <laughs> Speaking of other terrible moves the Browns made, uh, he used to coach for the Browns, right? <laughs> Well, now, let's be fair. But they were on the right path. That was a different Bill Belichick. (laughs) Um, He was a real chap, bleep, you know, -know know-it-all, young know-it-all at the time. Now, he put together one of the great staffs of all time. His staff is like a to an American coach. Yes, kind of like Kiffin, only defensive. But he got a ton of people with him. Yeah, obviously. But, I mean, he got a ton of really good people with him. I mean, oh. but it was, but it was very much a like we're not like everybody else kind of mentality. You know yep. what I mean? That, like, yep. Isn't that how he is now? <laughs> yes, but and now, yeah, but without, now but without, but without the success, but without yes, like oh, he's now without the success. But I mean, okay. Here's the things that 
And he learned from his experience, obviously. But if you, I remember young Belichick. See, I'm I maybe the only one who remember, actually remembers. I don't have to watch the 30 for 30 or whatever. I remember that version of Bill Belichick. And that's the one who got rid of Bernie Kosar for changing a play that resulted in a, that resulted in a touchdown, you know. But he doesn't. He liked people checking out of plays. He didn't like – he was a control freak. I mean, he still is, obviously. But, I mean, he didn't trust his players in those days. That's the difference. This Bill Belichick, as, you know, much of a control freak as he probably still is, he, he trusts his players. He goes after guys he feels like he can trust, and then he trusts them. That wasn't yeah. the guy that you had at age 38. Let me just tell you that. Yeah. Wasn't Paul Brown a lot like that, too, too? Yes. Like, he, just, he, was, he, was like a, he was like a woman scorned if you crossed him. He was just like, it's over between <laughs> us. There's no reconciliation. <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> and, of course, the reason – you talk about sort of interesting twist in history, and, of course, as a Cincinnati guy, you probably know this, there was a promise made that Walsh was going to succeed Brown, and then he double-crossed him, um, partially because he personally didn't like Walsh. He, I mean, well, actually, he didn't like him. I should put that differently. He didn't like how much people noticed Walsh. I think it's probably a better way to put it um, when they were together with the Bengals. He, like, felt threatened by him, kind of, right? Yes. Yes, that's a good way to put it. He felt kind of threatened by him. And so he was grooming this guy to one day replace him. And then I think he felt like as – you know, I, it's sort of like a, in the Greek things where you try to, the Greek tragedy where you try to escape destiny, but the thing you do to try to escape destiny ends up bringing it to your doorstep. So he's afraid that this guy's going to one day sort of not just replace him, but outshine him. So he decides, you know, forget this. Uh, this guy's getting, you know, kicked to the curb. Give me Blanton Collier. And so when he does this, rightly, Walsh quits you know, goes away, thinks about getting out of football, in fact. How different would the world be if he'd done that? I mean, he's a bright guy. He's got a degree. He could do other things. But uh, Bengals would have two Super Bowls if he did. <laughs> yes, that's one way of looking at it. But how many Super Bowls would they have if, if uh, Paul Brown doesn't go back on his word and actually gives Walsh the job when he leaves? Uh, it's one of those things that's, it's like every true Bengals fan just like when they can't sleep at night ponders what <laughs> Ken Anderson would have been like in Bill Walsh's quote unquote Midwest offense had yes. he not gone west would be the Midwest offense. And uh they made that offense because their quarterback got hurt and they're like, Oh, we can just dink it off and be fine and um yeah, it's very the scars are very deep. But, uh, yes. right. you know, Sorry. And, and and it's just like, it's one of those things like, yeah, obviously Paul Brown, I feel like he felt threatened for him. But then like after he's, I mean, I heard, and these are all books that I've read on um, Paul Brown and Bill Walsh and the, and the things with that. But like, I heard the teams when they would call about him, he'd be like, he's an alcoholic. You can't trust mm-hmm. him. Yes, he's got a exactly. roller coaster of emotion. So <laughs> yes, he'll be able right. to handle the highs and lows of jobs. You know, so you yeah. don't want to hire him. So basically, because mm-hmm. he, you know, he was such a good coordinator, he didn't want him to leave. 
you know. So he was like, I'll stop yep. him, and then I'll make sure he takes over here. But then when people started calling him a genius, a football genius, then Paul Brown was worried, what if he succeeds my legacy and yep. outshines me? Now I don't want him to get a job at all. So it was like, yeah. and it turned out, obviously, Bill Walsh really wanted to win that first Super Bowl against the Bengals. So he got a chance the second time as well. So, uh, you know. Anyway. Well, I mean, but yeah, I think here's the thing I will say. Ken Anderson, I mean, obviously, Anyone who knows me knows. There we I, go. No, I'm not going to launch into it. I'm not going to go into that. But I think he was a really, really, really good quarterback. And when I imagine what he could have become if he had a seven, eight-year run with Bill Walsh, I think he would have been a first ballot Hall of Famer if he spent the, the core, you know, of his prime working with Bill Walsh. Because Tim he Anderson every, would have never – he would have never happened if the terrible injury of Greg Cook never happened. So, yes, that's also true, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that Greg Cook was a everyone said he together, was like the greatest, could have been the greatest quarterback ever, ever, ever. ever. Yep, and it's true. He could have. Uh, the closest thing I can think of would be to compare him to a guy like. He had a lot of the same qualities that Brett Favre had, but bigger without arm. the right. Well, I mean, about 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 the same in terms of arm. The difference was he was less likely. He he was the guy that that would say, "I don't want to put the team in a bad situation." So even though he could try to put the ball into, I mean, he could put the ball into any place he wanted to. Just about he was less likely to just try to jam it in there than a guy like Favre was. But he was a really good athlete. He moved extremely well. I mean, people throw it that way. Whatever term you want to, whoever guy you want to throw out there, who seems like a almost perfect prospect, 6'3", 225, can run, huge arm. And to cap it all off, he's from the University of Cincinnati. I know. I mean, from Cincinnati, it couldn't be more went perfect. To Cincinnati, it was like yep. the, golden, the golden child. And, yes. you know, today's modern medicine, he would have missed like five, you know, he would have been back for the next season. But then – yep. You know, there's all these wives' tales that he was, like, playing a pickup game at Cincinnati University with some college kids, and that's how he tore it again. I don't know. Well, here's what – here's I mean, here's something I've, I've read pretty extensively on this. For the first – first of all, he didn't know what it was. I mean, he just played through it for a long time. And finally, you know, it took a while. They went in there and they poked her. I mean, remember, there's no, you know, oscilloscopes. To find out what's going on, they cut you open in those days. Oh, it's called exploratory surgery. Let's see what's going on. So they cut in there, you know, it's like, oh, wow. Ugh. You know, they find adhesions and scar tissue and bits of stuff, and it's not, it's ugly. It's a bad yep. there. And the repair yeah. is just like, all right, take that out. Cut that out. Yep. Cut that. All right, we need to cut this part out here. It's cut around this to get into here. Okay. You know, right. like, and then at the end, they're like, all right, let's just slap it all together. <laughs> and then, as horrible as that sounds, Tim is frighteningly correct about exactly how it played out. So he discovered he had an injury very much akin to what happened to Drew Brees. Remember, 
the injury Drew Brees gets, right, that ends his Chargers career. He's diving on a football that's, you know, rolling towards the end zone. He's trying to prevent the other team from recovering in the end zone for a touchdown. And I can't remember who it was that came down on him. I used to know this. Um, but a linebacker uh, comes down on him. And when he gets up, he's got his arm out like this. Like, you know, he's like he's a maitre d' in a fine restaurant with a towel folder across it because he literally cannot put his shoulder down. He can't because the bottom part of the 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 ball and socket joint has the the bones pushed through the bottom of it, so it's stuck. That's similar to the injury that Cook had. Now, as you pointed out, um, and this still was a fairly scary injury even with modern medicine. So that's the other thing if you remember. I mean, there were several teams, the Dolphins amongst them, who were like, Ugh. you know, <laughs> even once even once he's had the surgery and everything, they were like, no, well, we don't feel good about it. I mean, there there was a bit of, you know, the new GM of the Chargers, which, you know, I mean, you could make conclusions if you want that he wasn't the biggest fan of Drew Brees, you know, 100%. Like, they were winning yeah. and they were successful, but there was always that sense of, you know, if we could just get a six foot five guy, you know, <laughs> right, right. It was a little taller, you know. Yeah, Maybe. can we get a big, strong guy somewhere out here to look like a quarterback? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and then this is kind of their excuse to, well, you know, you're done. He's like, well, no, I could, you know, we could do the surgery. No, no, no. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was that wasn't a question. That wasn't a, right. Yeah, and there were teams that I could be better. I could be better. No, you're done. Yeah, and I, I, I always, of course there were tons of I mean, it wasn't just the Dolphins. The Dolphins are the ones I always remember because their doctor was the one who was like went on record saying, you know, this is, and he remembered this sort of the Greg Hood <laughs> situation. So he was, you know, a guy who was like, this is a widowmaker, basically, is sort of what he said about yep. the injury. Like, this is a death sentence, you know? No. <laughs> and it was, and and it makes so. And the other thing too is, I understand people are like, oh, he's so dumb, but re- realistically. You know, again, this is a doctor of tons of experience. The only issue with old doctors, and this is something a lot of people don't know, is a lot of times old doctors aren't familiar with the new techniques and stuff. Yep, so also true. they don't always know about the new things that are better. <laughs> you know, it's just they just because they're, they're old doctors. So, you what you're saying? Well, part of it what is you're too, saying, they don't trust it. So what you're, like, what you're oh, saying, Jim, if he, if he looked at the MRIs, he looked at the x-rays, he said, there's no amount of mustard plasters um, that's going to fix this guy. Yeah, there's no new techniques. There's no nothing. I mean, in my time as a blah, 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 I, I don't know what to do here. When there obviously were other people out there that were, you know, I mean, lucky to say the least that they got to the point where they could repair it and not have, you know, as much major you know, so that he could end up still being an NFL player uh, after after it, of course. Of course, was the Saints, and then, you know, and then they went to the Super Bowl, and then, you know, all that guy. But, yeah, uh, you know, the whole history of Drew Brees, basically. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it. but if you follow the logic of a doctor at that time, old doctor, by the way, not a new doctor, old doctor, you would have agreed with it. Culpepper, that's a knee. He's a quarterback. He can throw, right? And with Drew yeah, Brees, right. that's the arm. He's done. 
every every right. quarterback that's ever had not this just sort an, of not arm, not just an arm, it's his throwing arm. Like this is the one he uses to right. throw. <laughs> and this, the team doctors a lot of times will be like, "I want to be the team doctor, so my risk is less if I just say, don't sign him," because then you can always just say, "Well, you know, he just got lucky in New Orleans that you know didn't flare back up." You know, you never know. <laughs> you, never know. you know, you know what I mean? As where if he's like, yeah, it'll be fine, and then you sign him to a six-year deal and a year and a half into it, his arm's falling off and you can't play, <laughs> then you're probably not going to be the team doctor anymore. Probably <laughs> not. That's that's also true. It, 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 it thinks people forget how much fear plays into things that happen or don't happen in the world of football. Um I think it's fascinating. I think the people, like I said, people obviously get on Al Davis, and of course, towards the end, Al Davis made himself an inviting target. What insane! Yes, well, I was going to put it quite that way, but but he he clearly had a different approach. There was a fearlessness, right or wrong, in the way he went about evaluating talent. Oh, sure. That that served he him was well right. for. 20-something-odd years, you know, from the mid-1960s. Well, from the 70s and the 80s, yeah. Yeah, from the, 60s, from the mid-1960s all the way through, yeah, so well into deep into the 80s. Formula worked. He was, he was as good as it was, you know. There oh, was, yeah. He was Forget about guy. that. But he didn't change, you know. He was, that was using, the problem. He was using sparks before Seattle knew what that was. Yep. Right. Essentially, he he was basically just saying we're going to take the best athletes and hope that we can make them good football players. And and for a while it worked. And, and it worked. The two things the two things that worked against them one is, you know, they they catch on to you what you're doing after a while, and then two, the game kept getting more and more complex, so it was harder and harder to teach these guys fast enough to make them good. <laughs> fast enough if they didn't really have a high aptitude or IQ for football. Now you've got to almost start with the football aptitude part and then hope that they're athletic enough, uh, especially at certain positions. You know, there are exceptions. I mean, Jim pointed out that the tight end position still seems to be one of those things where you can just go out and find if you're 6'6 and a super-duper freak athlete, you yep. only play a little bit of football. If you're, as a, it's one of those positions yeah. that when you look at the elite players at it, and I'm talking multiple all pro type players, um, they're all six foot five, six foot six. They all have about thirty five inch arms, and they all had some form of athleticism that was exceedingly really good. You know, um, it's it's a weird position, and you also have guys who barely played the position at all, uh, yep. like Jimmy Graham, like Antonio Gates, that end up being a superstar. Jordan, Jordan Cameron. Right? Yep. I mean, a bunch of those guys barely played. Some of them didn't really play football that hard at all, basically. How much can he say uh, of that of quarterback? I mean, you know, like, you go, hey, you can't say, find you really a quarterback can't about that any other never played quarterback and then all of a sudden did it, and he was amazing. Find a running yeah. back that never played running back through his entire you can't career. Find, you can't find someone in any other position. No other positions. It, that tight end is the exception to and almost every other rule. That, 
in the tight ends that do that, typically they're not blocking anyone. So that's half of the tight end game <laughs> is learning blocking schemes and things of that sort. But we're just going to say, you know what, you're just pretty much a receiver that we're going to line really close to our tackle and just go make plays. <clears throat> and to their credit, several of them have become at least credible. Um, and the bar has been lowered, as you pointed out, Cody. No one really expects you to be a third tackle like Orson Mobley and Gene Fugit. I mean, those guys were essentially like a third tackle. You would run to their side the same way you'd run to a tackle side. And you'd expect these guys to, you know, put a hand I mean, on his back. And many it, wasn't of them even, it wasn't even 10 years ago where almost every team carried a catching slash blocking tight end and just a pure blocking tight end. It was like when you knew that guy ran out there, you're like, they're power running at his ass right now. You knew it. <laughs> you know, you're like, they're going off the right side or the left. You could just be right. like, uh, they're probably coming at him. Right. He's but not going to catch great, any passes. But, right. The difference is that the great early <laughs> pass catching tight ends were also great blockers. Fred Arbanis, Ditka, Mac, Mackey was a elite blocker. I mean, he, people, he was a violent blocker. I mean, I, I, I wish some of these kids today could see what John Matthew looked like blocking people. I mean, he he would hurt guys blocking them. I mean, he would roll them up. I mean, good guys. I mean, people hated seeing John Matthew coming in the running game. And, of course, he's good. When they kept him in as a blocker in the past, in past pro, he was really good. Uh, I mean, if there, like I said, if there ever becomes some of these, like, like, Gronk has gotten much better at blocking. He's gotten much better, I've, yes. Eifert has improved, but neither of them. If, if there ever becomes a guy that can truly run routes like a receiver and block like a tackle, that team's going to have a very distinct advantage over well, everyone the, the, else in the NFL. The guy, I think, the guy I think is probably the closest <laughs> to it is probably Kelsey. He's a very good blocker. He's a really good athlete. He's big. His brother is an offensive lineman. Uh, they talk. They talk blocking and have been talking blocking since they were kids. You know, because if originally he played offensive line initially, and then he got moved he went to, to one of the he went to one of the best colleges in America too. Yes, he went to Cincinnati as well. Um, <laughs> And, and I fell in love with him while he was there. He was my he was my number one tight end um, at one point. Sure. I mean, I I loved him. I was like, but, but there's one one major problem. Okay. For whatever for for whatever reason, and I don't know why, Bill, Alex Smith and Travis Kelsey don't seem to like Travis Kelsey should be a lot better than what he is right now. I, I don't know why. Quarterback. But <clears throat> it's, he's he's pretty darn good, though, Jim. I mean, I know what you're saying. He's really you're good. Saying... He's a really good blocker, and he's really affecting the game that way. But it's the same thing with, like, Albert Wilson. You know, Albert Wilson is a guy that was open. I mean, every game I've seen, I've seen about two games of him, he was basically wide open yeah. down the field. Awesome. If you put, five yeah. times. If you put yeah. Brady on that team, the Kelsey would lead the league in touchdowns. 
But no, Travis I, I Kelsey is a, is a really good tight end. Uh, he's, yes. he's super, super athletic. His yep. athleticism is actually pretty close to Jimmy Graham. You know? Yep. I was so sad when Kansas City drafted him, I was like kind of disappointed because I thought he was actually kind of just not do anything because of it because I was just huh. so worried. That, like, you know, I mean, not that Alex Smith is awful, but one of his biggest problems is like arm strength and – throwing down the seam, and it's like, that's what Kelsey brings is blocking and then running the seam. So it's like, it's kind of like, well, now he's just going to block. He's not going to really be effective as a pass catcher. But he's been effective, you know. He's been Obviously, effective. he's been very good. But um, I think if he gets a, a quarterback that can help him out a little bit more, I mean, we saw what Macklin did last year versus this year, and – you know, his quarterback was Nick Bowles last year, and it was still better. <laughs> <clears throat> it's 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 funny when you say it that way. Yes, um, the the fact is, it's a fascinating position to study because of what Jim just mentioned. You you get tight ends from all different kinds of like you don't see. It's not dominated by the SEC. I mean, there are some SEC tight ends, you know, who are having careers, but look at the top, top guys. I mean, of course, Gronk's from Arizona. There's some, you know, some Pac-12 guys. There's guys from, you know, uh, the AAC. There's Portland guys State, from, Cincinnati. Right, Portland State. So guys who didn't even play uh, college State. football. Wasn't Julius Thomas go to, like, Jackson State or something? No, Portland. Portland State. Portland. Portland. In fact, he was, he, was, he was on their basketball team that went to uh, – the NCAA tournament. Oh, that's right. All right, Portland State and Miami. Miami was turning them out. For a while, Miami was a factory when it came to tight ends. They were tight in you for a while there. Notre Dame's been the factory of disappointing tight ends until I first. Yes, that's the team they were. They've been, I mean, to be fair, they haven't been (laughs) awesome. They haven't, I mean, Dave Cat, you know, Casper. Yeah, Dave Casper was great, obviously. The great uh, one. And he was another, and but, he's another guy who could really block. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, disappointing I mean, because, like, when they got drafted, you're like, oh, this guy might be great. It's just kind of like, oh, no, well, I, no, I do better. <laughs> well, but, but, they've I, been, but they've been starters, at least. Yeah, I mean, Ty, yeah. Eifert is, you know, he had, you know, I mean, you know, you know, he finally started to really turn on this year. Uh, I mean, he, he really had a couple has injuries here. I mean, he, this is only his third season. His rookie season, he was behind Gresham, so they really didn't get that many snaps, and he was dealing with some injuries. And then obviously he lost all of last year. But, right. you know, and he would have broken Gronk's record this year, except for Mike, Mike Miller, or Mike Mitchell's the dirtiest player in the NFL. <laughs> that guy leaves with the crowd. I mean, like, I, I tweeted a picture of him on his quote unquote tackle of, uh, and both of his hands are like in his pockets on his hip and he's just got his helmet diving at him. Like you don't even, he doesn't even have his hands out as like he's pretending he's trying to tackle him. He's diving at his head. So pathetic. NFL, here's, I'll go on my soapbox and say the NFL should change their rules for hitting the head and targeting if they truly care about player safety and concussions, they should adopt the same rule that college has. Review it. If you targeted, 
he's gone for four quarters because that's the only way they're going to stop it. You find somebody who makes $5 million a year, 20 grand, he doesn't care. Right. As you pointed out, he may drop that at a gentleman's club on a Thursday night. So right. that and, may not have <laughs> And it affects the Bengals. Now the Bengals have lost him for that game and another game and however many ever more games before he gets out of concussion protocol. And yet Mitchell pays twenty grand and he's ready for the next game. It's like if you were any NFL coach and you're like, Hey, you, uh, you, you see it, that's worth pay. it. That's right, you yeah. see that's that's worth it. Buddy the Ryan like, hey, back in the day have, Buddy Ryan would say, You're at a boy. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it's like if you're an NFL coach and they came up to you and like, Hey, uh your safety has to pay twenty grand but the other team's best tight end uh target, he can't play today. They would write the check right there. They don't <laughs> care, you know. I mean like you have to do something to prevent the action because money is not gonna prevent it. Right, right. Well, if they the really wanna yeah. say player safety is their key. Well, it's kind of their key because of the, you know, how the public, I mean, feels yeah. about it. Right. Um, if player safety was really the grand their scheme key, of there'd, things, be no, there'd be no Thursday night games not that player important. safety would care about. I mean, right. if they right. didn't have to pay all the lawyers and stuff to fight the stuff, they wouldn't, which they didn't. Uh, I mean, you know, and as far as how they view players, not to say that they're not human beings, but they do, you know, it's a price tag, right? You know, and, Ah, right, we lost our start tight end. Well, we'll draft another one, you know, in the next draft. You know, yeah, I mean, the we'll problem is the NFL, the NFL will save quarterbacks to the end because they know, like, that's what people, the casual fan, tunes into. But That's your crown eventually, Yeah, but yep. eventually it's like when you knock out all the weapons for a team, that's garbage product no matter who's the quarterback. And when you have players – like Mike Mitchell, whose entire repertoire is just headhunting, and he, he's awful at – I mean, he gets beat so many times because he can't tackle, and he goes to try to knock him out, and he whips, and they score. But the Steelers play him because, you know, every other game he knocks a key player out by just ear-holing him with the crown of his helmet. I mean, he's the guy that, you know, last year he's the guy that ear-holed A.J. Green and cost him the rest of his season. But he's realized that and taken the concussion protocol to his advantage. He's like, as soon as they get popped, I know they're not coming back in this game, and they might miss another game. That's a win for us. You know, and they get mad at perfect. And, and that, that, that game was dirty on both sides. Both teams were, like, literally trying to hurt each other. But um, Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, a, like, it's a rivalry, obviously, and there was a scuffle. Um, yeah, you and know. one of the Steelers guys told Burfecht on Twitter he was going to kill him if he saw him. So, of course, he's going to yep. come at him. And <laughs> I've tweeted a picture of Matt Spaeth, quote-unquote, block, out on a touchdown throw late in the game. He basically just dove at Burfecht's knee and grabbed yeah. it and yeah. tucked it in. And it's like, well, no wonder Burfecht's coming at you guys because every play somebody's hitting him late, diving at his knees supposedly trying to block him. Like, you don't block by wrapping the guy's leg up. But nobody's made any noise about Matt Spaeth taking out Burfitt because he doesn't play quarterback. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things that work there, obviously. This is a game that every year, you know, whether it be Ray Maluga, you know, trying to, you know, 
throttle somebody. I mean, every year that game, somebody does something to someone in that yep. game. Every year. every year, like last year, we basically erased either team's chances of winning in the playoffs by injuring each other. <laughs> yes. The Bengals took out Bell. Healthy. The Steelers took out A.J. Green. It was like both teams were already depleted. Now they just had nothing. They both got whitewashed the next week. <laughs> yeah, it's it's old time football. If you wonder what it is, Cody. I mean, I, I as you said, I've been doing this a long time. But this is how it used to always be. You know, I mean, I'll never forget watching. You know what the Bears used to do to people when their defense was great, or you know the Buddy Ryan Eagles defenses were just marauders. And of course, speaking of marauding, marauder marauding. Uh, I mean, God, I mean, I, I when I when George Atkinson and you know the assassin. I mean. Think about what the game used to be like. There were guys with nicknames like Dr. Death and the Assassin, you know, <laughs> back in the old days. There's nobody I'm, quite like that. Hey, I, know I think- love it. And I, I talk to, like, friends that, like, you know, that I respect. Like, there's plenty of Steeler fans, and I'm just like – and on Twitter, I, like, probably muted, like, 30 people this week when it's like, you tweet something out, and they're like, Burfuck's just dirty, and he's a thug. I'm like, yeah, he's such a thug. He gave away, like, 100 bikes to kids this week. Like, you're an idiot whatever. Um, my point is, like, he plays dirty on the field, but you don't like him because he plays like a stealer. Like, yes. you guys do the and same stuff. And they would stuff, love so... him if they would love yes. him if they had him. And you would, and you'd find a way to be okay with Mike Mitchell if you had him on your team as well. Now, you would I, love him. The thing him, is, like, but... like when, when James Harrison left the Steelers, went to the Bengals, I was funny. I found this dude's Twitter, and he's like, James Harrison's such a dirty player. And then, like, I scrolled down his stream, like, to the year before, like, God, I love James Harrison. He's, he just crushes <laughs> exactly. people. I'm like, yes. dude, like, it, it's it's obvious, but, like, I'm fine with it being old school football. We know in the AFC North that things are going to get that way. Just I hate that the national media paints the Steelers as some, like, picturesque organization. Oh, like, Stephen A. Smith was, Oh, you know, perfect should be out of the league, and I'm like, did you not see oh, the other plays in that game? Like, get wow. out of here, go, go back to NBA. You should not be doing NFL. Yeah, well, well, I, I respect Stephen A. Smith, but he does not know anything about football. I have great respect for him, but he's not a football. Guy. He goes, perfect should be out of the league for good, and I'm like, he's never been suspended for a play, but yet you're just going to say his career is over. <laughs> Foolish. Uh, honestly, though, Cody. I mean, just to be honest. I think the Bengals are the criminal element of the NFL. I mean, they <laughs> they obviously play that way. So, right. <laughs> right. He's, he's kidding. I, I won't they, let you. I won't let you push my buttons. I've already <laughs> muted enough people for one week. <laughs> no, he's he's clearly kidding. Uh, I know. I know. The, well, it was funny. This guy was like. Uh, Bengals are a bunch of thugs, and they're always arrested. I'm like, dude, the Steelers have had more people arrested in the last five years. And he's like, name one. I'm like, do you not remember your starting running back not playing the Both two games of this two, season? Two, two of your starting running back. <laughs> and he goes, well, what does play here? Smoking it up together. What doesn't play here? Well, he did when he got arrested. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Pac-Man Jones is a thug. And I'm like, do you remember your backup quarterback as Michael Vick? I just want to be sure. That you know that. Okay. <laughs> come on. If you want to talk about Adam, Adam Jones is a complex individual, is what I will say. First of all, he's way smarter than people think. I mean, I don't just mean football smart. 
he was a really good student in school, both high school and college. Uh, here's a guy that had like an 1,100 SATs, was a B-plus student. I mean, it doesn't fit with people's image of him, and both things are true. He is a guy who, you know, at one point was very well known to carry a gun pretty much at all times and have 20 grand in cash somewhere on his person pretty much at all times. Both things are but true. But since he's been to Cincinnati, he's been fairly clean. He's had a couple yeah. minor run-ins. Minor. Like yeah. before. And he's, like, definitely changed his life. And, like, that's what they talk about, uh, how he's doing so well at age 32. He's like, well, I actually started, like, really studying film. And like you said, very smart. So once he started yep. doing it, I don't know if you heard uh, in the St. Louis game, when they, uh, I think it was Iloka got the pick, he, like, jumped the route on the play before, broke it up, but didn't catch it. And the receiver was like, how'd you know it was a check down? How'd you know? You know our calls, don't you? And, and then he just smiled at him, and then he went up to Iloka, and he's like, hey, then this time when they kill it, he's gonna, it's going to be a bluff. So just run over there. They're going to throw it deep. I'm going to fake it. And so he purposely faked like he was biting on it again so that they would throw the deep ball and they got to pick on it. It's like, you know, he walked over to Iloka. He's like, make sure you get there. Don't make me look stupid. Like, they're going to throw it deep. I'm going to – like, so the quarterback thought, oh, we got him. But really, he was playing him the whole way. It's like, you got to be pretty smart to know that they're going to kill it on the next play and it be a bluff. Yeah, well, he, like I said, he's an extremely smart player. And – you know, one we would talk about, you know, what could have been. We always wonder what could have been if he had, you know, been had the same sort of approach 10 years ago. But the fact is, the guy is, as you pointed out, he, he's now approaching the game with a, a greater level of seriousness. He's approaching it from a, you know, more of a student of the game aspect. And he's going to, like Terrence Newman, hang around for another four or five years if he continues to play well and if he continues to bring along the young guys with him, which I think he has the capability of doing. So there's some interesting stuff happening bowl-wise. Obviously, we're about to dive into bowl season, and there's a bunch of really good prospects playing in some of these games. Now, not all of them feature a lot of great prospects. One of the games that I am, like, super excited about is a game that used to be played every year. It was played every year from like 1905 until 2013. And what you call the Holy War. And when people talk about great rivalries, Army, Navy, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, UCLA, USC, one of the great rivalries, especially in the part of the country where it took place, was BYU-Utah. It divided families, it divided towns, it divided offices, it divided, I mean, it, was a, it wasn't a dirty rivalry, but it was an ugly rivalry. You know, uh, two, these two schools basically used to divide, I mean, Utah State has sort of reemerged after being, you know, good a long time ago, Bernal Nolson and back in those days, and then kind of falling off the base of the earth. Uh, now it's kind of back, but for a long time. Utah football was those two places, <clears throat> was Utah, BYU. And they warred for the soul, basically, of the state. You know, with BYU being the official 
school of the LDS church. And then Utah still, you know, their program, most of their sports, most of the, not all, but a large percentage of the kids are also members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But they were sort of looked down upon, you know. <laughs> if you were really good LDS, you'd be over here. You went there because, you know, they're softer on morals. They're, I mean, you don't have to sign the, you know, the honor code and everything like you do at BYU. And, and they and, actually enforce, enforce it, which is Oh, they're not kidding around. No, no, if you're drinking a soda, you know, you're, you're suspended. You know, so, yeah, they don't mess around there. And if you're living with your girlfriend or whatever, that's it. You're done. You know, so, yeah. Yes, they take it very, very seriously. Now you can get married young, which a lot of the guys and young ladies do there so they can you know, they, they're fine with you being married. But, yeah, you can't be premarital, no. Smoking, no. Caffeine, no. You know, it's a long list of no's. So, you know, first of all, good on everybody who's managed to build a really strong program there despite all those restrictions. You know, Liddell Edwards and then eventually, obviously, Bronco Mendenhall has now moved on. And we'll see, you know, who's coming along next because uh, Ken Niamatololo apparently has decided – you know, to, speaking of another school, he's at a school now that has an honor code as well, though it's a slightly different honor code, but we'll see what happens with them next. But Mendenhall's going to coach this one last game. And then you have Whittingham, who is also uh, a member of the, you know, the LDS faith and ironically could be a target of BYU. We'll see what happens, like I said, with all of this. Uh, because BYU, in addition to the other restrictions, their coaches in all of their sports have to be active members of the church. Mm-hmm. Of the church. Are you saying so that, they can't, is he saying that Winningham's gonna sell out? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, I'm not saying I don't know I don't think I don't think Winningham's gonna leave actually. But I know that once again, their pool is a relatively small one. They can only go after a certain group of coaches. You know, so you know, Norm Chow, but Norm Chow is I think, you know, a little long in the tooth and probably settling into a nice little retirement. But, I mean, there's only a certain number of really successful coaches or even, you know, I mean, there's only a certain number of coaches out there who are members of the church who are really good football coaches. Now, there are some, you know, uh, so there's a few. (laughs) But you can't not have winning him on your list, I would think, even though, like I said, it's unlikely he would come over. But this is a fascinating game on a bunch of different levels. First of all, there's some really good players. Uh, So you've got yeah, unfortunately, Taysom Hill, you know, his football career is probably at an end, so we don't get a chance to see him anymore. But this kid, Mango, man, I almost wish Donver were here because this is a guy that was, you know, I think 2013 was his, his, his year, his high school, you know, he graduated from high school, but was a top 10 nationally ranked quarterback coming out. And it had been a while since BYU had gotten one of the, those guys. They had been, obviously, a quarterback factory in the 70s, 80s and, and into the 90s, and it started sort of drop off. Then uh, they thought they'd sort of gotten back on the map when Jay Keeps went there, and then, you know, turned out not to be the case. But this kid looks like the real deal. And Utah still has a very good defense. Very good defense. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if BYU can establish, first of all, he's a running game. And unfortunately, uh, Booker is hurt. So that's, that sort of brings some of the sheen off of it from an NFL draft standpoint. But Travis Wilson's an interesting guy. He can look 
positively awful at times. I mean, just terrible. Like, how are you still starting? Terrible. And then other times, you see flashes, glimmers, whatever term you want to use, where you get a little bit of excitement. Like, hmm, hmm. Uh, his arm isn't super strong, but he can make most of the throws. His accuracy is extremely inconsistent, though. There are times when he's, it's funny, being a tight game, you know, two-minute offense kind of situation. And, you know, I guess the term people use is rhythm pass. You know, team, the other team's blitzing a lot. He's under pressure. And he's just drilling, you know, balls in there, you know, back shoulder fades and deep outs and, you know, digs and comebacks. And it just looks great. And then other times in a game where they're just beating the daylights of another team, he'll just miss flat routes badly. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. He's just hard to read. <clears throat> when he's on, he can be very impressive. When he's off, he's literally hard to watch. But part of it, I think, has to do with length. I mean, height. He's probably close to legitimately six foot seven, six six, and a lot of change, I think. And so the mechanics, what might be a small mechanical issue on a quarterback who's, you know, six one and three quarters. You add an extra half foot of levers, you know, links in various places, and I guess those small mechanical issues get exacerbated. So, Jim, in terms of BYU and Utah, uh, despite the fact that both teams are missing some of the, you know, sort of headliners that they started the year with, who are some of the players you're interested in or excited about who might be playing for either either or both teams? Sure. Um... You know, I think on on, on BYU at least, uh, you know, Bronson Fusi uh, is, of course, because he does, he does look a little. I'd say I'm not going to say Mormons are stiff, but the BYU players typically are stiff for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> it's all that. It's all least, that religion, I guess. That, I guess. Maybe.
Tim, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was talking about K. Uh, I think K. Nakua, a Nakua. I think Nakua. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He he's he's a little interesting, um, a little bit, but um, yeah, that's about. I mean, at least for BYU, that's about it. At least for me, a hundred percent. For Utah, though, I'm a little more excited about a bunch of people. Really excited about Devontae Booker. Really underrated in this class. I don't understand why people don't like him. Um, Really good receiving. uh, Really, tape-wise, looked like Duke Johnson on tape. is what he looked like to me. Uh, If you put Duke Johnson in a red sort of uh, jersey and, you know, did all that kind of – made him a Utah player, he would look like that. Uh, But a better receiver than Johnson, he would. Um, to a certain extent. So, I mean, he's he can do everything you want uh, NFL running back to do. Am I saying he's a first-rounder? No, I'm not saying he's a first-rounder. Uh, am I saying he's a guy that if you get the second round or day two, you get a steal? Absolutely. Um, one thing that I will warn you guys of is that closer to draft time, ageists, as I like to call them, will go, <laughs> he's going to be 24 on draft day. Did you know? Did you know he's going to be 24? Well, I'm I'm telling you now because there's gonna be ages people that are gonna come out and in droves going he's gonna suck he's 24 years old all that kind of stuff. Uh, Thomas Jones was 24 years old when he entered the NFL and Thomas yep. Jones, you know, had a pretty decently long career. Ten thousand plus yards, man. That's a yeah. pretty exclusive club. I think 20. And beat out a top five pick as well. You know, also for carries. Yep. Um, so, I mean, he, he had a very long career, got to 10,000 yards, which is a very rare feat as well. Uh, and he was 24 years old when he entered. Um, so I – and he also had a ton of carries as well in Virginia. So all these people, again, the, the mileage argument is complete and utter BS. Yep. Now, the carry argument, the carry about, oh, well, he had 46 carries over the past five games or whatever – that might be interesting to look into, but there's no – I don't have the data for that yet. And that's obviously something that's going to be a little harder to get a hold of. You know, because I'm going to have to go to each individual player and get all their carry numbers and stuff like that. But the pure being run into the ground kind of argument doesn't really apply. And I know people talk about Monty Ball, and they're like, well, Monty Ball sucks. That had nothing to do with the fact that he led the you know college football in rushing. He just was Monty Ball. He always was Monty Ball. Like, just because he ran a ton and at Wisconsin didn't make him into this bust of a running back. So, right. Ron uh, Dane was, he was a bust a, he was because. He was a perfect fit for their system. Right. Right. Like, Ron Dane wasn't a bust because he had a bunch of carries. Ron Dane was a bust because he was a big, but not super powerful running back who couldn't make people miss. He's a Metro yeah. bust. Yep. Yes, there you go, Metro bust. That's well put. A very, <laughs> very big. A very big and white moving object. Close, like, close starting, not doing anything really, but <laughs> if it has to keep moving in the same direction, it might. And those jumps, I got to say, those like little hops, if you will, you know, forward, awesome. You know, the Ron Dane hops were really cool. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, th- that's just the thing is you're not proving causation. That's the biggest thing anyway is, when you when you say running back has a ton of carries and oh look at that Le'Veon Bell you know oh, look at all the carries and all that kind of stuff he's injured yeah he's there and Matt Forte's there and 
Thurman Thomas is there, and Barry Sanders is there, and Ladane Thomas is you know, there. And Jim Smith, Smith had a whole bunch of carries coming out of Florida, yeah. just people are wondering. Exactly. So I'm just saying Devontae Booker is the age a little worse, I'm sure, but if you're taking him in the day two, what's the big deal? I don't know. That's just me. Um, I think he can do a lot of he, – he, to me, he's a top five running back in this class, which some mm-hmm. people would say is, you know, a weaker class. But, you know, I, I do think that he's worthy of that consideration because he can do everything. You know, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you'd love Devontae Booker. If you're a team, if you're the Raiders, you'd love Devontae Booker. Like, you – I mean, I, I know you're kind of a Latavius Murray guy, but I'm more so – Broncos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or the Broncos, definitely. I mean, they. I mean, they have. They have the weirdest bunch of running backs ever. I mean, at one point they Giants. had Monty Ball, Ronnie Hillman, and C.J. <laughs> Anderson. That's a weird. And Juwan James or James Juwan. Yeah, uh, Juwan Thompson. Thompson. Isn't I mean, it yeah. kind of weird yeah. though? How many some teams have two good backs, and so many teams have no good backs? Yes. I mean, I don't think I've That's ever it seen it like this, where it's like, wow. You could really get rid of one of your backs and be okay, and the other teams are like, "You have nothing. You have nothing worth value to anyone besides yourself." <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, it's like that. As far as Travis, man, Wilson the goes, Giants, the Giants would love to have Devontae right? Booker because they got nothing. Oh, yep, man, <laughs> Booker nothing. and Odell Beckham to build behind. Woof. I mean, let me just say, I should say they have nothing, but their best running back is a kid named Orleans Darkwell, who they probably should make their number one running back. But um, they won't. But, but they he doesn't won't. have the name, so they can't. Yeah, <sighs> they're like or, Orle, Orleans Darkwell. What is he like? Uh, is he, you know, a city or something? So, like, so, sounds like a FEMA funny. situation. Sounds like a FEMA situation. It's Darkwell in Orleans. What what's funny is when other guys get hurt in that one game where he got all the carries like the fourth quarter he tore it up. Yeah, he went for 106 like, yards uh, on something like 15 carries. Yeah, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's go ahead and put him back to third string. He's not doing too well. <laughs> I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated. <laughs> like, what what did he have to do? I'm sure that's what he was thinking too. Like, what do I have to do? You know, Jeff not be from Tulane. What are your guys' thoughts on uh, EOC uh, Iono? I think that's how you say his name, the center for Utah. Obviously, uh, as uh, Bill knows, I'm a part-time guy, so I kind of tailor my stuff to most of my audience, which is Bengals and their needs. So I think uh, one of the places we could greatly improve is our not so great pick of Russell Bodine, who hasn't measured as they thought he would, even though he had fifty thousand. Hey, bench hey, he benched out. a lot. He benched yeah, a lot. Very even though he, he was Hall of Fame of benching. <laughs> you know, he's so strong, except for functionally, he can't move a wet paper bag. But anyway, so obviously, one of the guy, one of the positions I'll be looking at this year is center. So one of the guys I kind of have. Watched briefly, and I'm just I, – I told Bill, I, I just switched jobs, so I'm just kind of getting into it um, this year. But uh, he's a guy I have my eye on, and the guy from Missouri, Boheme, uh, just because Boheme's got that mean streak. So I didn't know what your guys' thoughts were if you watched uh, – I think you're saying that right. C-O-C-I-O-N-O? 
Yeah, that's Very about right, I believe. Yeah. Close enough. Well, they're, yeah. they're, they're both guys that can be had day three in my mind. Both guys can be had day three. Um, it, it, it depends this, on... I think that's where the Bengals are going to look, too. Uh, it depends on what you want in your center. Do you do you want a guy who can potentially pull and even lead out on uh, screens and, and, and stretch plays and things like that, a guy who can really run? Then you don't want the Utah kid, if that's what okay. you want. The, the kid from Missouri can run a little bit. Yeah, so it comes down to that. typically don't pull their centers. They usually pull the guards. That's why their guards are typically fairly athletic. Um even though Seitler was kind of not that pick for them, he pulls pretty well for a big guy. Um, but, yeah, typically they're not moving their guards too much. Uh, they actually randomly uh, will pull them, but not as often as um, as some teams. They don't pull as much as a lot of the teams do. Okay. If you just Especially with the want, centers. Right. If you just want a, quote-unquote, mauler, what's the term people like to use, knife fighter, uh SMB. Uh, road road grader, pick your road grader. Um, you know, uh, a guy nasty who can play person. right nasty plays in a phone booth. Then you're not fine very athletic, with, but chip on his right. shoulder, right? And he eats the um, chip occasionally. Then actually, you have a lot of choices at center if that's what you want. If that's what yeah. you want, if you do want an athlete, I mean, a guy you want can everything. Actually, well, I'll put right. it this way, Bill. If you want your offensive line to be able to do everything, you're less less you're limited. There's not as many guys out there. If you want your offense to just have the center just be the guy that's you know, I mean, can you snap the ball? Yes. Can you you know, not get blown you know, put on skates into the quarterback? That's <laughs> yeah. a plus obviously. It's uh, lots of that happens, yeah. It's a plus. Uh I you'd be surprised <laughs> how many centers get drafted uh, to places and or even starters that get put on skates and it doesn't scare it probably does scare them but like again what what do they do like they I don't know they just kind of have this mentality right. of you know well this is going to happen this is what centers do and it's like well no there's <laughs> other centers out there that don't yeah. do this what am I going to do Vince Wilford's very mean and large sometimes he's going to just pick me up and throw yeah. me into you that happens but, all I would say about, I mean, the Utah guys, I mean, yeah, he's he's a tough guy. Um, not the most powerful guy, even though he is a slow guy. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, Missouri guys off are a little... List. Off my list, then. The biggest problem yeah. the Bengals have is everyone else in the division plays a 3-4. So whoever lines up at center is getting 330 uh, minimum. Well, you need tall of, guys. Well, you need to look for tall Six guys. Six times a week. Yeah. Well, centers. well, and that's the problem is, like, you, you're typically ending up going against someone who's 330 pounds minimum. So you would prefer, myself, would prefer a little bit more compact at the center position so that it's harder for those big guys to get leverage on them because typically that's the weak spot on those big guys is staying low when they're trying to drive somebody, but uh, yeah, Bodine just stands up and gets thrown on his butt three times a game. Well, you know, after the show, I could share you Bodine's workout numbers if you'd like to know. Not not the bench, but the other ones. Yeah. So, 
the not well, flattery. Well, we weren't the guys. There's, there's myself and then two other guys that do a lot of the Bengals stuff. Or, and the guy that does exclusively offensive line for us, like, he hated Bodine. He hates uh, Oboehe, too. He didn't hate him, but we had, like, a third-round grade on him just because, mm-hmm. you know, basically you just drafted a right tackle because when he moved to left tackle, he really struggled, and he was injured. That's pretty close, though. I mean, uh, from the testing numbers I got on him, you know, it was internal, though, so not 100% accurate. Texas like kind of like DJ Fluker, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing was we were like, okay, but but then it ended up turning out because Fisher fell to them in a second, who, speaking with the Bengal scout, the only guy that I knew at the time, uh, he was like, yeah, we got a first-round grade on him. We really like Fisher, so. Like when they came up on the board and Fisher was there in the first, I was like, "This could be Jake, you know, it could be uh, Fisher," and everyone's like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah." So I heard they really like him, and then they're like, "Uh, Oblihi," and I'm like, "They're like, uh, he's not on your first page." I'm like, "Yeah, he's down a little bit on my board." <laughs> so when they uh, was there in day two, it was kind of funny because I was like, "No way they take him now because they just did," but I mean, they're true BPA, you know. They just pick the best player every time, which, you know, it turns out to work out for them because it looks like they got Whitworth to a small extension. They'll probably hand the right tackle over to a way he and then uh, keep using Fisher as kind of a extra lineman, and then hopefully he takes over in a couple years. But um, Or I mean, they, this is another thing that could happen. A boy, he doesn't work out at right tackle, and then Jake Fisher starts at right tackle. Right, but I, I, well, I'll just tell you what I think their plan is. <laughs> is a boy, he right? I mean, like, oh, I'm sure that's their plan. I mean, they drafted a boy in the first round, so that's always that's their, the problem. Me. Is Marvin Lewis will not let himself look stupid in year one. So <laughs> I could I could see him playing a boy he over Fisher next year. Oh. I mean, that's what happens. I mean, I'm a, I, I, I understand that. I mean, hey, Trey Jackson was above Shaq Mason for you know good bit of time on the Patriots, but but I always win. So at least when it comes <laughs> to predicting things at times. So yeah, I mean that's what they're gonna do, and I hate to say that because I always have the mentality of, and I know that they have a different mentality than me, but I always have the mentality of you just wasted six eight weeks of time to realize that the guy was a mistake and then you, but you were lucky enough to have the other guy on the team, right. That could come yeah. in and, and fix that mistake. So, but that's I'm, the way I look at it though, is yeah. like you draft offensive tackles back to back and one of them turns out to be good. You won. That's that's yeah, sure. But you could also have gotten, you know, I know we somebody, could have gotten a lot of something well, really good there. in the first round, but it's okay. Like maybe a guy that I really like in uh, uh, now his name's gonna slip my mind. The uh, linebacker from Clemson, Stephon Anthony. Oh, Stephon. Oh. I would. I will have to say I was one of the early, early on people that loved him. So he's doing pretty well there in New Orleans. Now it's really early to take him. I've, apparently the Bengals had an offer for to trade back in the first with Arizona because they wanted to get ahead of somebody in, in draft. I don't know who it was, but I would have taken that deal. But they were worried someone was going to take Obey, which I wasn't. But 
<laughs> but hey, hey, I heard that there's a good punter in this uh in this Utah BYU game. There is a great punter in the Utah BYU game. Uh Tom Hackett is in fact the leader of like the punting community. I mean, I'm only half kidding when I say that. Uh he is the punter that other punters look to when that kid, I can't remember his name now, but the Michigan State kid who who dropped the ball and, you know, lost the game. And, I mean, I mean, Michigan kid. kid, Michigan kid, Michigan kid, Michigan. Um, the guy that came to, you know, sort of rode to his defense was Tom Hackett, you know. And uh, Tom Hackett is, of course, Australian-born, about six foot six. I mean, he's a big old thing. And he can kick the ball forever. But he's also accurate. Um, Like a lot of the Australian guys, unlike a lot of the American punters nowadays, um, but like many of the Australians, he can put the ball pretty much where he wants to put it. He can do directional. He can, you know, he's not just a guy who kicks the ball a country mile. He's not just Todd Sauerbrunn, you know, who just kicks it as hard as he can and we'll see where it goes. Um, He actually can put the ball, you know, he can cough and kick it. You know, cough and corner it. He can, you know, kick away from a dangerous return guy. He can do lots of stuff like that. Well, uh, I was going to say, when we were talking about kickers, I was going to say one of the things that's changed the kickers, especially the punters, is that uh, all the Australian people that came over here, I don't know if uh, – uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Bill, but when I moved to L.A., one of my friends played Australian rules. So I played Australian rules like the last six, seven oh. and a half years out here. So I understand the differences in the game, but it's really weird because, like, those guys that come over here, like, their Australian friends kind of clown them because they don't get contact, like, if they're good Australian players, like, you don't wear a pad. You get lots of contact, yes. There's right. plenty of contact in that game. Uh, my wife yeah. and I was like, you're crazy. You're 32. You can't be playing this game anymore. I'm like, all right, <laughs> fair enough. Like, last year I got, like, tackled and my back thrown out and all this stuff. But yep. she's like, you're getting too old for this. But, like, I mean, that's why, like, Pat McAfee's, like, smashing dudes on punt returns because, I mean, he's not scared. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a completely different style of kicking but when you kick yes. like that, if you learn how to do it on a regular, you know, American football, the control you have is really crazy. Like, obviously, when I first started playing, not very good. But, like, after, like, a year, I mean, I could I could do a drop kick in a, you know, five-meter radius pretty consistently. So these guys can basically just put it down there within – 10 yards because, I mean, in Australian rules, they're kicking to their teammates, so they need it to be right. so it's catchable. <laughs> right. So to them, it's easier to catch end over end, but as American football players, we're not used to that, so it makes it very <laughs> difficult. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think those those punters and kickers that come over from Australia have a huge advantage because a lot of times you end up seeing, like, punt returns. The one guy that can spoil any good punt return is your punter. At least save the right. touchdown. Right. Um, Hassett, if I remember correctly, won the Ray Guy Award. In fact, he's a two-time Ray Guy Award winner, if memory serves correctly. So yep. I think I think you might be the only one who's ever won it twice. Of course, it is a, one of the newer awards, but I think he's the only two-time winner. He is a tremendous yep. punter. Um, he's 
like I said, power, accuracy, sense of humor. I don't know if sense of humor uh, is something that people, you know, bother scouting, but he's got a great he's hilarious. He's a Donovan, very funny dude. Donovan loved him at that. At that uh, Donovan he said he loved him. Funnier than Connor Cook. You know, he's he, like, he had people pretty funny. Yeah, he had people rolling, you know, I'm a fat guy at heart. and all these, He had a bunch of really good lines. But, um, so he's, but it was he's in a good, an Australian accent. You know, it was like, good day, good day mate. I'm really – The best part about anyone who says anything about Australia, the first thing they say is, good day, mate, go shrimp on the barbie. And, like, I've known, like, so many Australians for, like, six years, and I've probably heard them say, throw a shrimp on the barbie eight times. It's always making fun of Americans talking about this. <laughs> they do say they do say mate every other word. Like, hey, they mate. do say mate, and they do say and they say no worries a lot. You do get a lot of no, no worries. worries. Yeah. No worries. No worries, mate. But they never say shrimp on the Barbie. But unless they're making fun of Americans, like, oh, my one Australian <laughs> friend when he was getting his U.S. citizenship, he was like super nervous about it. He married this American girl. And uh, he's like, the funniest part about it was, I was all nervous. We go into the interview room, and the guy's like, hey, man, is Crocodile Dundee real? He's like, that's when I knew I was getting my visa. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I can't imagine that. But anyway, fun side story. I sidetracked this again. You're not no, going to invite okay. me back. No, okay. no. I, we we love the sidetrack. Your sidetrack, <laughs> we've had lots of ones, but they're better than Isaiah's. Isaiah's here to defend himself, but um, but yes, there's there's always a side tracker, and yours are good. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I do it myself. I've I've driven my own truck in the minutes many times, but yes, he is a he is he's he's one of the best prospects in my mind in the game actually, and there are teams that'll start discussing him probably in the fourth round compensatory. I was gonna say fifth. Yeah, but right. Heard. But fourth yeah. round compensatory, fifth. Yeah, right around there. But you know, you know, somebody in the third round is going to be like, "Let's get a slice of that Tom Hackett." You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know one of the great guy is, uh, The thing that just kind of got swept under the rug, but I think it's a big deal is now that they're letting teams possibly trade the compensatory picks. Yeah, that's I a big that's, thing, actually. I, I think that's big. You know, like. It's huge Obviously, because think about what drink, like, Belichick's going like, to do. Yeah. <laughs> Belichick is going to be like, like, I can do anything. <laughs> you have to think like the years like the Ravens after the Super Bowl, they had like four compensatory picks, like two-thirds, fours, and the six or something yep. crazy. But it's like when you have three third-round picks, like two of which you did nothing for, you could easily get back into the first round for basically nothing. Like, yeah. you get somebody three third-round picks, they're probably going to be like, all right, we'll walk away from this late first-round pick, but really you're only giving up your third-round pick. So, I mean, like, it, I think it really opens up a lot for teams oh, in those years. It's when huge. In those years when you end up with, like, you know, a bunch of them, and, and maybe it's like one year when you when you got like two or three six round picks, you can maybe easily move up in a round earlier, which may not make a huge difference to most people. But just a guy you have your eye on, knowing that those six round compensatory picks don't really matter to you, you move up, get the guy you want, and those picks that you would have probably cut that a team that 
maybe starving for talent will take. I, I mean, I think it's a big deal, and it's like obviously besides the draft community, everyone's like, oh, whatever. But I mean, <laughs> I when I saw that, I was like, that's awesome. I wish it would have happened yep. last year. Well, right. There's two or three teams that are really going to take advantage of it. I'm, I'm just assuming that the Patriots will be one of them because they're good at finding little advantages. That's basically their, like if they, whatever that would be in Latin, that would basically be the Patriots' model. They already did the study. They Patriots. already did the study. <laughs> they already know what to do. I bet they do. I bet they run computer models. And I mean, I'm certain they've already got a strategy in place. The, there's going to be two or three teams that really know what to do with them, and then other teams are going to get hornswoggled. Confused. They're not going to know what to do. <laughs> the worst part is the teams that don't know what they're doing are going to get fleeced for, like, 10 yeah. years before. <laughs> like, the Cowboys came out with the draft value chart, right? But before yeah. that, every team had one of those. They just didn't be like, let's put a number on it. They just kind of guessed. So that's the same thing that's going to happen. It's like, uh... What's two compensatory picks worth? Uh, I don't know. Let's just trade them, you know. So, I mean, the, the Browns will get, like, ten picks this year and then end up with, like, four picks, and none of the players will be on their team in three years. As I said, there are some teams that I think are really going to know what to do, and we're going to – this one of the things will help us to separate out the teams. I say this every year, and it's true every year. You will soon, if you don't already know, you will soon know which teams really understand the draft and which teams don't. And this is yet another example of you to get a chance to see in action which teams, I mean, it sounds funny when you say that, but there are NFL teams that don't understand the draft. As strange as it may sound, it's a truth. They think they do, though. They think they do. Well, I'm sure they think they do. That's kind of the biggest problem, is they all think It doesn't make it true. But... I mean, sure. I mean, every year there's that. Um, what's surprising to me, at least, is that even if you plunk the draft, you could still go and have a really good team, which I always find surprising. But, you know, if you if you get the right players, you get certain players that, you know, like you get a quarterback or you get a really good linebacker or you get a really good, you know, edge player, you know, it kind of, for whatever reason, those guys really help your team um, in ways that those other six players that busted don't. So you kind of make up imagine, for it. But. Imagine how good the Patriots would be if they didn't let Bill Belichick be the GM like four years ago. I'll, <laughs> I will say one thing against Bill Belichick is he he is a gambler. And mm-hmm. from what I've heard, and obviously I don't work for the Patriots and I don't see their final board, but I hear that every year he has one of the smallest boards, and that's what that's what people don't understand. And even until last year, I didn't get it when it's like, you know, I talked to the scout from the Bengals. He's like, no, our board has like 50 guys on it. I'm like, there's <laughs> you guys have 10 picks. Like, what? And he's like, yeah, there's basically 50 guys that we're willing to take. Now, if the guy that we had in the hundreds is around 200, we might take him. But like our board, and I'm like, what? But and what's amazing when you say that, what's amazing when you say that is because if that if that is true, which I, I believe that, that the way you say it's true, then that means that they had a backup LSU wide receiver as one of those fifty players. Mm-hmm. 
that one year. I mean, re- remember the year the Bengals yes. drafted that LSU wide receiver? Yeah. In like James seventh right. round. Yeah. Um, and he was right. a backup. Didn't play the. Yeah. He was like, the third stringer. Yeah. Right. Correct. Because he was behind Beckham and Landry. Yes. But they had seen him a close. So allegedly, they'd seen him special teams wise, and I guess one of the other guys missed the game or something, and they'd seen him play one game, and they're thinking, okay, seventh round, not much here, anyways, and they they basically drafted him especially to be a special teams gunner. So, yeah, in the seventh round, mm-hmm. what are you really getting? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, that's and but that's a terrible way to approach. Could be getting Trey McBride. <laughs> Hey, you could be getting Trey McBride. I mean, you could right. be getting. But I mean, he Wes actually his rookie year he produced. In the, you could have gotten Josh play. Norman in the seventh round. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people you can get in the seventh round if you know what you're doing. Yeah, and there's, but, there's also a whole bunch of players in the seventh round that never even make squads. Exactly. You, you want to make sure. take count, but they target him for a specific thing, and and. His rookie year, he was really good at it. He got hurt though. So, right. True. He's had knee injury uh, both years, but the the one game he actually had to start after they had all their injuries, he had like a hundred yards and played well. So, true. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But I'm mean, saying Belichick supposedly has like the smallest board when it comes to draft day. And last year, supposedly all the guys they had were like third-round grades or later by the time their second pick rolled around. So he just went off the cuff. <laughs> is that how Joe Cardoza is the, or whatever, the uh, Carmona or whatever, the uh, long snapper from Navy gets uh, gets his name yeah. called? So supposedly. But, I mean, think about this. Uh, Belichick is a great coach. And as a GM, I mean, like, without Tom Brady there, how good would that team be? They haven't made the best decisions as far as players go. Like Chandler sure. got a big hit for them. Gronk was a big hit and a big risk. But in my opinion, Belichick gambles too much. When oh, he would well, gamble some and play it safe some, they would have better depth. Oh, well, of course, which is what I usually tell Patriot people is that uh, they – I gave them a kind of a, I mean, their 2014 draft in particular, I gave them kind of a poor grade. And they were like, why? And I'm like, because they drafted a bunch of backup offensive linemen and they're not going to do that well. Uh, and that's th- borne out, you know, I mean, they cut, the gu- you know, they cut one of their guards that he was drafted in my class. Uh, they also don't really know how to draft wide receivers. It's funny because <laughs> really awful. they don't. They're I mean, awful. No, years. no. They, no. they, they, they draft guys who don't understand their offense or don't have <laughs> the football IQ to learn the offense and get it down. And they usually back to our end up. Chad Johnson thing. Their right. offense is very complex. They need to draft receivers who can understand a complex offense. Exactly, but they don't do that. They usually draft guys that are you know, usually up. have. Some athleticism traits that are interesting. I mean, they're not usually all stud athletes. Some of them just are really fast, or some of them are really explosive, or some of them had a really good three cone. But what's funny to me is that the Top Gun wide receiver, the Maverick, as I like to call him, the guy that if you had a Top Gun volleyball scene, 
uh, you'd have a bunch of little short white guys, right, playing volleyball. Uh, those guys are the guys that end up working, and they they seem to do really good finding those guys. So, you know, say what you will about them. I mean, they they tend to bust on the on finding the other types of guys, you know. But when they it comes to those top guns, right? They can't find the X, but they can find those Top Gun volleyball guys. They tons of them. They get slot shamed every week. Yeah, and when Michael Campiero gets cut or you know gets traded or whatever, or who knows what, he's gonna be on the Patriots. Like they literally will run out their slot receiver, slot receiver, or slot receiver if they have to because they know they can find and exploit weaknesses with one of them. Are you still there, Bill? Did Bill leave us? He's so tired. No, I'm no. right here. I'm right here. Oh, okay. I just actually muted myself. But I actually I muted myself on purpose, and then I just sort of fumbled the unmuting process slightly. But, yes, the um, many people have said, of course, obviously, this has sort of reared its ugly head recently in Philadelphia, that, you know, the the GM, uh, Chip Kelly, might be getting the coach, Chip Kelly, fired. Now, I don't know, you know, if that's true. He made so many moves. And this is the thing. Metrically speaking, he didn't do that bad of a job. Um, and as I say, a lot of the moves he made metrically, he was looking at one variable and not looking at all the variables, I guess. So, like, he looked at Byron Maxwell. Here you have a cornerback who fits all the check marks in terms of cornerback, though. You know, he, he ran really fast. He has long arms. He actually has really long arms for his height. He has very long arms, yeah. Freaky how long his arms are for his height because he's not like a six-foot-two guy. He's about 5'11", 5'11", 3'8". Yeah, and he has like these long, you know, these arms. Uh, you know, checks that box. Uh, not explosive though. Three cone short shell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he basically right. tested like Trey Wayne's. You know, in terms of you know, of course, more productive, more productive than Trey Wayne's at Clemson. I mean, that was a big thing. At least what I saw when I was doing. Uh, you know, I had more pass deflections and stuff like that. Um, for for market share. But, I mean, he's looking at, you know, or the running backs, right? All the running backs he drafted are all – or not drafted, but, you know, brought in, traded recruited, for, yeah. traded for, were right. uh, right. fast, fast 40s. You know, DeMarco Murray, fast 40. And the, I think the only reason why he didn't like LaShawn McCoy, other than him being, you know, LaShawn McCoy – and let's be honest, I mean, his personality rubbed some people the wrong way. <laughs> uh, but the only thing that really turned him off, honestly, is, you know, LaShawn McCoy – that four five forty man, oh that's it. You know, like I kind of want to get rid of you. I know you're really good, but that four five forty, eh, I want some of that Murray, right? Give me a, a slice of that Ryan Matthews, right? You know, with the faster forties, uh, that sort of stuff. And the and the offensive line, they've gotten really athletic guys uh, for the most part, you know, in that line. And some of them have worked, some of them haven't. But I mean, it, the, the Eagles. Offensive line in general is one of the more athletic ones by aggregate. But I just think it's a matter of you, you, you change so many things. You get rid of the quarterback, you get rid of the running backs, you get rid of all these things, you get rid of the defensive players, you get rid of that 
where's the time to actually build a team? And I know that it's NFL and it's about the mercenaries and, you know, I mean, that's, that's what it's become to a certain extent is it's a mishmash of mercenaries and guys that are, you know, some guys actually have a family mentality and some guys don't, but I just think the Eagles this year, uh, their biggest issue was just taking too many, just make, making way too many moves. You know, going out and doing so many things and not having enough time to really build uh, team cohesion and re- and to really feel like they they to, to really see if the moves work and gel. You know, because that's the one thing that obviously numbers don't factor in is the human element. And I think Chuck Kelly focused too much on the numbers versus the human element, and that's why the team has kind of suffered a bit. And yet they're in the NFC East, so they could still legitimately win it, possibly. So, you know, we, you know, we'll see. But I think that's just the biggest thing there is, is Kelly just making too many moves. And you see this with most teams, anyways, Bill. I mean, uh, especially NFC East teams. A lot of times, when they go out and go on a spitting spree and buy like five, ten people to come in and do things, uh, they normally don't do well the next year. You know. Because well, they didn't the thing fit is, uh, or personalities, you know. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, I'm a scientist by trade. It's like you always do one variable. Every time you change something, you just change one variable because then you can actually quantify what changing that did for you. How is Chip Kelly supposed to find out which changes he made were productive and which were hindering the team going forward when you make all those changes at once, is it really DeMarco Murray that's the problem or is it him not fitting your system? Is it really cutting uh, Evan Mathis or is it that DeMarco Murray doesn't fit your system? You can't really figure out which one's the problem and which one is working for you when you make all those sweeping changes at once. You have no clue unless it all just works. Well, here's the other thing, and I I agree. It's like there's so many moving parts, so many shifted variables that I still feel like I sort of understand the issues that he had with with Shady, um, both sort of personality wise and even running style wise. Help me to understand the Macklin situation. Macklin seems like a pretty, first of all, quiet person as far as I could tell, and he seems, as far as I can tell to be a guy that would fit pretty well what except for maybe his blocking. I mean that's the only thing I can think of maybe is that he didn't like yeah, his one blocking. Oh, oh that. Oh okay. <laughs> okay. And, well, and, and, and Nelson Aguilar. Well that's draft. The too is like uh you didn't want to pay him but Macklin was also productive. You know? Yeah. Like sure. Uh, so he doesn't care about that. He played well, but uh, you know I'm gonna have to pay him, and he got hurt two years ago. I'm just gonna let him go. When if you think about it, yes, you may have to pay him more, but sometimes it's worth paying someone when it <laughs> saves you a draft pick. That's true. But your first round draft pick, you pay Macklin. You can take your first round draft pick and address a separate need. That's true, but Kelly. And in my opinion, going back to his Oregon days, has the mindset, and I know it's funny to say this, but it's true, you can find wide receivers anywhere. 
<laughs> but you have to have a quarterback. Uh, and when you look at anywhere. that's true. That's true. Don't get me wrong. That is absolutely which true. You didn't have, but which of course, well, you know, yeah, yeah, definitely. But that's the mentality he has. When you look at the Oregon team, name one star wide receiver from his Oregon team. I'll wait. <laughs> yes, well. When you look at how he's done in the draft, I mean, Jordan Matthews is decent. I mean, don't get me wrong. Kind of more of a zone kind of, you know, tax zones and a lot better than man guys. But, you know, Jordan his Matthews mentality. has not been decent this year. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That was not really his doing fault. A lot of, <laughs> well, I mean, he's really good in terms of attacking zone, but when it comes to man guys, he can't get open. And that's what a lot of teams have been doing this year. So, yeah, you got that old mentality. And also, I just felt like he looked at Nelson Aguilar. He looked at Jeremy Macklin. They tested exactly the same number-wise and went, yeah, we'll just replace him with Aguilar. (laughs) Yeah, and he was pretty – he must have been pretty open with his pick with Aguilar because I think it was like Gil Brand or somebody like that mailed an envelope to somebody else sealed it and said, this is going to be Philadelphia's pick as long as he's available. And he mailed it to him like, I don't know, two months before the pick. Yeah. So you have to know that the guy is like, yeah, he's in our top ten and nobody else has him in the top ten if you're going to make that kind of a statement. I wasn't surprised. I I knew that part a lot of the guys that Chip ended up drafting are guys that he knew, either knew them from, I mean, they might be Oregon guys, but the guys that he the least got yeah, in the recruiting process. Guys he, right. Yeah, Pac-12. guys he recruited, guys who played against them, guys that beat him. I mean, that was the big thing about Matt Barkley. Is he was like, oh, yeah, I know Matt Barkley. He beat me. You know, like that sort of ha-ha joke, you know, <laughs> type stuff. Like, oh, yeah, he did beat you. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, they're definitely guys that he either recruited or guys that he ran into in his coaching, um, you know, which makes, I mean, you know, and I know where you're like, oh, that's so wrong to do. Some coaches don't like that, man, you know? I mm-hmm. mean, it's like I'm not a, I, I've, I've been a college coach for the past four years. I've barely even watched the NFL, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, right. if you're actually working – you know, you're you're not watching the NFL. You're watching the games for next week. So, you know, uh, you don't have any time to do that. So, yeah, he's like, I've these are the guys I'm exposed to. I think they're good players, so I'm going to go with these guys. Well, every every organization has their you know niche of players that they go after, whether they're willing to admit it or not. The Bengals are seated in the SEC. They go for Georgia players, Alabama, everybody in the SEC because they think it's the same top style of football that they're going to play when they get to the NFL because, as we discussed earlier, the FC North is kind of, even though teams have high-flying offenses now, the defenses are still typically pretty hard-nosed. The games can get pretty brutal. Uh, so they want guys that are you know, battle-tested in those types of environments, Big Ten, SEC, uh, things of that sort. They don't minus the skill positions. They they try to draft guys in those areas. And I think every team kind of has their grouping of players that they look for, whether they're willing to admit it or not. Well, some teams it's very clear. I mean, we mentioned Belichick earlier. He 
does a lot of relationship drafting where he clearly just picks up the phone and calls Greg Schiano when Greg Schiano was at Rutgers. He calls Saban. He calls Urban Meyer and asks him, you know, who do you have that can do this, this, and this? Or who did you play against this year who can do this, this, and this? Yep. And they tell him, and six times out of ten, he drafts that guy. He drafts that guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. Yep. Urban Meyer came out, you know, saying, raving about Jimmy Garoppolo's feet work, and guess where he ends up? On the Patriots. So, you know, like Urban Meyer saw Jimmy Garoppolo's tape and was like, wow, he's really good. Feet work, ooh. And Patriots drafted him. Um, you know, and he still has a little spies in the SEC. Yeah, because that's how Belichick does. He, he I shouldn't say spies, it's scouts, you know. <laughs> but that's that's what they are. They're they're guys you were watching and they're like, Oh yeah, this guy was awesome. played against them. You know, well, okay. Well I'll draft him. You know. It just got a little out of hand that one year where you drafted like three Rutgers players in the same Yeah. Draft. Yep. Yep. Correct. I think. Yeah. That's a lot. That is correct. He he drafted three guys from Rutgers. A linebacker and two DBs. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. They loaded up on Rutgers one year. And then got another Rutgers player of the year. After. I mean, they, there was a stretch of about a three years. Yes. I there thought for sure of... they were going to draft Cross this year. I really yeah. thought Plus, he was the guy right. that they were going to target, honestly. Why and why not? <laughs> Because he loves tight ends and he loves he Rutgers. Loves I mean, he loves Rutgers. I was like the two things and together. He's like, and he's like the closest guy. I mean, no one's gonna test like Gronk did coming out of college, but he's like the closest guy, frame, size, and everything to be similar to Gronk minus athleticism. He kind of you know is built like him, um, in the sense that he could put on some mass like Gronk and. He could be that guy that could be his Aaron Hernandez to Gronk. But it was really surprising. Yeah, so, yeah, there's – I mean, it, it, there's still a lot of that that goes – it's not just that. I mean, there's there's certain schools that clearly have a, you know, relationship, however you put it, with, with certain NFL teams. And it's not just those. Those are the most egregious <laughs> or obvious examples. I mean, Pete Carroll yeah. – Still has a pretty strong Pac-12 flavor, um, not not exclusively, but there's a lot of Pac-12 guys that find their ways to the Seahawks. Yeah, and I wonder, uh, I wonder how that works. You know, like the Bengals have obviously been pretty Georgia heavy, and supposedly Mark Wright and uh, his staff have been very accommodating to the Bengals as they go down there. I wonder how that shakes up as coaches lose their jobs, like. Yep, you know the new regime. Like, eh, yeah, we don't really want well, to let you guys don't have be, the don't be, don't be too shocked if you start seeing more Miami guys show up. Right, right, and that's the thing. It's like, okay, is that is it because the coaches allow extra access, or do they trust the coach what he says? You know, what is it that it makes it or it's the style of play? You know, so some of those things that you just kind of like. I guess as outsiders, you're like. Sometimes you're like, I wish I was the insider. <laughs> well, you know how much draft Twitter would pay to just be in one war room for one draft. Oh, now there's you know what, there's a money. <laughs> the NFL never passes on money making experience. There right? is a money maker. 
they dude, can make there are people who so pay much. for these fantasy camp things where you know you go to Arizona or whatever and you botch double play attempts with your heroes from your childhood or whatever it is right. for a couple of weeks and you drop ten large to do it, dude. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> you know how much people would pay to be in the war room for oh. the twenty minutes before and after oh. one pick. One pick. I'm I'm there are people, I guarantee you, who would spend hundreds. tens tens, if not hundreds, at least tens of thousands. Perhaps there would be somebody who would say a hundred thousand to be in the war room all weekend. You're probably right. Easy. You're probably right. You know, you you need to you need to write up a proposal. All right. <laughs> Just let me sit in there. I promise not to tell anybody. I'll sign a non disclosure. Uh you know, those are the two things the NFL can make money on. The the what oh, if scenarios that we so did earlier. Money. So, so if much you had money. a simulator that would be like, if Greg Cook never got hurt, how many Super Bowls would the Bengals win? And it plays out his career as his projection. <laughs> and then the other is, be in the war room for a year. You'd be like, wow. Or, or even like, just be like, oh, I want to be an intern and just follow the scouts around. People would yeah, say to do that. Well, it's a lot less exciting than people think it is. That much I can tell you. Um, yeah. It's, it's Lots of pretty... hotel rooms and bars. And, hey, you know. but nobody knows. Oh, yeah, the scouting part. I, I was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he's like, hey, man, like, you know, it seems like you kind of know what you're talking about. Like, you know, why don't you, like, try to see if you can get a job at the NFL, like, scouting? I'm like, honestly – if I really wanted to, I could probably could pull some strings and do that, but I don't want to live out of a suitcase nine months out of my life. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, their <laughs> life is like the most unglorified thing ever. It's, what yeah. do you mean? I'm like, during the college football season, their day off is Monday. They're going to practices Tuesday through everything else. Saturday, yep. they're going to probably, they're on a flight at least once, maybe twice during a day to go to two different games. Yep. And then on Sunday, they're going to watch the NFL team they're scouting for to see which weaknesses they have. And then Monday, they get a day off and then head on the road again. He's like, yep. are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yes. That's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And believe me, telling people your NFL scout doesn't get you a lot either. You know, if you go to a place and go, <laughs> hey, David, I'm an I'm NFL, NFL scout. scout. <laughs> Nobody cares. It's like that's can... why all the scouts are either under 25 or over 50. Not many in the other developments. Well, it's rough on families. That much is true. And there are teams that do a good job of rewarding people and, and moving them up. But once again, it's just like with coaching, there's a lot of you gotta turnover. you got to get lucky. you yeah. got to get well, lucky. There's a, yeah, that's true. There's a lot of turnover. you neck out for. you got to be somebody that nobody else likes. You're like, he's going to be awesome. Tom Brady, take him now. And you, and you complain about him for four rounds, and they finally take him, and he changes your franchise. They're like, uh, okay, you can be the offensive coordinator. Yeah, or you can be the lead scout. So yeah. I've had three, two or three friends, um, one, one of whom, you know, fairly close, and the two sort of more like acquaintances, who were NFL scouts for a good amount of time. 
and only one of them has not been fired multiple times in the time that I've know, known him. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of turnover. Uh, you, you know, there's there. It's as you mentioned, the it's a real grind in terms of the travel. You people talk about you know things that you want to see how much you love football. People think they'd want to be an NFL scout, and of course, a lot of the young guys maybe they would actually enjoy it. But once you get past your mid twenties, maybe even past your late twenties, and it's hard to get promoted. I mean, you you have to do as you said, do something amazing. Job. It's a thankless job, yeah. and it's like it's very hard to. Most guys once you, it's an easy place to get stuck. You know, some guys move up, but most don't. You know, most most of them are foot soldiers. Their entire careers that they manage to hang around, they hang around as scouts, and you know, it's not a it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's a tough life. It is, and like I said, every time you're easy, you're you're very easy to replace, and that's the thing that teams know. You know, so they know that there's a billion people who would want to do your job. Good luck demanding a raise as an NFL scout. Right. But the only way to get a raise is one of two things. I mean, the team has great success, right? And, you know, there's bonuses and, well, all kinds of good stuff happens, but everything's going really well. Or eventually you get promoted, which is super, super hard. Um, The the guys I talk to – one of whom, only one of the three has even gotten a a small bump up in terms of, I mean, like it's, most scouts are area, what's called area scouts. And you're assigned, you know, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, and Wisconsin or whatever it is. You know, you're assigned, you're an area. And all of the schools that conceivably could have NFL talent, you're expected to hit a couple times a year. Obviously, you're supposed to spend most of your time at the larger schools, and then if you can make it to the D2 or D3 or NAI or whatever, you try to, just in case, you know, swing through and talk to some coaches and blah, blah, blah. But you're you're putting most of your work, obviously, into FCS and FBS schools. But, you know, like I said, if you can find the next Danny Woodhead or you can find the next, you know, uh, whoever it is, you're from D2 or, you know, find the next Ali Marpet or whatever, hey, that's, you know, once again, feather in your cap. But it's just difficult because, you know, there's so many. I mean, think about how many schools play football in one state. Forget four states. Or Now, Texas is so friggin' ridiculous. They, they assign basically, you know, one guy, you know, as opposed to saying you've got these four states. You might just have Texas. Or they might give you Texas and part of Louisiana or something like that. You know, you might split Louisiana with the guy who's doing Mississippi, Alabama, you know, part of Florida. Like certain states are so chock-a-block with good football schools that they won't, you know, give that guy more than maybe that just that state or that state and part of another state. Texas, Louisiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, that area. Right. Um, I mean, California California. is another place that, right, exactly. You might – you might do California and Oregon, and they'll have someone else do Washington, India, uh, Idaho, uh, Utah, and uh, Colorado, whatever. Rhode so, Island, you know. Yeah, right. There's not much to do in Rhode Island, right? So, I mean, the guy who does New England, because, I mean, no offense to those states, but, you know, you've got UMass in the state of Massachusetts, 
and Boston University and Boston College and you know there's a few other places, but you know it's not there's no factories you know really quite frankly in that state, and then it goes downhill from there. I mean yeah. you know there's only two schools in the whole state of Vermont that play exactly scholarship so if you're to awarding Vermont, football. How are you ever going to get nominated? Right? How are you ever going to get a bump up if you only just scout Vermont players? I'm just being serious. Well, if people, like, people think that the NFL is a billion-dollar business and these scouts make a ton of money. These guys make no, 35 to 50 grand as starters, depending on where they live. And right. And like peas for the amount of time they spend in hotels, on the road. You know, we talked to a couple of the guys at the NFL PA Bowl last year. The one guy just looked like he was ragged. Like, he's like, yeah, I've been on the road like the last six weeks. Like, yep. the bowl games is like a drag. We're like two two bowl games a day sometimes. We're just, you know, on flights all the time. And I'm like, oof, no thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like I'll just, I said, I'll I just stick to draft Twitter and then I'll be happy. <laughs> it's it's a grind. It is. It is a complete. Like I said, you know, the 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 satisfaction is in helping the team, and if you can, eventually, you know, hopefully move up. You know, but like I said, even if you do hit on a player, does the team care? Yeah, you got to <laughs> become a GM to really make it worth your while. Because like you might hit on a player and be that. like, hey, I did that scouting report. He's starting for you, and it's like, who are you? Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> well, it, de- oh, it depends on the team, obviously. Some teams, like I said, are are more invested in their scouts than others. And it's funny, you know, you should mention Cincinnati. Now they've improved, but at one point, Cincinnati, I mean, still four, I think got the four guys. Yeah, four beers. right. Which is still more than they used to have, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So now yeah. they're up to six or eight. Woo! Right. So yeah. I mean, think about that. You're basically dividing the United States into four quadrants, and you're saying, "Okay, go get them, Tiger." <laughs> make sense why there's a lot of SEC well, it makes players. Sense why they it don't, that way. Well, and it makes sense too why they don't hit many of the small markets too. So. <laughs> well, obviously not. Well, <laughs> they don't have right. time to do it. <laughs> no. Yeah. Nope. You're not. Uh, you got, guys aren't getting. A, you guys. You guys aren't getting Nelly Marpet in Cincinnati. No. Well, unless you see him at the Senior Bowl. Right. Yeah, there you go. Right. right. It's, that's, that's, that's how that would have to happen. So, i gotta, I got to jump off here, guys. So, oh, I know. Um, well, tell people where they can find and follow follow your work and what you're up to. And I think yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So uh, just getting started for the draft season. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at C-O-D-I-K-I Kodakai. And uh, that's pretty much where I funnel everything through. And my website is NFLDraftLab.com. Excellent. Um, anything coming up exciting on Draft Lab? Uh, once the NFL PA Bowl, I'm probably going to have press passes for that again this year. So hopefully some stuff there. But uh, just doing some film breakdown, just getting started. Uh, I got a JL Cooper uh uh, media thing, so now I can uh, slow down film and stuff, so hopefully that'll be a neat oh, cool. addition to the film breakdowns that I have, so hopefully that'll uh, work out, and then uh, get started with some film breakdown here. I'll probably start with linebackers uh, first, so I really like the guy from Temple, weirdly enough. Tyler Medicavich. Yeah, so weirdly enough, see enough AAC football, I think he's a good he's a good player, and I think he'll He'll be undervalued oh. by player teams because oh. 
of a certain reason that we all know he won't be considered athletic because he's white. Short white but, guy. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. He can tackle, and that's important to me as a linebacker. Yes, and he's super smart, and he's super productive, and I'm a huge exactly. fan. So, yeah, well, we will definitely have more conversations about uh, about my guy, Tyler Medikiewicz. Uh Great to yeah, have I'll, you I'll on, Cody. Do, yeah, yeah, and I'll probably do a full breakdown of him this week. So, uh, yeah, we can definitely discuss him in the future. Oh, yes, we will. We will. I promise you that. I'm, a, I'm an enormous fan of his. Great. Well, I will look forward to that. Thanks, guys, and uh, have a good one. Merry Christmas. You too. And, yes, exactly. If I don't see you before that, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, uh, prosperous, healthy, happy new year to you and yours. Same, same, same. Okay. Thanks, Cody. Later, guys. Uh, Let's see. Bowl games, which is what I guess I should try to hit on a couple of those. I guess we'll do the rest of them on the Saturday show. Um, Yep. I think we did half of one. We we (laughs) did half of one. Well done. Well done. Yeoman's work. Um, Well, we'll we'll move a little more quickly. Uh, Arizona and New Mexico, uh, this is a series where they've met actually a fair number of times. Arizona leads the series 43-20, to and I think after this game it'll be 44-20. to The last time they met was in 2008. Uh, Arizona overall in bowls is 8-9-1. They were last in the Fiesta Bowl just last year versus Boise State, and they won, you know, 38-30. The Lobos are 3-7-1 in bowl games. They were last in the New Mexico Bowl, shockingly enough, and they actually beat Nevada 23-zip in that game. But uh, let's see, the... Uh, Arizona has a quarterback that I like, but he's not, you know, in this draft. Uh, they have obviously a very productive linebacker who unfortunately is hurt, uh, but a guy that you and I, I know you and I are both fans of. Um, speaking of New Mexico and Arizona, who are some of the guys that you may be watching and uh, or may excite you uh, from that particular matchup? Uh, so you mean Scooby Dooby Doo? Where are you? Well, that's Scooby obviously Ray? the most. Yeah, that's obviously the most. To me, the most intriguing prospect. But you know, there's some other guys on those teams. Yeah, um, I mean Arizona. I've heard a lot of talk about Caleb Jones possibly yeah. Yeah. declaring, uh, which would be a very, very, very bad idea. But you know, if he does declare, I guess I'll have to look at him. But um, I mean, he's a you know tall, tall, um, not very fast, stiffish, but tall. He catch. Yes. You know, has decent enough hands. Um, Anu Solomon is a guy who could be really good at times. I know he's not you know in this class, but he he's the wide receiver to look for in the future. Uh, and, this, and usually bowl games are where people start to notice a guy, you know, like, oh, he had a really – of course, it's against New Mexico. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's that sort of thing. But, yeah, he's uh, kind of interesting. Um, uh, William Parks is kind of interesting as well. Um, but at least with New Mexico, that's about it. In terms of New uh, uh, Arizona, I mean. But in New Mexico, 
I don't foresee too many good things happening in this game for them. Um, <laughs> uh, Jarrell Presley has flashed a little bit of stuff at times. He's a, he's a retro senior. He's coming out. Um, but I, I don't know. I've, I've, I, I just, I've, I've looked at New Mexico a lot, you know, their Mount West conference team. And honestly, the Mount West conference is really, you know, cause I was going through, uh, the conferences nobody cares about recently, you know, the Mountain West conference, AAC, uh, conference USA. Although I should say some people care about the AAC, uh, but not everybody. Uh, and, New Mexico is definitely one of the better Mountain West teams, but they just didn't seem to have any anybody who really stood out recently, uh, other than Presley, that I kind of felt like possibly had a shot as kind of a you know late round undrafted free agent type, I guess, for a certain team. So. That's it. Uh, let's see. Well, we can keep going. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I was going to say I we can move on then. Perfect. Hey, how you doing, sir? I'm well. Uh, you you timed it well. We're about to go down south a little bit. Uh, the Camellia Bowl, which pits the Sturdy Bobcats of Ohio, has coached by the extremely underrated Frankie Solich, versus Appalachian State, uh, a team that has very successfully made the transition from the FCS to the FBS. This is the first time these two teams have met. Uh, the Bobcats are 2-6 and six in their bowl history, and they were last in the Beef O'Brady's Bowl, which is still one of my least favorite bowl names. Uh, <laughs> and they faced uh, East Carolina. I mean, what, it's the Dinty Moore Stew game coming next. But uh, they lost the game 37-20. This is Appalachian State's first bowl game in history because obviously until just a couple of years ago, they were an FCS team. And they weren't eligible. Um, in fact, their first year at FBS anyway. Uh, so they've only been eligible, I think, this is their second year, I think, of eligibility yeah. for postseason. So, I'm, putting the over, I'm putting the over-under on points scored in this game at like 100. I mean, <laughs> this is two teams that can score. <laughs> well, hey, hold on a minute here. They have Darius Vick, who is not related to Michael Vick, by the way. He is not. Uh, he is totally related to Roger Vick, the former swing man at Nebraska, a uh, fine uh, basketball player who was his father. But uh, yeah, these are two teams that can score, and, and – Marcus Cox can play. <laughs> yes, he's an NFL guy. That so, is correct. So I mean, it, it, I mean, if you like to see points scored and you want to see an undercover really good player, it's a good game to watch. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll it'll be a game that it won't be one of those six to three thing games that'll bore you to death. I mean, and. and uh, and Frank Solich, I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, you know, Ohio, they're just like, whoever saw Frank Solich, you know, on an offense that averages over 400 yards a game, 
Texas and Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it will be a sneaky good game. I think Appalachian State probably has the superior athletes, which is funny to say about a program that's only been in the FBS for about 14 seconds, it seems like. But I, and Sourfield's a really good coach, so. Oh, I mean, so, I was, so I was upset. Upset, but that is a great matchup of two really good coaches. It really is. <laughs> and and I was upset when, when, you know, the legendary Coach Moore was shown the door, but they, they got it right uh, when they got <laughs> Coach Satterfield. They, they they have a they have a scary good program that's getting scary better. I mean, they went two, 10 and 2 this year not really knowing what they're doing yet at this level. You know what I mean? Like they just just arrived here at the FBS level. I I'm not out here to say that they're about to you know do what Houston's doing anytime soon, but it may not be that far off before they're a team that's threatening to Run the table. I mean, they they they've got they've got a first of all they've got a really as you said a really good coaching staff. That's where it starts. They're extremely well coached. They are getting more and better athletes each year. Obviously, now they have eighty-five scholarships to work with. That helps. And this is going to be a good way of getting them some attention. I mean, getting them some national attention. Uh, obviously, they got some national attention. A burst of it, you know, about six seven years ago. Uh, at the expense of Michigan, but now uh, they're no longer they're no longer a dog and pony show. This is a legitimate threat program going forward. So I'll be interested to see how they look, but I, I'm giving them a slight edge. I think it's going to be a good game, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, I just I, I think it'll be a, a good game to watch, and that's right. uh, that, that's uh, that's. You know, that's what I, you look for. For me, that's what I look for in these bowl games. I mean, because, you know, e- either NFL prospects or a good game to watch. Like that one you guys were talking about, Arizona and New Mexico State. New Mexico, that's a dog. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Nobody wants to watch that game. <laughs> uh, okay, then. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, it's not loaded with NFL prospects. Um, the dog with fleas on it. <laughs> I mean, I might have, I might have insulted dogs like a dog. I mean, and on that happy note, <laughs> that brings us to the Cure Bowl. Um, <laughs> this is, of course, the first annual Cure Bowl. Um, for some reason, I keep thinking about. What are they curing? Um, uh, well, I, I think I think I think it has more to do with the <laughs> the English uh, post punk band led by Robert Smith that gave us "With or Without You." I think is what they're talking about. So I think they're they're talking um, about the the band. Uh, I don't know, but but it, it's helpful. Bill, Bill's bringing this up because one of Bill's favorite players is in this game. There are some good players in this game, actually, despite the fact that it's sort of an off-brand bowl uh, that maybe won't draw the hugest audience. It is the first meeting, obviously, of these two teams since Georgia State, much like Appalachian State, was just, seems like, about four minutes ago playing FCS football. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're only a new program altogether. I mean, they, didn't, they were only in FCS for a couple of years. They've only been around as a program 
for what six or something years at, any, at any level. Well, not that long, and they haven't been very no. good either. So you know, <laughs> makes you makes you wonder. <laughs> but they're in a bowl game this year. Hey, they're in a bowl game this year. So things are looking up. All right, things are looking up. So you have Georgia State facing San Jose State. Uh, one of these teams is going to have a shot at getting seven wins. At least one of them will. Uh, so it is. Oh God, there's too many bowl games. I'll admit it. I mean, I. But Bill, admit, admit though, you're still going to watch for Tyler Irvin. I am yep. going to watch for Tyler Irvin. Yes, yes. <laughs> Who the world should wake up to? T- I mean, look, that that McCaffrey kid had a season for the gods. I mean, you know, when you when you break it, even though you had a couple extra games, if you break a Barry Sanders yeah. record, I don't care if they gave you five extra games. You should be very proud of what you did. But, and admittedly, there's a gap between, you know, number one and number two here, but the, the guy next behind him in total scrimmage yards is Tyler Irvin in utter obscurity. But nonetheless, the guy is... Wait, does, who? Tyler... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't... I, I don't, uh, you know, I showed the picture of Tyler Irvin to my coach, and he asked me if it was a junior high school kid. <laughs> I, I, I understand the joke. He's not the biggest guy in the world. I get it. Still, he's taken a lot of touches over the last couple of years. He's been extremely durable. He's not afraid of contact. I understand people's concerns, and he'll never be more than probably a little over 190 pounds, even once he's in the league. But yep. there's a place for him. I can live with that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so. <laughs> San Jose State takes on Georgia State. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the first time they've met, the first time mm-hmm. Georgia State's been in a bowl game, and it's the first time this bowl's been played. A lot of firsts. A lot of firsts uh, here in this okay. game. That's cool. So, <laughs> uh, Jim. Tell me about some of the players that you may be uh, casting your glances towards in this game. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, Irv, Tyler Irvin is the second best running back in the Mount West Conference. Uh, the first best running back in the Mount West Conference, of course, is Donnell Pumphrey. Uh, yep. But, of course, he's he's going to be staying in school another year because he played San Diego State. And if he comes out, he's not going to get drafted because the team's actually, you know, but I, we'll see. Uh, but similar guy, honestly, you know, in terms of being. They are very similar, actually. Small. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. is that a running back or a DB or the water boy, right? You know, like that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you I know, mean, my, early... my team legitimately, Dexter McCluster is the best running back on the team. Oh. <laughs> exactly. 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 I mean, that's. Although. Although, and yeah, they're both probably faster than Dexter McCluster. They are. Yes. Uh, they're yeah. more productive than Dexter McCluster, and they also have better market share than Dexter McCluster <laughs> ever had. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're guys that teams are going to look at as scat backs, and hopefully they don't give them the Rakeem Cato sort of treatment, which is looking at them and going, that's not going to work out, kid, you know, like that type of thing, just by looking at them. Not looking at him play, just looking at him. So, uh, but I like Tyler Irving. Billy Freeman is also decent at tight end. Yes. Uh, yes, he he's a junior as well, so he's probably not coming out because of where he plays. But he's he's decent. Um, 
on defense, they have, even they have a couple of people on defense I kind of like. I like uh, Christian Tago. Tago, he's he's interesting. Um, Tony Popovich kind of flashed a little bit at defensive tackle there. Uh, Jimmy Pruitt at cornerback is kind of interesting. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a poor man's Jalen Ramsey. In fact, not even poor. He's a working class man's Jalen Ramsey. Or a carbon copy of Jalen Ramsey, some might say, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he's somebody I think might get, I mean, in terms of being drafted the highest, he might be that guy from San Jose State. Uh, I know you're a big Irwin fan, but I'm just saying, I'm just speaking to the facts, man. man. No, I mean, um, I'm a big Ramsey. fan, but I know he's not getting, he'll be lucky to get drafted at all. I, I'm aware of yep. that. I, I, I'm a realist, but he's going to make a team. <laughs> Right, uh, but yeah, but yeah, I like Pruitt. Cleveland Wallace, honestly, is not bad either. Uh, he's the other other cornerback on the other side, uh, who's a junior, so he's probably not coming out. But and also Maurice McKnight, Maurice McKnight at safety is also kind of interesting. But he's a sophomore. But yeah, I think in this game, Pruitt, Irving, uh, Tago, and even I'll say just Tony Popovich a little bit, and and again, I'm I'm. I, you know, Popovich may undrafted free agent guy, but I mean, I, I don't know. I've seen him do a couple interesting things at times, but not a ton. But he's just a guy that's kind of stuck out a little bit. It's kind of mainly those guys. So it's Irving, Billy Freeman. If you want to look at the H back tight end class next year, and uh, Irving, and uh, yeah, that's about it. At least for me, uh, Georgia State. Yeah. Uh, I've not seen anybody at Georgia State this year. Uh, man, it's hard to get a hold of the tape. And two, I've had a lot of bad memories of Georgia State. So, like, I watch Georgia State games, even when they're doing well, and I kind of get flashbacks and I have to turn it off. I can't watch it anymore. So, um, it's it's kind of bad. I, I probably should see a psychologist about it. But, yeah, the Georgia State games are, uh, yeah. So, I don't like it. It's a team that was two and six at one point. Yeah. That is yeah, the Charlotte, the Charlotte Georgia State game didn't help matters either. Uh, yeah, but, uh, the the no. Charlotte Forty ers that are in that are not in California, by the way, or the West Coast, for that matter. And still interesting that that's the mascot. I suggested Swamp Pickers. The fans didn't like it. They they seem to like their historically inaccurate yeah. mascot uh, or, or region regionally historical. You know, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte has two wins all year. One against Georgia State, and he has one against Presbyterian. Exactly. That's, Georgia State's in a bowl game. So, <laughs> isn't that amazing? They got beat by Charlotte, and they have in a bowl game. Well, let me just say, at Georgia State's defense, they have their young program in every sense of the word. Obviously, just their program. Playing football is young, but they have their best players are mm-hmm. some of their youngest players. So, you know, the arrow is sort of pointing up. They have a good young coach. There's a good young Trip Miles who's sort of a coach on the rise. I got to sort of get acquainted with him a little bit when he was at Indiana State. The the point is that bet, better days are in the offing, you know, at Georgia State. But, so we, we've got a matchup of a five and seven team from the Mountain West and <laughs> yeah. a team that got beat by Charlotte. <laughs> yes, but here's here's the, the exciting thing. Okay, 
Penny, Penny Hart is one of the better freshman running backs in the country. He's one of the better freshman running backs in the country. They have a – they have – like I said, they have a real future there. They are in the state of Georgia, you know. I mean, it's, you know, the name Georgia State. But they – Yes, they're, they've been there for a while, by the way. Yes, there's fertile – you know, I mean, it's – once you get past, say, Florida, Texas, in California, it's one of the most fertile hunting grounds for football talent. It is, want. but mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of guys in Georgia that that all they get mm-hmm. turned down by most of the major schools in Georgia, mm-hmm. and the Georgia State goes, "Hey, you want to play?" And they're like, "Nah, fam, I'm gonna go to Syracuse, or I'm gonna go to <laughs> <laughs> Appalachian <laughs> State, Appalachian State." <laughs> Not dog. I I don't want to play at Georgia State. I'm gonna leave the state. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, I mean, what I want to know is that thing's being played in Orlando. How many people are going are leaving Disney World because of this place? I know the happiest place on earth to San Francisco versus Georgia State. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but there's still there's there's things. It's a program on the rise. I think is what I'm trying to make clear. I, okay. I see your point. I see your point. But like I say, it's a very young program. Their best players are young. They have a, a young coach who's, you know, headed in the right. Okay, so um, I do give the edge slightly, despite their 5-7 and seven record, to, I can't believe I'm saying this, to San Jose State. Oh. Um, I think I do. I think I um, I just have a – I don't know. I could be wrong, but uh, I just have a better – I'll say this much. If Tyler Irving and Billy Freeman and <laughs> – I'm just saying, if Tyler Irving, yeah. Billy Freeman, and Jimmy Pruitt, and Cleveland yeah, Wall, and, what, and Christian Tagger, if they can't, you know, yeah, collectively was, put their ring that, – that's, that's, That was my rationale. That that I think that they they have enough players who are going to be able to make make some plays, you know, make some some plays down the field, maybe force a couple of turnovers. I think they have enough to make things difficult for the uh, the Bobcats. I think that's what you say. Um, I think they are the They're, Bobcats. They Wildcats, are a cat Bobcats. Like, yeah, those are cat cats. Like Either Bobcat or Wildcat. Oh, one of those. Oh, it's a panther. Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, panthers are swamp, swamp cougars, as they should be called in that area. You know, <laughs> yes. Georgia State swamp cougars. <laughs> yes. Well, I think the the, the sturdy Spartans are going to get to almost 500 uh, after getting out of there with a I'm going to say like a 27 to 17 victory over the 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 rising swamp. Panthers or whatever they are, you swap cougars or you swamp cougars. Uh, yeah, and I'll say it again: Jimmy Pruitt is probably having nightmares about Nick Arbuckle. You know, he's just now Nick Arbuckle man. is a truly underrated quarterback prospect, and he can throw the football. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and you, and you know he's got to be low. You know he's got to be low key ticked at San Jose State, making him go all the way to Georgia State. 
<laughs> he's a kid, California kid. I mean, that, that yeah. tells it all right there. Georgia State yeah. can't even find a quarterback in Georgia. <laughs> well, <laughs> all the way to California. They, they, <laughs> have, they, have, they have some quarterbacks on their roster from the state of Georgia. It happens that the best <laughs> quarterback that they have is from California. Um, Nick Arbuckle yeah. has, has decent size. He has, I'd say, slightly above average arm strength, and he's pretty darn accurate. Yeah. Yeah, somewhat, yeah. I mean, I've certainly seen people fall in love with quarterbacks less accurate than he is, I'll put it that way. Well, yeah, I'm Brandon Bridge. Yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. Uh, you know, I, it's going to be a fun. Honestly, I think it's going to be a fun game. I'll say that much. Yes. Yeah, uh, I exactly. think it has fun players in it. I mean, uh, again, Billy Freeman is a fun player. Tyler Irving is a fun player to watch. As NFL prospects, different sort of you know story, but uh, or question, but they are definitely you know fun. I mean, San Jose State has been one of the funner Mountain West Conference teams, I guess I could say, to watch this year because they've right. had some painfully yeah. painful games and also some you know fun games. So. I mean, in Georgia State, yeah, they're up and coming team. Uh, they have blue jerseys, and San Jose has blue jerseys, so that'll be interesting to see what the color palette is for the game. Um, right. So yeah, it'll be interesting. There we have it. Analysis. Um, let's see. That brings us to. Who's next in the happy hit parade? Uh, is there a Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl? I just want to... I'm pretty certain there is. Um, if there isn't a Hooters Bowl, there'll be one of them soon enough. I just enough, kind I'm of sure. made that up, by the way. It might be, or it might be just subconscious, but yes, I think there is one, yeah. I think there is. Um, next is the New Orleans Bowl, held at the ever-popular Mercedes Superdome. So the Superdome, of course, now has the naming rights a sign of oh my god it's turning into NASCAR. Yeah. I mean, the the one thing I, I will say about this game, it's almost a shame that James Tarbury can't isn't gonna be playing in it. Because if you think James Creon Harris is a bad quarterback <laughs> Tarbury will put up numbers that you not even believe are so bad. I mean, they, they had to go dig Freddie Knight and back up off the bench. Yes. Third ankle. <laughs> because probably was so bad. But, I mean, you know, if we're talking about quarterbacks in that game, I, I have Jeff Driscoll as my number three-rated quarterback coming out. Uh, he's really turned his I, – I said I almost don't believe it when I see it. <laughs> you know, that is Jeff Driscoll. I mean, but he has been really, really good this year. Uh, they have a really good running back at, at Louisiana Tech. They'll get drafted. But uh, like I said, I, I almost – I don't even I know if I, if I believe it's the same guy. I know I believe if, – if, I don't have any idea what they did at Florida to make that guy look so bad. <laughs> uh, well, it's coaching. It's It's – Offensive line number one. I mean, Florida's offensive line was horrible. But Florida got drafted last year, Jim. Didn't the whole line get drafted? Well, DJ Humphreys was 
played tight end in basketball, I guess. Maybe. Mm. Did he play basketball? He probably did. And people were like. I'm, I mean, did, did this, like, the center got drafted? Both the guards got drafted? Yeah. And they were all yeah, they did. <laughs> sure. But, I mean, they played at Florida. So, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, the thing about Florida to me is mm. that you look mm-hmm. at that team and you go, okay, what's going on? And you don't want to blame everything on Muschamp. But you go back and you watch and you look at what's now and you go, these are the same players. It's just that they have better coaching across the board. And, you know, that's why they're, they're playing a lot better. So I think Driscoll was just, just wasn't – I mean, I, I don't want to say Logan Thomas or anything, but, you know, was in a situation where he just wasn't – being coached that well, and he went to a better situation and went up against competition that's a little bit easier, you know. He's right. not playing Alabama, yeah. you know. Oh, <laughs> no. Or, so, or, or he's so. isn't waiting for him, uh, the weaves. He doesn't have to allow him to get to LSU. Exactly. So he takes the pressure off a little bit. And, right. But you he, know, his he, soul seems freer. I mean, you can almost see him feeling better about life. I mean, you know, I, I said last year he should give up football and go play baseball. <laughs> you finally take the Red Sox off and play third base. But, I mean, he's, he's pretty good. I'd rather have him than that lump Connor Cook. <laughs> <laughs> Boring. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I tried. I told you. I, I saw him play a couple of times here, and I tried to tell whoever would listen. This is a different Jeff Driscoll from the one you remembered. But the one we remembered was. I mean, I mean he was one of my favorite bad backup quarterbacks. I mean, it's it's just the classic. I mean, you have to admit, Bill, the classicness of Jeff Driscoll is. He had his best practice of all time before the Alabama game and then yes. went on to have one of his worst games he's ever had against yes. that team. So <laughs> this is what we're starting at. A guy who said he had his best practice ever goes out and has one of the worst games ever. So that, that's what we had to forget I mean, about. That's what we had to get he, out of our mind. I mean, the, the thing is, is, I mean, to say he had – I can't even imagine. I can't even remember a good game Jeff Driscoll had at I mean, they were just uh, different shades of terrible. <laughs> and uh, this year, he's better. He he's actually scanning the field. He doesn't. I mean, he a lot of the some of the things like EJ Manuel in terms of just kind of just hesitating and not letting you know letting pulling the trigger, that's gone a little bit too, you know, where he was – I mean, that was one of the bigger things I saw with Driscoll is that it, one of the biggest issues I ever saw with him is he just didn't pull the trigger. He would just pat, 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 pat. Like, and then he eventually gets back. He eventually would get well, – I mean, with that line, it was even eventually. <laughs> um, and it, basically he was a – for three years at Florida, he was a poor man's Jake Walker. He shows up at Louisiana Tech and looks like a legit quarterback. <laughs> yep. No words. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, 
I mean, I'm almost like somebody ought to hire Skip Holtz tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is a clearly clear in his mind. His mechanics have improved as well. He's happier. You know, I mean, it's 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 a it's a major turnaround, and it's clear, like I said, that he's just in a better place on several different levels. Uh, Ken Dixon is, to me, a top five running back in this class. And they've got wide receivers. It's quiet as it's kept at Louisiana Tech as well, ladies and gentlemen. We only have a couple. Um, uh, I think, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, yeah, Trent Taylor. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have seen him. I, I kind of like him. He's a junior, though, so he's probably not coming out. I mean, because, you know, most of the time these lower... Although, you'll be surprised, but most of the time Conference USA, you know, Mount West Conference guys don't really... Unless somebody on ESPN was like, that Trent Taylor, whew, you know, type thing. But, yeah, um, <laughs> Trent Taylor, Carlos Henderson, is kind of he's a Richard sophomore. Um, I've kind of seen a little bit of him. Paul, Paul Turner's kind of a senior guy. Um, Dixon? Uh, Dix, I, I do like Dixon. I don't. I don't know. I, I. It's tough because there's a lot of different backs in this class. He's kind of flirting with top ten for me. He's not like top five, but he's flirting. I guess. I don't know. I. I he's like. He's in the vicinity, right? So like they're all in the same area, and I kind of move him around, you know. And like I should put this guy here, and then. Uh, eh, eh, I'll put this guy over here, but. Yeah, I mean they they their offense is legit. They do have stuff there. Um on defense I think one of the most underrated defensive tackles in the class that I think isn't as deep as people think it is is Vernon Butler at Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, Vernon Butler I, I think I've got him rated as the either my two or three rated nose tackle. And the guy, yeah. you know, that could I mean, you know, and, and he's one of those guys I've no problem taking Vernon Butler in the first Two, two or three rounds on the day three, on day two, no problem at all. And, you know, it's turned the guy that I can put out there, and he'll do what I need a nose tackle to do. <laughs> yep, and, and get penetration, and you know he 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 does a little bit of everything. So um, I now again. I, my bad experience of last year because I felt like the conference years, they had a lot, like, you know, like they had Rakeem Yunez Roches and they had, you know, Christian Covington and uh, I forgot the other you guy. You were right about Covington. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had a lot of really good, you know, decent defense back. This year, it's the same for Butler's good. Uh, Bryson Abraham, too, at cornerback, is kind of sleeping – a little bit, at least in my opinion, at Louisiana Tech. He's overall pretty decent, solid. Um, their edge guys, I mean, I kind of like Ferguson more than Dora. Dora's a senior, of course. Ferguson's a, a freshman. So, but yeah, that's just kind of how I feel about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tech is there. Uh, Arkansas State. They obviously have the tight end there that Griswold. Yeah, Griswold who doesn't really do much in the passing game. He blocks a lot. Um 
because that's how they kind of use them. And Arkansas State, you know, has like a triple option in the attack uh, in many ways. I do like Michael Gordon a lot, though. Um, mm-hmm. The Good running back. back. Yeah. He's uh, he's got a little bit of C.J. Anderson in him. Uh, slash, you know, he's like a little bowling ball with a really – who's faster than you uh, think. Like he's legit a very fast, thick uh, running back. Um, who has a little bit of extra power to him as well. So he's uh, uh he he's interesting. You know, he's an interesting kind of guy there. Um uh, defense wise I haven't really I know there's a couple uh cornerbacks I remember specifically, I kinda of forgot their names. Uh but yeah, it this is kind of, you know uh, for a lower level kind of thing, this is kinda of inter- you know, interesting, you know, tech and uh Arkansas State. Uh, Tech kind of a little bit more on offense, but I do like Butler and Arkansas State. I think Gordon is kind of the, at least for me, offense-wise, I think he's the show. Griswold, I mean, Griswold has been a guy that I've been waiting for years to really have a big year, and he just hasn't had it. A lot of it is offensive plays in, but uh, but he's he's just a guy that I hope at the NFL level could be one of those tight ends that just wasn't very productive but ends up being something interesting because of his kind of physical traits. Yeah, I I give the edge in this game to Louisiana Tech, uh, partially. <laughs> and this is one of those lists of, you know, phrases I never thought I'd say, but partially because of the play of quarterback Jeff Driscoll. Wow. Um, I when think it rains, that... it Driscolls. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When it rains, it Driscoll. Uh, I think that he and he doesn't run a lot, but I think he's gonna have two or three big plays with his feet. And he's a hard guy to bring down. He's a big kid, and obviously he looks even bigger playing against teams like Arkansas State than he did playing teams like Alabama or Arkansas. But I think he's gonna make some plays with his feet as well as with his arms, and and that's. I feel like it's going to be somewhere like a 28 or 31, yeah, like a 31 to 20 kind of game with uh, Tech prevailing. And uh, let's see, that brings us to the, this will be an almost fun game, what I like to call the Willie Taggart Bowl, but it's actually Uh the Miami Beach Bowl. Uh, of course, obviously Willie Taggart, who helped almost to bring, cried during a game. Yes, helped he helped to bring Western Kentucky back, and then parlayed that into returning home. He's a guy from right by the campus. He's from um, Manatee, and so he's from what fifteen miles, maybe less, uh, from the campus of uh, South Florida there in Tampa. Uh, they have met six times in the past. South Florida currently leads the series 4-2. And their last meeting was in 2010. And South Florida doubled up West Kentucky back then, 24-12. Their, uh, the bowl history for the Hilltoppers, they are 1-1 one one in bowls. Uh, last in the Bahamas Bowl versus Central Michigan, which was an awesome shootout game in 49-48. <laughs> one of my favorite bowls from last year, in fact. And South Florida's bowl history is at four and two. They were last in the Miami Car Care Bowl, and they beat Clemson thirty-one twenty-six. Believe it or not, 
So uh, there's some good players on both teams again in this situation. Hey, hey, Jim, you like metrics? You like numbers? (laughs) Listen to this. 4,594 yards, 71.8% completion percentage, 9.26 yards per attempt, 45 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as yeah, I keep that's... asking, what is it that Thomas Cook does better than this kid? Yeah, he, I, I think uh, I've got him rated as my number four quarterback. You know, he's got good size. He's got good, you know, got the good. He's got good skills. Uh, uh, you know, he's a guy that I'd take before I take some of the other people that you hear mentioned. Uh, just on the. I mean, and that's those completion percentages are really nothing new for him. I mean, he, nope, he's been high his whole career, and it's not dumping the ball off 400 times a game. No, they they'll throw it down the field. <laughs> you, I, I mean, mean, people who think it's, if you think that's a dink and dunk offense, you just have never watched them play. <laughs> I mean, you know, they they they're aggressive, and he's like I said, he's a. He's a really, he's a really really good quarterback and uh, he he like I said he's just he's a fun player to watch he's like he's got like almost 105 touchdowns I mean things with this he's got 104 touchdowns what is that 94 touchdowns in the last two years I mean touchdown passes I mean so they they he's aggressive and. He's got a good arm, and he's very, very accurate. Uh, the balls, the, the, he puts it right on the receiver. Gives them plenty. Of, he gives them plenty of room to run. Uh, they're a fun team to watch. They beat Vanderbilt. Uh, they almost beat Navy. Uh, they, and then you have South Florida, which is a team that's hot. It's you know basically I think they've won like six or seven in a row uh, to get to where they are, and they've got a really, really special running back. Uh, out of the 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 sophomore class for the running backs are just loaded. <laughs> yeah, Marlon Mack is sort of lost in the in the wash, but he's a good back. I mean, they're just ridiculous in the amount of talent they've got in the sophomore class and running back. That's why I say if I were a guy like Wayne Gallman, who's a who's a redshirt sophomore, I'm gone. I'm redshirt sophomore. I'm gone. <laughs> Because I, I, I might be in a third or fourth rate running back this year. Next year, I feel like you can crack the top ten on those guys. So, yeah, you know, like I said, it's going to be a fun game to watch. It's the Willie Taggart Bowl. Uh, just, you know, uh, Brom is, I mean, he. I'm surprised he doesn't get more attention. As, as I, a guy I thought he was going to get one of the big jobs that was going around mm-hmm. this past year. I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there. I, mean, I thought yeah, South Carolina might make a big run at him. I mean, he, they're, they're fun to watch, and you know they they score a lot of points. And, uh, and Doty's like I said, he's a really really good player. Uh, if I had to, I would take a bet on him over some of the other people, other quarterbacks people talk about, like say Carson Wentz. But. Uh, Anyway, that that's the two guys I'm I'd be watching are Doty and Marlon Mack. Yeah. So and and just to throw this out here, they've got a couple of wide receivers at Western Kentucky, obviously. Dangerfield is a senior, but they have a junior the guy I think is the better pro prospect is a junior, Taewon um 
Taylor. He's got size. He's got tremendous body control, big hands, soft hands. Uh, he can muscle guys. You know, he can sort of beat up on, on, on corners, and or he can he can run away from people. I don't know. I mean, I'm gonna if I were just eyeballing or guessing, I'm, he's probably in the high four fours, but he's a legit probably six one and three quarters, about two hundred and nine ish. And I'll, and long, and I'll say Vanderbilt guy, he, he hates corners. <laughs> he legitimately <laughs> hates cornerbacks. <laughs> he's a handful, man. The the one I mean, you play the the guy that uh, you know I I talk about like that is like Corey Coleman. He sees every cornerback as a guy trying to put him back, you know, put him back in a, the bad the bad situation that he grew up in. <laughs> That's kind of like Taylor. He just hates him. <laughs> he plays with he plays with hate. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's one of the more aggressive, tough wide receivers in this. Well, I don't know if he's in this class or not. He, I guess he's probably not. He's a, he's a junior. But if he were to declare and he was there in the fourth round and I needed a wide receiver, if I were the Carolina, you know, Panthers, I mean, I know that they're undefeated and everything, but I don't think they're quite done building that team. I, I would jump all over a kid like that if I could get him in the fourth, if he did declare. But... um. Who are some of your guys that you'll be checking out, Jim, in the ever-popular Miami Beach Bowl? Well, here's a good question for you. If a quarterback throws 94 touchdowns to Conference USA, does it make a sound? I know we've kind of been down this road before. You you know I got my heart kind of broken last year, even though my boy had a great year in the CFL. Oh, yeah, Rakeem Cato, you mean? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I, I, I almost cried watching Rakeem Cato's tape because I was like, you know, all these people are hating on all these quarterbacks, and here you have a guy doing everything, and nobody cares. (laughs) Nobody cares. (laughs) You know, it's like it doesn't matter what I write. It doesn't matter what I do. I can mm-hmm. have him as my fifth quarterback. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah, it was like that. Um, but yeah, Dowdy is definitely. I mean, Dowdy got his got game. Uh, I think any t- West Coast team um, that needs a quarterback. I don't know why you're not looking at Brandon Dowdy, but like I said, doesn't make it sound. That's that's the better question. Um, Jared, I mean, he, he is at least a good backup. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I think I think yeah, and probably I mean, more. <laughs> well, I mean, just look at what we just watched Case Keenum do last night. Mm-hmm. He's slightly better at everything than Case Keenum is. Yep. <laughs> but doesn't make a sound. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's all I can say. Uh, he's been extremely productive year in year out. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's just that sort of thing. I, I, you know, I don't know. I hope it goes well. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. Um, Dangerfield is the best name on the team. Yeah, um, but not that. Well, it depends. Derek Overstreet's a pretty cool name for a DN. Um, but yeah, Dangerfield is is very interesting. But is it? The, you know, I do agree that you know Taylor uh, Taiwan Taylor does have kind of interesting physical stuff. Um, 
Tyler Higby, I know, I think got invited to the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not that great, but I remember watching a couple games where he made some of the toughest catches I've seen any wide receiver make, like receiver period. I've seen him. I've seen him make the circus catch is before. He doesn't do it every game. He's like one of these weird, mysterious tight ends that uh, <laughs> like doesn't do it consistently, but all of a sudden he he makes this like play, and you're like, "What? What got in you, Tyler Higby? You know, like it, like <laughs> were you possessed or something? Like it's it's strange, but he does he does do that. Um, I think he's a serviceable H backy kind of guy. Uh, but I, 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 as a receiver, there's a little bit more you want there. But I, but I do say again, there was a couple games, even as a sophomore, where he was making catches at times where I'm like, you should not be able to do that. Like that's not possible, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And he did it. Uh, at least you mm-hmm. think it's not possible, you know. Um, but yeah, he's there. Uh, South Florida, I. Really do like Marlon Mack. He's he's very uh, intriguing um, as a running back. Of course, he's a sophomore. Um, I also like uh, trying to think of a couple of defenses. There's not that many defensive players. They kind of fallen off a little bit on defense. So, uh, you know, they have collectively a good group of guys, but you know, it's not like what they and of, and of course, you know, they had. Everybody, the the you know um, Aaron uh, Lynch, you know a couple of years right. ago, but that was more well, so. Uh, to, I was going to say a few years they had five guys drafted off their defense. Think about that. At one point, they had Jenkins, the corner. They had Nate Allen. Pierre Paul. They had Jason Pierre Paul, George Selby, and what was the linebacker? They had a really quick little linebacker. Oh they yeah. D.D. Lattimore? Thank you. Yep. All those guys, yeah. <laughs> right, they had five guys drafted off their defense at one point. So you're right. They've dropped off a big – This year, not so much, yeah, this year not at so least. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, wide receiver. I do like Rodney Adams, though. I don't know if you guys have seen him yeah. from South Florida. Yeah. But he's, he's, yeah. he's a junior, but he's a, he's interesting. Um. I mean, I, I think it's a good – yeah, it's going to be a good game. Uh, Western Kentucky is always fun to watch. Uh, Brandon Dowdy is always cool. But, again, like I like I said, I hate to reiterate, but for 94 <laughs> touchdowns <laughs> in Conference USA doesn't make a sound. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, how many more touchdowns does he have to throw, right? You know, <laughs> six more, seven – and he's he has had some games where he's thrown about six. So, yep. like, how many more does he have to throw? I mean, that Bahamas Bowl last year, he just went nuts. <laughs> but yep. uh, he, he's he's the kind of guy. And like I said, I look around the league, and you know, Steve said, you know, you know, at least a good backup. But look at who's starting some of these games. I mean, Kellen Moore is going to start a game this weekend. Sure, and I don't, I don't dislike Kellen Moore, but 
Brandon Daddy has more stuff to work with than Kellen Moore. Um, like I said, we just saw Case Keenum have, I mean, he had darn close to a perfect night. Of course, he's in a team that runs the ball extremely well and forces teams to play eight in the box, and so it you know simplifies your job a little bit as a quarterback. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you drop Brandon Daddy in that situation, they they win that game with him as well as they, they did with, with Keenum. Uh Chiefs Yates is about to do battle with um uh, oh gosh. Um help me. Uh Yates versus uh Oh, T J Yates versus uh is it Hathaway? Uh, who did T J Yates is Charlie Waterhurst. Whitehurst. Oh, oh, yeah. Whitehurst. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and no offense, no offense to clipboard Jesus, <laughs> right? And no offense to clipboard Jesus, but <laughs> I think Brandon Dowdy is an improvement over both of those individuals. And keep in mind this, though, guys. And this is that's the first place. <laughs> Charlie Whitehurst, you know, won the lottery and is, you know, one as we know, you know, he's. Again, like the, one of the greatest living Americans that we have uh, in society. Um, but, you know, people talk a lot about the Seahawks and how great they are. People forgot that they traded a third-round pick for Charlie Whitehurst. Yes, yes they um, did. And then they ran and signed Matt Flint. The thing that, but the yes. thing that, the thing that marks them is they, they don't stubbornly stick to their stupid mistakes. They say, you know what, mm-hmm. that's a stupid mistake. And they and, cut and, their and, losses immediately. And then they and then they got lucky that none nobody is the you know for for two rounds and a quarter three quarters every team in the NFL couldn't get over that Russell Wilson was short. Yeah, and Andy Reid too, and that's the other thing too. You know, Andy <laughs> Reid wanted to take him in the second round, but they kept insisting. No, he'll keep falling. Okay. <laughs> All right. There there was a you know I was. I had a very high grade on Russ, and I was like, eh. I mean, I was like, you know, when Kansas City came up and took Poe, and Poe was a really good player. I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. they really should, they really should take Russell Wilson. And then when Arizona came up and took Floyd, I said they should take Russell Wilson. <laughs> and uh, you know, it just kept going down and down and down and down. And you know, I was like. Oh well, there's gonna be a lot of guys that are gonna get fired because they didn't take Russell Wilson, <laughs> and they should <laughs> because you know the uh, and I, I understand he was you know five eleven or so when they wait when they it's a, it's but that's the ball. only reason it's the only Here's reason Teddy. he could have fell that far because the Teddy tape was awesome, was unbelievable. I mean, I, that's what I was. I, I was with my buddy uh, Brian McKinney. I just went back every time I went back, and I would like, you know, if Russell Wilson was six foot two, he might be the best player in this draft. You know, if Russell Wilson was six foot two, then about two weeks before the draft, I said, you know what, he's not six foot two. That doesn't mean that this what I'm saying doesn't mean he's a really good football player. So maybe I should just forget he's not six foot two. Well, as I like to point out, he didn't just wake up. One morning, and suddenly he went from being six foot three or six foot two to being five foot ten and five eight. He's managed mm-hmm. to work around that all of his life. It's just a yeah. He, but he knows it, 
but he knows what it is and knows how to deal with it. I mean, uh, not mm-hmm. every short quarterback knows how to deal with it, but he clearly developed mm-hmm. how to. I had I got the whole thing with our friend Jam Scott about this, but some guys have it figured out. Yes, you would love him to be six foot whatever, but he's not. But he look at how he played behind the largest offensive line in the NCAA that year, the largest. And the ball and the ball just explodes out of his hand. Everything yeah, he, he does is great. Arm. Yeah, he has a terrific, terrific <laughs> arm. Yeah, there's no doubt about his ability to drive the football. I mean, that's why I said, you know, the Flutie comparison of all the short quarterback comparisons that were thrown at him was the one of the few that made any sense because Flutie also had a really strong arm. People forget how strong Flutie's arm was. Yeah, but uh, but the thing, like, and Russell was as a, the thing even with, even with Flutie, Russell was just. Russell's short, but Russell's thick. Yeah. He's built like a running back. And he doesn't yep. take hits. I mean, how many times have you actually legitimately seen Russell Wilson get hit and you're like, ooh. Yeah, like, that's another thing. I rarely. Think. Untaped, he's one of the smartest guys you've seen. Brilliant. Mean, I mean, he's, yeah, he's very smart. Yeah. He, I mean, he just had all the physical tools except he wasn't tall. Combine that with a guy who's really smart and competitive. I mean, Russell Wilson plays with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he sees everybody that ever called Jesus talk and everything. Right. All the Jesus talk and everything. Yeah, a little bit of that heart of the assassin thing that mm-hmm. Brady and all the other great ones have. He wants you to suffer. He wants you to feel that you didn't. He wants you to look at your quarterback and think, why aren't you Russell Wilson? I mean, I guarantee you, <laughs> Russell Wilson can tell you every player that was drafted in front of it. Oh, I guarantee it. Okay. <laughs> well, he can remember a lot of things. But, I mean, with, with Wilson, even as a metrics guy, because that's that thing, is you know, starting to do the metric stuff, mm-hmm. Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck were mm-hmm. neck and neck Mm-hmm. Prospects in terms of their touchdown interception ratio, which Russell Wilson's better. In terms of you know Wonderlick, you know Russell Wilson hit a 28, which hit, you know hits kind of past the bar when it comes to that stuff. Even if you don't or not, that he passed it. Uh, yeah. You know, lower body strength above average, uh, speed above average. Like he had everything. There was no number saying. Don't draft me except for except one. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, this is why this is why I talk about variables and how one variable people can't get over one variable. Like it's just one <laughs> variable. It's like with yep. Jason Verrett, he was mm-hmm. the best quarterback in that class. It's, even though it, it's been a struggle because he's been injured a lot, he still people go, yeah, he's the best cornerback. And then like in terms of those guys that came out. But it's that one thing that people can't get over, and it's it's like bigger picture here. Like back in that class, I probably would have told you he's amazing, but he's five eleven. It doesn't matter that he's five eleven. Like sometimes you have to do that, and I I don't know why, especially when it comes down to one variable. Because Jason Brett was a one variable kind of guy. Yep. This is one thing that was a little off. <laughs> and, uh, and, of 
the injury history, but it was just that one thing for the most part that was unusual. But everything else was awesome. He's one of the most athletic cornerbacks we've had we have in the NFL. Uh he, you know, in terms of production was amazing at TCU. Like everything checks the boxes except for that one variable. And if you can't go over that one variable, why do you still have an NFL job, man? Yeah. Like why uh, that's just me. I mean, if you can't get over that one variable, that, that one variable is the difference between going to the Super Bowl and winning and, you know, sitting running your Marshawn Lynch spot, you know? Yeah, so it's really interesting to see. I guess Brydon Dowdy is a one variable guy, and one variable is the conference he played at. Western Kentucky. <laughs> no. <laughs> If you drop him, even at a bad program in the SEC, like Vanderbilt, right? And he does what he's doing at Vanderbilt. He played really well. Vanderbilt's quarterback is, you know, yeah, he would do well. Brand, if you put Brandon Doty on Ohio State, they're playing in the Final Four. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and winning it. If you put Jeff Driscoll at Ohio State, that's that. Driscoll. That would be one of the greatest sports stories ever. <laughs> if you put Brandon Doty in Alabama. Oh, my. Oh, my stars and garters. Wow. I mean, so, I mean, you know, that that's a, you know, the, the thing. You, know, you put Brandon Doty, heck, if you put Brandon Doty at Oklahoma or Michigan State or, I mean, he's better than, their, than the quarterbacks that are, I mean, here are the four quarterbacks that are playing in the, in the final four. Let's see, we got the awesome Jacob Cooper, Coker, yep. and Coker, we've got Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Connor and, Cook, uh, and Connor Cook, and who was the other one? Oh, uh, Deshaun, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Watson. Yeah. So Watson clearly the better, you know, right. the quarterback in that group. But I mean, you know, Brandon Doty's better than at least three of those guys. <laughs> yep. I don't know that Hunter that smash contest Hunter Cook. You, you know, I, I will never understand the Connor Cook thing because you hear this Connor Cook. Well, Connor Cook, you know, look at this great throw, and it's really you, you when you look at it, it's Burbridge making a ridiculous catch, and yep. you know, no one ever talked about Burbridge. <laughs> no, because he's you know he's secondary. He's, uh, <laughs> I mean, and, and most of the most of the gifts that you see of Connor Cook say, "Look at this! Look at this great throw by Connor Cook." When you look at it, it's just a ridiculous catch by Burbridge. Right. <laughs> I mean, where you know he goes up between two defenders and plucks the ball out of the air and makes his quarterback not look awful. <laughs> Throws the double coverage and gets praised for it, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the I like about Gibbs is that, like there were some Blake Bortles throws I was watching where they're like, it was amazing throw, but Blake Bortles. It was one of those catches where if you just got there a half a second late, it's off. It's done. <laughs> I mean, you know, and you ask yourself, you know, when you when you see that, is that Mike Bortles or is that the fact that he's getting the throw to to Allen Robinson? And, and the other Allen, 
Alan Hearns is not exactly <laughs> chopped liver, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're going up. I mean, it's great that he's you know throwing it and giving them a chance, but. As I said on that one gift that they showed, and they said, oh, look at this. Look at this great thing. I said, he threw the exact same pass against the Titans, and Zach Brown picked it off. And no one in Jags Twitter was saying, oh, look at a great throw. (laughs) (laughs) It was the exact same throw. (laughs) Right. It's just Zach Brown was faster than this other linebacker he's throwing it against in this gift. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I guess... This is the same bowl that used to be called the Idaho Potato Bowl, but now I guess they dropped the Idaho. It's just known as the Potato Bowl. Uh, that brings together the Akron Zips and Utah State Aggies for the first meeting in their team's history. Uh, the Zips are 0-1 and one in their <laughs> history in bowls. They were last in the Motor City Bowl in 2005, which they lost to Memphis. The Utah State Aggies are four and five. They last were in the New Mexico Bowl where they won versus the University of Texas El Paso twenty one to six. torn on this one, but I'm gonna have to go with the, the, the sturdy zips out of the Mac. Uh Jim, who are some of the guys that you'll be eyeballing when you check out the ever popular potato bowl? Uh which I guess, you know, is another one of the more edible bowls this this year. Oh. Yeah. Um, I, I, very. I, I do. Uh, any guy there, honestly, just uh, there. Uh, at least I've stairs, but really I believe I heard you say fackerel. Uh, I don't know if you just went into a bad coverage area or something there, Jim. Yeah, I got... Yeah, I think Jim... Jim may have gone into his dungeon to get something. Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, there he is. Yeah. I heard Octavius Brown, and I heard something about Tyler Fackerel. Okay, uh, no, no, no. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm in tire district, so uh, yeah, um, yeah. Tavis Brown uh, leads the team in sacks, leads the team in tackles for loss, almost leads the team in sacks as well. Tape wise, it's a similar story. He's, I think he's underrated uh, as a kind of strong side linebacker guy. He's undersized, but I think there might be a place for him in the NFL. I think. In terms of what, everything he does, I mean, he does everything you want yeah. uh, for a linebacker to do, and he does it. And he's also fairly, uh, excuse me, underrated as a as an athlete. At cornerback, uh, Chris Givens is kind of interesting as well on Akron. I mean, he's a guy that's kind of needs to be flashed a couple things uh, at times. Uh, Offense wise, uh, the only I really like is Jerome Lane. Uh, Jerome uh, Lane. He's a sophomore. Yes. He is the um, son of Kool-Aid, uh vicious dunker from uh, Pittsburgh, the one that uh, is referred to in the sort of meme-esque uh, Bill Raffrey. Mm-hmm. Sit at home, Jerome! Um, but yes. The guy who's famous for back- breaking backboards. Yes, former backboard breaking <laughs> 
uh, forward from Pitt. So, yeah, it's funny. I always thought that Jerome Lane could have been the father, could have been a pretty good football player. So now we get to see mm. his son play a different sport. But, yes, he's like his father. He He's a guy who can jump up and grab him and bring him down. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, oh, he, he, he looks like a football player. Yes, he does. Well, his father mm-hmm. did, too. His father was very for, – for basketball players of that era, of the late mm-hmm. 1980s, he was – more built up than the usual basketball. You know, yeah, he, he, like a <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Dad, mm-hmm. he was listed at he was listed at six six and two ten, and that was at least twenty to twenty five pounds wrong. I, I mean, if my eyes work at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, Utah State and Utah State had a bit of a bummer year. Yeah, a bummer. Um. Bummer, dude. Uh, Hunter Sharp is still decent. Yeah, wide receiver. He's a senior this year. He's coming out. Um, I think he could do some things for a team. I know uh, if I had the sad Hulk music, I could play that for Chucky Keaton because I know it's like, you know, in terms of uh, his uh, career, you know, because I know Bill was really excited about him. and. Uh, I was when he yeah. was a sophomore. Yeah, I was extremely excited. And it all was the... yeah. Really, I mean, yeah. I mean, he, he he's had a rough year this year. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, well, I think Jeff Driscoll stole Chucky Keaton's pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, a four, a four, a four went out for for. For Chucky Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick Vigil at linebacker related to Zach Vigil. Yeah. Who also played linebacker. Uh, is uh, DC. He's a junior. Those are he's probably not going to play, but he's interesting. Um, they also have a nose tackle there, David uh, uh Moela, I think, or Moela or Moela. Yeah. Yeah, Moela. He's kind of. Yeah, Moela. Yeah. He's kind of interesting. Um, the cornerback I really like there is a sophomore though, Jalen Davis, but he's you know unfortunately a sophomore, but he's interesting. Um, Deshaun Hines at corners also cool, and uh, yeah, that's I mean that's about it. The, uh, what I really like about Utah State is the, their their defensive backs in particular. They teach them; they're all relatively really good tacklers. Uh, they're all very good, uh, aggressive, which I like as well. They kind of coach them up to be uh, aggressive. Can be a little too handsy as well, I know. That's kind of kind of criticism of them a lot because they teach them to use their hands a lot. But um, but I do like uh, what they do with the DBs there. But it, it'll be uh, – I, I, I would not be surprised if Akron won, but at the same time, I think Utah State could muster up the heart of a champion, I guess, maybe, and uh, do their thing, but I I just don't know. And who knows, maybe Chucky Keaton comes into the game and uh, has an amazing bowl game or something, maybe, but probably not. So, yeah. Yep. And that brings us to, I think, a very interesting matchup 
in the Bokaraton Bowl as the fighting Tyler Medicaviges of uh, Temple University take on the Rockets of Toledo. These are two pretty darn good teams. And this, I think, will be one of those sort of sneaky, not even sneaky good, just a lot of good matchups. Uh, Toledo leads the, the previous history of meetings, 7-3 to three of all things, and they last met in 2011 with Toledo winning 35-13. In their bowl history, they're 9-5, and they last won the GoDaddy Bowl just last year. They beat the living daylights out of Arkansas. Well, I should say that it was a somewhat close game, but they won 63-44. to <clears throat> The Owls are 2-2, two and two, and they were last in the bowl in 2011 where they faced Wyoming in the New Mexico Bowl, and they won 37-15. Now, uh, Mr. Jim Coburn, who are some of the players you're excited about uh, getting a chance to check out in the Boca Raton Bowl? Um, yeah, uh, Temple, they have a, a white guy that plays uh, linebacker. Um, <laughs> not sure what his name is. Um, mm-hmm. Won a couple of awards, too. Uh, I think he's good. I don't know. He he could be, but uh, he's there. I heard he was short, slow, and small. Yep. <laughs> yep. And missed tackles. <laughs> Lots of missed tackles. Uh, and uh, he has red hair. And red. Uh, yeah, you can't trust gingers. Definitely can't. <laughs> Terrible. And and also because of their pigmentation. Pain tolerance. Actually, it is actually a true story. They actually did a study and found that uh, people who have this sort of ginger kind of you know pigmentation are have a higher pain tolerance. Well, lower pain tolerance. So they're more susceptible to pain than other people. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Um, so that makes you think about Medikevich in a different way, huh? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a real study. Uh, I, don't, I forgot the name of it, but it was kind of interesting. Reading it, and I thought of Benetton. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's so, like, you know, you're eagle, you're eagle fan. So, you know, your pain is even more than a Raider fan because you know you're a ginger and you're an eagle fan. So, pain is even more. Um, but, um, yeah, Temple Medikevich, uh They also had Nate D. Smith. Is kind of interesting a little. Um, Matt, I, I, I this. I need this. Yes, he's kind of the I, 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 Yes, yeah. I, I, yep. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's another guy that kind of showed off a lot of stuff um, at times there, uh, offense-wise for them. Uh, Robbie Anderson is not that bad at wide receiver. Uh, of course, PJ Walker. I think the last time I talked about PJ Walker, I mentioned him. Well, the first time I told you about PJ Walker, I mentioned him probably five times, and as you can tell, I just mentioned him about four times. He's He's a fun quarterback to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, does a lot of uh, interesting things. Getting the and he can and he can get the football down the field, which is another thing that's kind of interesting um, about him. Um, and he has legs, and that's all that kind of stuff that you want. But he, he's he's cool. Uh, Jahad Thomas is kind of an underrated running back as well. Um, I think next year because he's a junior, I don't think he's coming up. Um, but next year he's going to be somebody I think could take a next step and become really, you know, could be one of the better AAC backs. Um, can do a little bit of everything. Um, at Toledo, 
they have, of course, uh, Kareem Hunt, who I thought was done for the year, and then he's unexpectedly playing again. So um, at the beginning of the year, I remember he missed a couple games for some sort of yeah, he missed illicit. four of their first missed four of their first five, and uh, took him a little while to really get back into it. But he has been on a tear. <laughs> yep. Towards the end of the season. Yeah, but he's, he's, been, he's looked, been really. He's yeah, but he's, yeah, he's been like really good. He's looked like a guy who had sixteen hundred and thirty-one yards last year as a sophomore. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely, he's decent. And defense-wise, I kind of like uh, Cheatham. Uh, Cheatham Norland or Norrells. I think that's how you say it. Uh, he's a senior there, but he he's kind of interesting. And also like a Ryan Jones at Toledo, the kind of nose tackle, defense tackle kind of guy. He's he's kind of interesting as well. Um, but yeah, it, it should be a fun matchup. I think uh, I, I'll give it to Temple just because I think they've proven to take down some pretty big dogs. Toledo has too, but I think Temple, I think Temple might have the last sort of uh, you know laugh, I guess, at the end of the game. I think it'll be kind of close, um, and uh, I think it'll come down to uh, P.J. Walker and or or the defensive Temple coming up with something late. And, uh, you know, this is Matt Campbell actually coaching Toledo in this game? Oh, interesting question. I mean, um, uh, I mean, because, yeah, or has he already moved on to Iowa State? You know, I think he may have to check. This game may be being coached by uh, an interim. That's something I'll check on. Great question. I will, I will find that out and report back to you. Um, but, yeah, there's it's an interesting contrast even though both teams are certainly capable of scoring. <clears throat> uh, Toledo clearly hangs more of its hat on its offense, and though Temple is certainly capable of playing offense, uh, they have one of the better defenses I've seen all year, period. Um, I, In terms of coordination and the defense working together, communicating effectively, and making plays, despite the fact that we may not have the number of pro prospects you might find at Alabama or LSU, they are an extremely well-coached, disciplined, effective defense. That brings us to the Poinsettia Bowl, where Boise uh, takes places in Northern Illinois <clears throat> for the first time in the two programs' history. Boise is 10-5 and five in bowl games. And they were last in Fiesta Bowl, where they beat Arizona 38-30. Northern is 4-6. and six. And they were last in the Boca Raton Bowl, where they lost to Marshall 52-23. to 23. James Coburn, who are some of the players that you are looking forward to analyzing when those two teams face each other for the first time? Oh, they play each other for the first time? Uh, yes, believe it or not, Northern has never played Boise, or vice versa. 
Interesting. Um, yeah, Boise, Boise uh, Thomas Spurbeck Spir, Spir, uh, yeah, wide receiver. He's kind of uh, mm-hmm. shown the most this year. Um, Jeremy Mc, uh, McNichols at running back is a sophomore, but I think he's the guy to kind of watch in this game. Um, it's kind of done some things there. Most of this, and also the center for for Boise State is also kind of um, interesting. I really have to see how he tests. He's a guy who's he's pretty nasty. Like that's the one they all say about him. He finishes plays um, and shows a mean streak. Uh, I'm not sure about how powerful he is 100, percent and I think that's kind of one thing that's kind of knock him a little bit. But he is kind of an interesting guy. Um, on defense, I know everything is Darian Thompson centered at least. Um, he's a guy that looks the part. Uh, I like him. I think he'll be a decent safety. I don't think he's going to be a great safety 100% just because I don't think he uh, I mean he does certain things well. He doesn't do like in terms of like him and one-on-one coverage at times I wasn't that impressed 100%. Right. That's not the strength of this game. But he is a guy that can tackle He's a guy that can, you know, pick off plays, but uh, he is someone that uh, I I don't think he's going to be overdrafted. But he's just one of those. Every year there's a Mountain West player that people watch and go, he's amazing, and then either a they get drafted in the second round and then end up underperforming, or b they get drafted in the fourth round and people go, why did he fall to the fourth round? And then they end up being exactly what you know. <laughs> kind of expected to be, uh, in a way. Um, but I'm just, that that's just my experience. I mean, you know, I've watched about West Conference a lot. Uh, I do like Thompson. I just don't necessarily think that he's a, a – there's some people who are like, second rounder, right now, put him on the table, right, type thing. And then there's me that's like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hold off a bit, you know. Let's see all the facts. Let's see all the facts first. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Uh, uh, Jonathan uh, Moxie at cornerback is kind of cool. Uh, Dante uh, Dion also. I mean, they have some interesting corners there. Um, uh, Kamale Coria, I believe, kind of their major edge rusher there. He's kind of had a less than spectacular year this year, uh, but I think he's. And also tape-wise, he's kind of um, – he just doesn't really pop on tape. So he's a guy who's been pretty productive over, la- over a couple seasons, but I just don't think he has a lot of uh, physical gifts, I guess. Or it doesn't really show really good um, – like, he doesn't really seem like a hyper – he doesn't really do anything that's really special, is what I'm trying to say, um, that makes you go, wow, I really want this guy. Um, yeah, and at uh, Northern Illinois, I do believe they have – honestly, I think – yeah, what's it? I can't I remember. Because I was watching the Ohio State game, and uh, – oh, yeah, uh, Brandon uh, – 
not Brandon, Mar- Marlon Moore at free safety is one of the guys uh, that I think kind of showed some stuff in the Ohio State game that was kind of interesting. And they also have a wide receiver as well uh, in uh, – oh, yeah, Kenny uh, Gall- uh, Galladay, who's a junior, Richard Jr. Um, he, he was a guy that I think you should definitely watch um, in this game. Um, yeah, but that that's but those those are mainly the guys that I would I would say to go check out. Oh, are you still there, Bill? Yep, I am. That brings us to. Perhaps not the bowl that America wants, but the bowl that America needs, the GoDaddy Bowl. Where Are the GoDaddy girls going to be there? Because that's probably the best thing about the GoDaddy Bowl. GoDaddy. That, that, yeah, that, that and Matt Johnson probably is going to throw for like 700 yards in this game. Yes. He, <laughs> speaking of enormously underrated players, um, and I'm not saying he's going to be an NFL starter, but once again, when I look at some of the got number it. two quarterbacks <laughs> in the NFL, I, I will I will tell you this: he was probably the best quarterback Tennessee played all year, and they played they played you know the SEC a lot. Yeah, played Baker Mayfield. They played uh, Will Grier. So he was probably the best quarterback that. He was definitely the one that gave them problems the most. I mean, they just, wow. They just kept throwing it deep. <laughs> yeah, he's an exceptional deep ball thrower. Uh, he, despite the fact he's not the biggest cat in the world, he's unafraid of, of pressure. He will stay in there and take Scott a Moxie. hit. Yes, that he does. Uh, he's got a chip on his shoulder also. He thinks he's been underrated. And he probably is right uh, pretty much yep. his entire career. I will say this also. Uh, ben Albright uh, tweeted out uh, that he doesn't normally like to use the term it. Talking about quarterbacks, but he said that Matt Johnson has it. Yep. I mean, he well, – that, I mean, that's – you can see on, on a field that the team uh, – what I would describe Matt Johnson as – Baker Mayfield with you know more with, with a better arm and with arm <laughs> talent, yeah. <laughs> you know the same kind of yeah. Uh, you, you you just I mean you can just tell he just he just oozes confidence. <laughs> yep. Yep. He, he's there is nothing tentative about his game. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to throw this seventy-yard bomb, and I can get it there. (laughs) Yep. Well put. (laughs) I mean, it was like I said. Like like I said, Tennessee. I I was lucky. I was glad when that game was over. Right. Yeah. Did Dino Babers take the Syracuse job? Yeah. 
Yes, he did. So, I didn't know if he was going to be coaching this game either, so. Well, what they ought to do is yeah. just essentially make Matt Johnson a player coach for this one. I mean, that's something I, I think, there's so many coaching changes that these bowl games <laughs> are going to be weird. Yes. Yes, they will. Yeah, this is going to really, I mean, always, it's always a busy, you know, carousel, whatever, but this year, yikes. <laughs> yeah, and there were so many jobs that came open. And so, you know, just. The, 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 but some of the guys that you really expected to move, Herman, Matt Rule, I, do we think Matt Rule's waiting on Penn State <laughs> to see what Maybe. happens there? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, that that's his alma mater. That's mama. <laughs> so Depends on what happens with Franklin, you know. Um, and also, by the way, I saw Franklin, and I didn't know he coached at Maryland, but yeah, he did yep. because I was reading a um, the old. Uh, he, he was the office of uh, coordinator. He, he, he was, was actually the Friedman. coach in waiting there. Yep, he was Friedman's last office coordinator. Yep. Uh, and that when they yep. you know finally were going to shove. Oh God, what was the guy? Great, Ralph Friedman. He was Friedman. Ralph, Ralph Friedman. Yep. When they were going to finally push Ralph Friedman out the door. Uh, you know, it was going to be James Franklin's job. He didn't hang around, you know, for that to happen. He went to Vanderbilt. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah, but no, I mean, Bowling Green, Matt Johnson, awesome. Roger Lewis, awesome. Yep. Uh, Dieter, decent. Ronnie Moore, cool. Uh, you know, it's just like his way. Uh, running backs. I mean, Chris Gallon, uh, Travis Green. Um, this guy I really like Travis Green. A lot of uh, has decent speed and stuff like that. Always in a committee though. Like yeah. can't yeah. can't shake him. You know. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. That's just somewhere I'm just like, oh, man, you know, if he could just get all the carries and. You know, this other guy, uh, you know, you could go somewhere else. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's kind of that. Uh, Clint Stevens, sophomore at cornerback, is also kind of cool. They had Terrence Bush and uh, Boyster. I haven't done a ton this year, but they've done enough at least to kind of, I don't know, Give me kind of a couple of looks here and there. And um, Bowling Green and then Georgia Southern. Man. Uh, I mean, Georgia Southern is a, a plucky, mm-hmm. you know, little triple option attack. Uh, occasionally, Pesky. though. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, Matt, with a Matt quarterback. Rita. Which you know, Carl, you know, Carl Joseph had was it five interceptions this year? Three of those were thanks to the Georgia Southern quarterback. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he had a lot of interceptions, but the three of them were all due to one guy, uh, and that was the Georgia Southern. 
I don't know if it'll quite be the same sort of thing because, you know, I mean, uh, Bowling Green doesn't necessarily have a Carl Joseph there. Because Carl Joseph, you know, I'm not saying he you know, was like a happenstance. Well, some of them were, but, you know, he he did what he was supposed to do and got some picks. I'll be interested to see what happens there um, in terms of Georgia Southern, um, how how the quarterback deals with uh, the – the uh, defense and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, but that's, that's about it. It's really a Bowling Green show. I mean, Bowling Green may put up 60 points on them. Yep. 70, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and, again, I'll say this again, I hate to keep saying it, but if a Matt quarterback puts 70 points in a bowl game, <laughs> does it make a sound? <laughs> well, He'll be at the NFLPA game, and admittedly, that's not the senior bowl or whatever. Which but. is horrible. Like I know. That's awful. Like I know. You tell me you can't go to the Shrine game <laughs> or the senior bowl? <laughs> I mean, Jacob Coker's going to the senior bowl. We've all talked about this, and I've told you, <sighs> you guys. Jacob Coker's going to the senior bowl because you make a lot of money by doing that. Because yeah, he gets all the, all the press. And, is there know, any hey, hometown hero? I mean, you know, they still got to sell tickets to this thing. <laughs> yeah. And Alabama fans, and that's the crazy thing, Bill. That's the thing about Alabama fans. I think it's because they don't, they haven't had a lot of good quarterbacks there. Because they seem no. to. They fall so in when love any with of quarterbacks them, in Alabama. Yes, because they don't see a lot of them. Like they don't, they don't see what a good one looks like. And even if there is a good one. They make up silly nicknames for him, like Scam Newton, or you know, uh, uh, you know, like AJ McCracken, or you know, like stuff like that. To, to kind of like he's not good. He's AJ McCracken because uh, they just have never really had good quarterbacks. So they gravitate. So whoever the quarterback is, they just embrace him with open arms and go, "Please hug me, hug me, Coker." And it's like Matt Johnson, Brandon Dowdy, like. I mm-hmm. and I hate to say this, but the Senior Bowl constantly, like I, I'll put it to you, I don't know, I I don't understand why the Senior Bowl in particular. Well, I do understand, but I think it's wrong that the Senior Bowl doesn't realize at times that sometimes the best quarterbacks aren't going to be found in the FBS. Sometimes, or you know, the major, the Power Five FBS. Sometimes the better quarterbacks are going to be in the FCS. They're going to be in Conference USA. They're going to be in these other places, you know. And even though you may not think Matt Johnson is a pro prospect, he kind of is because he's outplaying all these guys that you're inviting to your own chin dig. So, I don't know. What I don't really get is the NFL wants to have the Senior Bowl to be this big thing and have all these scouts invited there, and it's – it's like these other quarterbacks are better than those other guys. You need to be inviting these people. But then they do the opposite, you know? Yes. I mean, Brandon yes. Bridge, I believe. Wasn't Brandon Bridge invited to the Senior Bowl last year? No, thank, thank Jesus, no. Oh. He was invited to the oh, East yeah, Shrine yeah, game. Right. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, he, he, he was, was. He was bad enough at the Shrine game. <laughs> but yeah. that, that's the thing, though. He went to the Shrine game. Kato didn't go to the Shrine game. 
you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, as I recall, the senior bowl practices on the first day, the quarterbacks were so impressive that Ken Wisenhunt was, was literally begging in the press for Marcus Mariota to show up at the senior bowl. <laughs> the, the quarterback, the, after seeing Bryce Teddy and that <laughs> crowd throw. Yeah. And keep in mind, everybody moaned. And the funny thing mm-hmm. is, is that everybody moaned it. You know, the senior bowl I, you know, attended, mm-hmm. everybody moaned about the quarterbacks. And yet, when you think about it, we had Derek Carr. We had Derek Carr at the senior bowl. And they were moaning about mm-hmm. that. So, like, you just can't, you can't please everybody. But I just don't understand why. Uh, and I know that. And Fred again, Savage definitely is doing his due diligence, sort of. But I mean, this year in particular, SEC just doesn't have good quarterbacks. So why invite any of them? You know, to the senior let's, bowl. Let's, like, let's invite Treon Harris. Yeah, or Jacob Coker, because <laughs> like Coker definitely. Why not? You know, big tall white guy who played one year of college football and. Half a blowout, maybe two and blowouts. And, and their entire offense, if the game is close, if the game is close, this is Alabama's entire offense. Derrick Henry right, Derrick Henry left, Derrick Henry up the middle, <laughs> and five yards pass. Exactly. Five yards pass. <laughs> and sometimes he has trouble getting those done. <laughs> they literally don't throw the ball over five yards if the game is close. Now, if they get a little bit of distance on you, that's when they'll start taking some shots, maybe. But uh, until, as long as the game is close, it's Derrick Henry 40 times and 25-yard pass. <laughs> it, is, it is incredible to me that they have been able to uh, come up with as much offense as they do based on how amazingly simple and close to the line of scrimmage everything is. I mean, yep. I, you will never you talk, you will never see more bubble screens in your life than you see Yeah, but Lane Kiffin, man, he can <laughs> draw them up. I mean, uh, people talk about, you know, the spread offense is throwing a lot of bubble screens. This supposed uh, pro offense in Alabama runs that that is all bubble screens. It is bubble screens and uh, Derek Henry behind the fullback. <laughs> and I guess they've made it work because you know uh, you know the well there wasn't really let's just admit it the SEC quarterbacks this year it was it was a horror show. <laughs> Pretty much it was terrible. Everything, Everything. That quarterback was terrible. Yep, all of them. It's like remember the days. It's like remember when we had AJ McCarron and, and Zach Mettenberger and Zach Mettenberger you know? and uh, and Aaron Murray and we used to all talk about how you know they weren't really all that good. Those guys were all of famers. I guarantee you guys like Brandon Doherty, Matt Johnson would have started for every team in the Southeastern Conference. 
everything went up. Now, the team in the Southeastern Conference, those two guys wouldn't have started for. <laughs> yep. Still there, Bill? Yeah, I'm just thinking about why. I'm, okay, I'm trying not to think about <laughs> the senior bowl quarterback situation. I'm just going to block it out of my mind. We know uh, we'll why. It's a sticky situation. Remember horse trading? Remember we were talking about that? Yeah, a lot of horse yeah. trading. A lot of people going to the, you know, the senior bowl going, you know, legitimately, I want to go see Jacob Coker. He's my idol. Yeah, I mean, the Alabama players get the senior bowl invite uh, because the Alabama players. <laughs> because they got to sell tickets. Yep. And in Alabama, you sell tickets by putting out Alabama and Auburn players. Yep, that's how you're going to sell tickets. <laughs> you know, I mean, they got, I mean, they have a couple snowbirds, you know. That come down from uh, Big Ten country, right? But that's that's about mm-hmm. it, you know. And those are mainly just the family members, so mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Okay, you might see a Michigan State fan in Alabama, and you're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. where are you from?" It's like, "Oh, I came down here." You know, no snowbirds, basically. Well, I do have a Georgia Southern story. It's uh, from years ago. Uh, Bill, I don't know if you remember the Hugo Bowl. Uh, Georgia Southern played Middle Tennessee, and right in the middle of Hurricane Hugo, there's like 50 mile an hour winds and torrential rain came, and they were playing the game. They played it mainly because Middle Tennessee couldn't afford to stay another night. <laughs> they they had an ESPN Thursday night game, and uh, my dad was a bus driver for MTSU, and he was standing in that torrential rainstorm and didn't have a change of clothes with him. Wow. <laughs> so he drove back. He, he he came to the house. He was as wet as you could imagine a human being. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my Georgia Southern story. Um, is Bill, is, Bill uh, uh, is he... Um, it's after midnight here, so maybe Bill's, you know, sleep. I don't know. Are you still there, Bill? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, oh, see, I all, all I was going to say is, I know I hate to, like, do the thing, uh, is that it's been about four hours. So. Yeah, well, we got I, I we, can, we, we can we can hit one more game, I believe. Okay. Uh, we can hit the, the people's champion uh, of bowl games, sort of. The Bahamas Bowl, which I loved last year. Um, the Popeyes Bahamas Bowl. Yes. The, the Popeyes Bahamas Bowl. Bahamas Bowl. Yes. With, a, in my opinion, a top 50 player in it. Yep. <laughs> and there's a couple of really good football players, actually, in this game. But uh, this is their first meeting. And the Blue Raiders, if I remember correctly, is their mascot at Mill are one in three. 
in their bowl history. Last year in the Armed Forces Bowl, they lost the Navy 24-6. Western Michigan is 0-6 in bowl games. I'm picking them to get off the schneid, but we'll see. Uh, they last were in the Potato Bowl, which used to be called the Idaho Famous Potatoes Bowl, I believe. Uh, lost to Air Force 38-24. And, yes, there's going to be an interesting couple of matchups in this game. I, of course, I'm a big fan of the triplets, you know, that they have at Western Michigan. Uh, Jarvion Franklin at running back, Zach Terrell at quarterback, and, of course, Corey Davis. But who are some of the guys that you're looking forward to seeing, Jim? Well, Corey Davis, definitely. Um, He's a junior. top 50 players. Yeah, and he's a junior, too, uh, Yep. by the way. So he's... He might stay another year, um, and you know, because again, if if I hate to keep saying this, but if a, a wide receiver in the MAC catches some of the touchdowns, doesn't make a sound. Um, it's, but he's really good and really athletic, and I don't understand why people don't like him more. Um, in this particular class, I I have him as kind of a top five wide receiver in that group. And I don't know why anybody else wouldn't. Um, and that's not to say anything's wrong with this wide receiver class. It's just that I, I just from all the guys, he's, a, good, he's a really good player. He's I mean, really good. Yeah, um, you know, athletic, and you know, he's got some size. And uh, the other Western Michigan receiver is, I mean, he's got 103 catches. So uh, he's a guy that looks. Like the next, you know, Bill Parsons. I mean, uh, Bill Belichick next seventh round pick, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, plays a lot. Uh, my number two free safeties in the game in this game. I mean, uh, Kevin Byers. Kevin Byers. Yeah, is a guy that uh, has both ball skills and can tackle in the open field. Uh, which is a you know a couple is a combination that you don't see in a lot of safeties nowadays. Uh, the guy who can both catch the ball, plays the ball well, and uh, doesn't whiff on tackles. You know when people are running by him, uh, the school's all-time leading uh, interception, interception yardage, tackles. <laughs> so he's a really, really good player. I mean, this is a game that's got some really good players in it. So uh, a couple of schools that, you know, are pretty athletic. Uh, Stocksteel is stop, – Stocksteel would play for every school in the Southeastern Conference. So would Cass Carroll. I mean, so uh, two, two explosive offenses. So, I mean, it, it's going to be a fun game to watch. Mm-hmm. And Jim Coburn, um, Middle yep. Tennessee has – well, actually, you know what, I'll ask Steve. Uh, Steve, Middle Tennessee has some dudes too. Who are some of the guys that people may not be familiar with, but who uh, are players at Middle Tennessee? Yeah, and like I was talking about Bayer, he's, in my mind, yeah. a, a top 50 player. Uh, I don't think he'll be drafted there, but he'll he's, in my mind, the second best free safety in the draft after Von Bell. Uh, he's actually a true free safety and can play and stay there. Uh, Richie James has over 100 receptions. 
they have a couple of good running backs. Uh, their name I can't hit them right now. Uh, uh, they have a couple of good running backs. Brent Stockstill is one of the he's a Kellen Moore type uh, quarterback. He's the son of the coach there. Uh, he knows that offense. You know, he was born in that offense, and he just. Uh, local kid from Murfreesboro, like I said, he's the coach there. He's the coach's son. Uh, that's a they middle can score, and uh, they almost they should have beaten Vanderbilt and didn't. Uh, Western and you know Western Michigan just like I said, a lot of receivers, a really good quarterback. I expect a lot of game, a lot of points. Uh, so I mean, it, it'll be a fun game to watch. So they're about. Uh, yep, I'm trying to think if we have. Yeah, let me see. Um, I'm a big fan of Bayard, also, so I'm gonna ditto on him. I I don't know. I mean, Corey Davis to me is basically like a baby Brandon Marshall. You know, I don't know what what else does he have to do basically to get some love. But and Zach Terrell, though he's not, you know, he's not quite Matt Johnson or anything like that. He's He's a scrappy little quarterback with an underrated arm. Okay, we'll do one more and then we'll close this sucker out. Uh, the last one we shall do is the Hawaii Bowl. This is an interesting matchup also. Uh, San Diego State versus Cincinnati. Uh, this is the second time they've met. Cincinnati won the first meeting in 2007, 57-23. And if memory serves me correctly, I think Ryan Lindley was the starting quarterback for San Diego State University. Um, or was it Matt? Or was it and that kid? It was either him with Or it was, oh, no, no, they won. They won big, uh, 57 20. No, you're right. San Diego State lost it, yeah. Or was it the kid that the, it might have, or was it the kid that the Patriots drafted? O'Connell? Was that his name? It was one of those guys. It was either, it was either O'Connell uh, or Ron. Matt O'Connell? Uh, Kevin, I think, is left. Is Kevin O'Connell, yeah. It was one of those guys. It was either Lindley or O'Connell. Or, uh, or Tony Pike. Remember Tony Pike? Was, Pike? Pike, I think, was even earlier than that. Remember, seriously. I have to go back and check. But, yeah. Uh, the Bearcats are 6-7 and seven in bold. Last year in the military bowl last year where they lost to Virginia Tech. And San Diego State is three and seven in bowl. Last year in the Poinsettia Bowl last year and they lost to Navy seventeen sixteen. So uh who are you looking forward to seeing, Jim? In that one. Um, Cincinnati, it's mainly Parker Inger. Um Ah yes. I don't understand. I don't understand it. I don't Where's get it. Uh yeah, where's the love? Uh, he's a guy that I know everybody, and I say that people haven't watched his tape. The only reason I say this uh, at times is because when people rank him in with a uh, in their guard rankings and stuff like that, as like their twelfth guard usually, because uh, you know whatever, uh, like oh, I'll just stick this guy here, yeah, my twelfth guard. Uh, he played left tackle this entire year. Yeah. Um, and he was really good. 
and he's tall, and he has size, and he has length, and he has all the stuff that everybody wants at a left tackle position, uh, and has an anchor, and is powerful, and can finish his blocks. And Tate is very reminiscent of Eric Fisher. I know Eric Fisher gets a lot of hate, but and he obviously shouldn't have been the number one overall pick, but if they had drafted him in the top for the second round, I think people would think of him a little bit differently. Um, mm-hmm. I think Inger is a guy that in this class should be a day two pick as an offensive lineman um, with potential to be even better than that. Uh, it, it, like kind of sky's the limit kind of guy, but I mean, he's powerful. Um, I'd have no problem with anybody took Inger after 20. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah, I mean, has really good technique uh, <laughs> as well. Uh, so if you're a technique guy, he's that guy. So I, I don't know. I don't understand. Um, yeah. I, I, had him Cincinnati. Miss, I had him as my number one overall guard. And then, you know, after talking to you guys, going back and seeing him, the reason I had him at guard wasn't that I didn't think he'd play tackle, but I thought he'd get stuck at guard in the NFL. Then I went back and thought, well, Jeremiah Putasi got a shot at right tackle, so. (laughs) (laughs) He did. I mean, Byron Byron Bell's playing right tackle. Yeah, I I forgot who was the guy that said that Putasi wouldn't last long at right tackle. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to ruin it. I try to do a a service to people, you know. I'm I'm trying to help you. Is what I'm trying to do, you know. You're, trying you're, you're to trying to me. keep Marcus. You're trying to keep Marcus Mariota healthy. Yes, mm-hmm. keep him alive. <laughs> That's what I was trying to do, you know. That's all I was trying to do, and nobody would have listened. So yeah, um, but and that's why I also think this is a really good tackle class. I think, uh, sure, there's not a lot of guys that you would want to take top 15 overall. And besides that, most of the time the NFL gets those guys wrong. But if you have Parker Inger in the second round, if you have Jason Spriggs in the second round because of some guy starts to the Because of some gifts. Yeah, just some gifts and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, poor technique. Not that he was getting overpowered. Not that he was being put on skates, but poor technique. I mean, I saw Kevin Panfall with horrible <laughs> footwork, and he ended up oh, becoming yeah. a starting tackle. So... <laughs> Like, that's what NFL coaches are supposed to do. That's different from lacking, you know, athletic sort of traits. But, anyway, I mean, my point is is I, li- I like Inger more than Jason Spring, to be honest with you, from all the tape I've seen. Um, but he is a guy that I'm kind of on an mm-hmm. island with, I guess, when I say that. But um, you're, you're not. You're, you're, you're not. <laughs> well, uh, to major draft people, they're like, Parker yeah. Inger? Who? This guy plays in Cincinnati. Yeah, um, other people in Cincinnati. Wide receivers, they have a ton of them, and most of them are seniors. Jack uh, Washington's a senior. Max Morrison's a senior. Johnny Holton's a senior. Mikael McKay's a senior. Uh, I like McKay. He's a guy that shows. Uh, Chris Moore is also a senior. I like Chris Moore and McKay most. Um, they're guys that are kind of interesting, can stretch the field, can do a lot of different things. Uh, Gunner Keel is still alive, so <laughs> that's something. Um, 
Uh, he's actually he's got, not going to play, is he? I don't know, 100%. I don't think he's going to play. But he has well, some personal issues. Well, well yep. that seems to be his his career personal issues. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, Kill is a... Uh, Kill is a weird guy where everybody was complaining about Jared Goff's arm strength. And I turn on Gunner Kill tape and go, what? Yeah, like, I, 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 this year in particular, I don't know what it was, but Kill's arm was a little... For a guy that was being compared to Jay Cutler at times, arm strength-wise, his arm wasn't quite that at times no. this year. So um, it was a little weird uh, just because of what people said about him, I guess. But um, yeah, uh, Silverberry Mohoon at edge. Mohan. Yes. Wuhan, yeah, Wuhan. Okay, like move. Okay, yeah, he's a interesting kind of guy to certain extent. Uh, Leviticus Payne, which they have some great names at Cincinnati. Too bad because if he was awesome, I mean, I could sell that on a T-shirt. You know, who's their linebacker? Leviticus Payne, right? <laughs> like that's that's an awesome name for a defensive player, but he's not really the best. Even as a player, so it's kind of you know. I, don't know. I mean, they named him right, but it's just uh, yeah. Um, so that that's kind of how I see things there. Uh, Sadio State, it's the Pumphrey Show. So mm-hmm. um, that's what it is. Donnell Pumphrey, the running back, uh, in a long line of. I mean, in terms of what Sadio State is, has secretly. They haven't always been really good at the next level, but they've been churning out backs that are, you know, put up decent tape. Uh, you know, Ronnie Hillman was re- pretty good at San Diego State. Um, Adam Oema before uh, he decided to join a cult and uh, give up his career. And the world didn't end, by the way, but oh well. Um, so he decided to do all that, unfortunately. And, uh, and yeah, but he was a good back. I I really liked that Amoema. I was really sad to see that that happened to him. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, Pumphrey is going to join that group. He's the same guy where it's kind of like Raheem Cato. I watched the tape of Daniel Pumphrey. I go, wow, he does everything. But coaches are just not going to get over the fact that he looks like a little like a water boy playing the running back position. So, and they're going to question his durability, and they're going to do all this stuff. Even though he gets more carries than a lot of other guys, he don't who aren't as durable. So it's just weird. But yeah, so right. he's kind of there. No one's, and, no one's uh, ever questioned Dalvin Cook's durability for some reason. <laughs> nope. But Dalvin Cook's really good though. But he, yeah, he does have great. You know, he pulls a lot of muscles. I'll just say that much. So mm-hmm. he can just try to stay healthy, which I know it's hard to do at Florida State, but. Stay in shape and keep healthy, you know. Um, and the last guy I mentioned say go say that I kind of like uh, Demonte uh, Casey, the cornerback. Yes. He's yeah. pretty good. Also, my underappreciated team. Yes, yes. And yes, State's also pretty good at putting cornerbacks out there. So, um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I would say those two guys. In terms of who wins. I think Cincinnati wins. Cincinnati's shown a lot of uh, – uh, they've gotten into games where they shouldn't have won them and won them, so to speak. 
you know, Miami comes to mind. I just love the Miami game because Miami went in there basically like this is Cincinnati. <laughs> you know, this should be easy. <laughs> and played the game try try to do a comeback where they with that attitude, which never works. It's like the attitude of just die already so we can beat you. We're Miami. Like that never <laughs> works, guys. That mentality like that's you can't have that mentality. You get punched in the mouth, you don't go, Oh, sir, you punched me <laughs> you know, like just acting all uppity about being punched in the mouth. You can't do that. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get into the game and turn it on and beat them. Uh and uh but yeah, Cincinnati is that type of team that uh can really take it to teams and I, I think uh I think they'll get the win. Uh, but San Diego State, I mean, with Pumphrey and stuff, that I mean, it should be, you know, there's a lot of prospects there that are kind of fun to watch. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Pumphrey. I'm a big fan of Casey. And, uh, you know, I I think Erringer, at the very least, is a starting right tackle, perhaps day one. Um, and I don't see why he can't play left tackle, but I think for some reason people don't think he's a left tackle. And maybe it'll take an injury or something. Who knows? Uh, for him to finally get a chance to show what he really can do. Um, I think they're starting the kid at, at quarterback. Um, uh, I think he's a might be a redshirt freshman uh, since tonight, but he looked good. Um, and unlike uh, uh, the apparently both mentally and physically somewhat damaged at times. Uh, Mr. Keel, Keel. This, the, yeah, this other kid can, can make plays with his feet in addition to uh, they've played like a few different quarterbacks at various points today. But um, the the last one I saw really impressed me. And I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I think he's like, like I said, a, a redshirt freshman or something. Uh, you mean Hayden uh, Moore? Yes, thank you. Yeah, I like what yeah, I, I mean, he him. played well. He played better than Kiel. That's why yep. I was surprised that Kiel was starting in a couple of weeks, like a month ago. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, Kiel got hurt, and then Hayden came in and was better. Yep. And the next game was better. And then you guys were like, oh, going to kill starting. I'm like, really? <laughs> he is? <laughs> but this other guy is better. <laughs> you know? But I guess, uh-huh. yeah, it's a good to get to this point, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, yes, um, I think Muhan has a chance to be a situational pass rusher at the next level. Um, let me see. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's uh, I think it'll be a fun matchup. And, yeah, I'm, I think... Uh, I think I had picked Cincinnati. I can't remember who I picked in my, you know, bowl mania thing or whatever, but I think it would be a very compelling game, a close game. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. So that'll be fun. Um, I'm going to try to knock out an article, hopefully, um, real quick and toss it up about some of the upcoming games. and. Uh, you know, that'll be good. Um, tell the fans out there, Jim, what you were working on and where they can find your stuff. Oh, uh, 
currently I've been doing um, all the market share in the major FBS, and uh, I will be done by this weekend. So, um, so everybody, I'm going to spreadsheet. I'll make that public, and I'm also starting to do pre-combine metric uh, stuff. So it's really it's mainly just looking at age and production metrics. Obviously, I don't have athletic metrics yet, but uh, of course, when I get that, that'll be after the combine. Um, but I'm just you know taking a look at some of the guys that have declared Leonard Floyd. Uh, I put up a couple things on Joey Bosa. I'm gonna have a few more things up there as well, and it's just you know. Given showing you, hey, these are guys that so far scored well, and these are guys who didn't score well. So we'll see what happens, you know, that type of thing. Um, on uh, draftcobrin.wordpress.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at capital J, little N, little C, little O, little B, little E, little R, little N1. As I also said, I also saw Star Wars. So, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, <laughs> but it, it definitely was. There was some stuff to spoil, so I'll just say that much. So I'm I'm being a really good citizen right now. So um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that also happened, and you know, that's that's about it, guys. Okay. Um, and what have you been up to, Steve? Well, I uh, finishing off my uh, top sixty-four so players. Uh, I'm actually updating it now. Uh, you know, I did a rough draft and sent to you earlier, I think, tonight. I'm going back through and going getting all of the mistakes I made. Guys, you know, I like rank twice and, uh, you know, put ones I, you know, as I look at my original, oh, let me just put this on the dartboard and put it down that I want to change. Uh, you know, I'm certainly, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to have Leonard Floyd way lower than everybody else. But, uh, you know, that's the thing. But you can catch my work at, at CDS, uh, not as much as I would like because, I, you know, life happened. But uh, getting yeah. through that now. And uh, also at S. Morton, S. Morton 101368 on Twitter. Got it. Perfect. So uh, we have some prospect guests, I think uh, three or four, depending upon who I'm able to confirm uh, will be on with us, uh, including uh, a couple of guys that have been with us before. Chris McClendon um, is confirmed, and Jake Payne is not confirmed from Shenandoah, but uh, McClendon is a really interesting prospect. He catches the ball well. He's about 222 or so pounds. He runs fairly well, probably mid to low 4.5. And, of course, if you weren't playing for Oklahoma Panhandle State, I think, you know, he'd be getting a lot more love, but his tape is good. Um, he's a guy who could clearly play Division One if he were given the chance to because he's got the stuff that you look for. So he and uh, a couple of the guys will be on with us. Uh, also, I've uh, mentioned uh, quarterback named Drew Powell. You guys uh, that I think that I really like will be with us, so we'll talk to those guys tomorrow. I also want to thank Cody for joining us, and uh, his site is NFL Draft Lab. Thank you all for your time and your talents, and I will talk to you soon.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.